My darling Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia. All my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Oh, Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay. Summer day, you're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. My lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. Hello everybody, it is Saturday night, February the 3rd, year 2018, and here he is, the one who has the most prettiest theme song in America. Me? No, 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 no Oh giggle. wait, oh wait, okay. No, no giggle for that, huh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm smiling. Okay, the yeah, prettiest theme song. I like song. that. And she is so excited because tomorrow's a big day in her life, and we'll find out why really soon. And you're welcome to call the mystery voice from Florida. <laughs> <laughs> At some one. We're gonna have a good time tonight. Five four five two zero seven one. Here she is, bright and bubbly, all with pizzazz. And twinkly, twinkly <laughs> fingers and nose and toes. Here she is, <laughs> Patricia. Hi, Patricia. Zippity doo dah too. Hi, Walden. Hi, everybody. It's Saturday night, and I am so excited. I have a gift for our listeners. Oh, man, we love gifts. And 
we got a call right off the bat, but you know, do you want to, you want to make an announcement before we go to the callers, Patricia? Yeah, I want to, I want to tell what my gift is tonight. It is the one night of the year that everyone is invited to talk sports because tomorrow is Super Bowl day. Mm-hmm. So that's my gift. I won't even fuss. And we have a special guest in two weeks. Cynthia Myers will be joining Patricia. So that would be all-girls night when I won't really have to be here. The two girls can get take over the show. But that's okay. What? Well, when what? You, You're not going to be here? I'll be here. Have to be. I'll be here. I of gotta, course. I'll be You're here. You're the button man. Yeah, I, I press the buttons, you know? You know. Okay. All right. Now, now Who's we, on the phone? Well, we still have, we still have the, uh, what's in the, patri- what's in the, <laughs> oh. <laughs> what's in the fridge? Yeah. No, I have to correct this now. It's not what's in the fridge. It's what I purchased for the fridge okay. because we get milk here and I save some of the cartons of milk. So that's in there, for okay. example. Okay. So we're only looking for things that I bought and we have three things. Um, cheese and lettuce and Greek dressing, salad dressing, are already taken. And we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven more thingies. All right. Hello, caller. You're on with Patricia. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden. Hello, Paul. How are you? Hi, Paul. Hi. Well, I just want, uh, I've been better, but I don't want to dwell on that for others. Well, that's okay. That you, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about what's in Patricia's fridge? You want to talk about the month well, of February? First, I just wanted to say for you people that can't get in, all you got to do is just dial as soon as you start hearing Patricia's song. <laughs> <laughs> what, like two weeks or so in a row. So well, you know, be patient. You, you know, we've gotten several emails this week. People are trying to get in, and they, they haven't figured out the system yet. So... Well, you know. hear me, everybody who can't get in. <laughs> just try to be the first one. That, that, that's true. And we, we got... You we just got, gave your secret away. You'll never get in again, Paul. I know. I know we got John from uh, Florida who wants to talk about birds. She, he's hoping to get mm-hmm. in. And we got Dan who didn't get in last week. So we got people squealing. But that's okay. Okay, well... Okay. If you if you're not the first caller, when you start to hear that they're saying goodbye to the guy, well, then you can try to enter, and then it's going to be busy still. If the timing's uh, still right, or it could be off from what you're listening to, it could be seconds behind. Um, you just I, giving away all your. Read I know, that. but you know, in the old days, when Patricia and I were really young, back in the last century. Uh, dial up a social. <laughs> thought about it that way. Holy cap! Yeah. Dial, okay. Dial, dial up a social that sometime it could be two two minutes behind when you were going to the station. Sure. And you try to call. <laughs> two minutes behind. I I have said this before. There's a chat room, of course, for yesterday USA and Walden and I spent time in there chatting at different times. We really had a big group, and we don't have a big group anymore, so we're going to have to promote that. Yeah. In any event, yeah. my my system was it was a dial-up modem, of course, and it was so slow, and it buffered so many times that I listened to one of the nightly shows for an hour and a half after it got finished. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I guess it was an hour. I, I had half an hour in with buffering. I was still there. The show ended at midnight, and I was still there at one o'clock in the morning, listening toward the end of the show. You remember That's how much it buffered? You remember the old sound when you, the, the white dial up when they when the phone when <laughs> yes yeah, yeah the old hookup thing you know oh yeah yeah it was uh, terrible it was like fat. Yeah. Okay, I have to, guess what, guess what, guess what. Yes. Guess what, but, guess yes. what. Yes. Yeah. Paul, you can talk about Super Bowl, and I've got all the information no, that I can no. find on Super Bowl. Actually, but, I'm one of the few guys that I'm, I can care less about it. <laughs> oh, good, oh, good, because I have oh, I have some trivia questions. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah, I'm not likely to get any of them at all. Really? Oh. So. I have yeah. three for Walton and three for you guys. Oh, oh not f- football trivia you're talking? No. Just, oh, no, no. Just, this is know, radio trivia. Just radio trivia. Oh, yeah, well, that's fine. Don't <laughs> oh, take a shot at that. Okay. Yeah. Who played Leroy in The Great Gildersleeve? Walter uh, Tet- Tetley. Very good. Paul. Very good. Yeah. Very good. You pulled that rabbit out of your hat. Excellent. You know what? Okay. Just, hmm? just listen to somebody on an, on um, um, a game show back in the day when he was on, and they they couldn't get it. Oh, couldn't get it. Really? And yeah, and so here I was doing. Um, I heard something about NBC trying to get rid of Jack Benny, so I did a search on YouTube, and so I saw all these short clips of Jack Benny. Mm-hmm. Then I saw one there with Walter Tetley in it, and it showed one of the Giller sleeves also. And uh, it was <laughs> he, he was giving tips to uh, Giller sleeve on how to um, pick up on a girl. <laughs> all these lines. <laughs> so funny. It was oh, that's fun. cute. Yeah. I, I would think, I would think more people would recognize the voice in the cartoon as Sherman. You know, the, uh... Mm-hmm. I think that's what most people would recognize that voice. And what was that called, again? Oh, oh I'm trying to think. Sherman? Mr. Peabody. Mr. Peabody um, and Sherman. Yeah. It's the Wayback Machine. Mr. Yeah. Peabody's Wayback oh, Machine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and... It, it's, and, and uh, yeah. Um, had, and uh, Mr. Peabody and... Who, who was his boy? What's Sherman. That? Sherman, wasn't it? Yeah, Sherman Sherman was the boy. Mr. Yeah. Peabody had a boy named Sherman. Sherman didn't have a dog named Peabody. <laughs> Mr. Peabody had a, had a boy named Sherman. But there was a dog, right? That's right. Who, okay. who was Mr. Peabody? I do have a Super Bowl question for you, though, Paul. Uh, well, you can go ahead and, and bounce yeah, the ball. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And if you don't get close enough, then we will just leave it out there on the floor. Okay. Fans are expected to eat. All right. Now, I'm fans sorry. are expected to eat a record-breaking number of chicken wings during Super Bowl weekend. What do you think that number is? Of food? Yeah. How many chicken wings? Chicken wings. How many chicken wings? How many chicken wings? We'll be eating tomorrow. Wings. Oh, okay. You're not talking about at the football at no. the Super Bowl. No. Oh no! This is for for Super Bowl weekend. How many chicken wings are going to be consumed? Millions. <laughs> Not quite a specific number. <laughs> um, 
big number. Two, 250, no, not 250 million. Uh, let's say one and a half million. 1.5 million. Okay. Yeah. That's not correct, so I'm going to leave it out there. Okay. It's more. Do you want me to tell you? you oh, yeah, more. <laughs> Can I guess? More. The, so I was, sure. How about 300 million? No. Okay. How about 1.3 billion? Oh, billion okay. with wow. a B. That's about four, that's about four per every man, woman, and child in America, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have never seen a guy sit down to a plate of chicken wings and eat four. No, no, but he's just saying no. for numbers wise. Yeah, I mean, there's 300 yeah. million people, mm -hmm. and so if you divide that, that's like four per person. It's actually more because that 320 million odd people include babies and little you know kids. Well, maybe they eat. Maybe they eat five or six. <laughs> well, they're statistic yes. anyway. Of course. You know, I remember I, when I was in grammar school and there was 150 million people in the country. That's true. Okay, this is a great question. Okay. What's the most you ever ate at one meal? <laughs> I mean, we're thinking about what to eat in the ball. That actually brings into mind what's the most anybody ever eaten at one meal? Oh, I, I was. I, it wouldn't be as much volume-wise, but to what I was when I was a kid. Okay. I would say at Thanksgiving when I was a kid. I remember when I was younger, um, not holding back and eating and being very uncomfortable afterwards. Yeah. But that's Same here. Something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's not something I Me do too. anymore. Me too. Okay. Paul, did you respond to my invitation to Dropbox? Oh, you know what? I thought of that earlier today. I haven't been there for your show. I'm just, I'm struggling with major congestion and okay. I'm, I'm, no, I'm going to be sick on my daughter's wedding. Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. February what? A lot of people are really still sick with this stuff. John, John stayed home from work yesterday. It's still, this cold or slash flu or whatever is really still yeah. hitting a lot of daughter people. just got sick. She just started to get sick two days ago. Now my wife told me today that she thinks she's starting to get it. <gasps> and I just been, uh, I just been sick for several weeks now. I've just been hunkered down here. I was hearing, I was hearing they were talking this week to people in the hospital in the south that when they get five cases of the people coming with the flu, they can count on 15 leaving the hospital with the flu. It's just rapidly wow. growing in the wow. hospital. California is, California is one of the states that has set up units that are similar to MASH units. Mm -hmm. They're huge tents outside the hospitals, yeah. Really? They, they're just too many to carry, yeah. Right now, this year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pennsylvania is another state. I don't... Those are the only two I've read about so far. But they're they're set up like a mass unit outside. Uh, you got, wouldn't happen to know whereabouts that is that's taking place? No. No, I don't remember. I I knew it. I, I could... I read it, but I don't remember where it is, Paul. Uh -huh. I would I would oh. suspect in the L.A. area. Yeah, most likely. 
Mm-hmm. Most likely. It would have to be one of the big uh, population hospitals, I would think, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Paul, we're going to probably get some additional calls because of Super Bowl weekend. going to get me out of my way because everybody's invited to talk sports tonight, and I never do that but once a year. <laughs> I, in your fridge? Hmm? Are you still guessing what? what? Yeah, oh, that's right. You have oh, to yeah. guess um, fridge. We've got, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven items left. Cheese and lettuce and salad dressing have been guessed. Those are the only three. Okay, tomatoes. One. Tomatoes? Three, four, five, six, seven. We have seven left. You're going to put tomatoes down, right, Paul? Yep. Tomatoes. tomatoes. Okay. No tomatoes. No tomatoes. Okay. No tomatoes. Oh, well. now, those who want to dial in, you want to start dialing in right now. Thanks, Paul. Okay. <laughs> I, I love you. Same here, Paul. Thank you. Oh, good, okay. Paul. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. You're welcome. All right. Can I put my guess uh, in now before the refrigerator? Oh, sure. You get one guess tonight. Mm-hmm. Peanut butter. Do you put peanut butter in the refrigerator? Oh, I do, yeah. Do you really? Yeah. It should be hard as a rock when you take it out. Some, some, some it depends on the brand. If it, if it, we notice if it doesn't have a lot of oil in it, it is hard as uh-huh. a rock. Um, I would guess, it, yes. If, if, it, I did. If, if it has a lot of oil, then it's not an issue. So we generally, now see, there's a debate. My dad, I think, like, probably wouldn't mind you keeping it out on the counter, but my mom keep it in the refrigerator. So it's a little mm-hmm. compromise of 55 years of marriage. Yeah. Where'd you put the peanut butter? Peanut butter lasts a long time. You guys just don't let it sit there. <laughs> you eat peanut butter. I, I know you eat peanut butter. Yeah. So, anyway, who's on who's on the phone? Uh, and by the way, I did buy peanut butter, but it's not in the refrigerator. Okay, so it's, what, is it so it's on top of the refrigerator, or can we get an adjunct? No, okay. I have a little bookcase that ah. I brought with me, and it's on the bottom shelf. Perfect. Hello there, Carl. You're on with Patricia. Yes, <coughs> this is John in Maryland. John, how are you? John, how are you? I couldn't get through last week. Hardwood was talking too long. <laughs> well, now you <laughs> do. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. So now it's your turn to talk. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. We'll take that. I'm glad. We'll take that. How's the water, John? Is it pretty, pretty bad in Maryland? What's the water like out, out there? Right now? It's yeah. About, I guess it's about 20-some degrees. Oh. Well, uh, I'm glad you endured, John. We'll put it that way. I, I think that'd be still so pretty cool. It's supposed <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, that's, but it's but that which to be expected, you know. Yeah. Uh huh. But okay, I I have a question. Are you a Super Bowl kid? No, I won't watch it. <laughs> oh, never mind. Gee, I gave this blanket invitation. Everyone is invited to talk s words tonight. And nobody's taking me up on it. Well, maybe John wants to get a guess on the on the tickets. How how expensive, cheap, and how expensive the the cheapest and the most expensive ticket 
after the game tomorrow? Cheapest, average, and most expensive. And this is as of Wednesday, so the prices have gone up. So we'll, we'll take that into consideration. What is the cheapest ticket as of Wednesday you could buy for the Super Bowl? $500. How much? 500 I, I didn't hear that, John. Say it again, please. $500. $500. $500. Not even close. Oh, my. Three. The cheapest ticket is $3,626. Oh, my goodness. That you, that you, <laughs> I said a little bit stronger than that. <laughs> In the 1940s, that could have bought you a nice car. I, That's true. That's it. Well, then, I think in the 19, early 1980s, I think you could have gotten a nice car for that price. <laughs> the first car mm -hmm. that I did was brand new. I paid $1,900. $1,900. What, what was it, John? What kind of brand new car was it? It was a 1954 Ford. Wow. And I, I, I bought it brand new. So what Were you married then? What's that? Were you married? Were you married? No, no. So you were a single guy in this hot car. I don't know if it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a hot guy in a single car. No, I don't think. My son called me a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so why Are you a nervous driver? No, he called me a nerd. He, a nerd. Oh, a nerd. Oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Well, my, oh, so, let me ask you this. Why did he choose that in 1954? Was it, was it the, well, there a story behind that, John? No, it's the, uh, the owner of the company was a friend of my mother's. Uh-huh. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the reason. He said, you go down and get a Ford. I said, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Why not? If it gets me from A to B, that's all that matters. <laughs> that's what everybody else say. What, why'd you buy for us? Well, it takes me to and from where I want to go. That's true. <laughs> Too funny. Too funny. Well, John, you want to guess, would you like to guess how many pizzas were consumed last year during Super Bowl? We don't have current figures, of course, because people didn't eat it yet. But for two, 2017, how many pizzas did the American people eat during Super Bowl? 25 million. Again, please? 25 million. 25. These are whole, these are whole pizzas. You're high. I'll just say that. You're high. I'm too high? Uh-huh. You're too high. That's why you told me before I was too low, so I thought I'd go real high. <laughs> oh, no, that was chicken wings. <laughs> Chick chicken wings are 1.35 billion wings. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of chickens giving up their lives for Super Bowl. Well, they don't know it. I'll bet the, true. Uh, the, the rest of the chickens. You're actually, I want uh, cut it in half. It's 12.5 million pizzas. The confusion here is that they don't tell us whether they're small, medium, or large pizzas. I'm going to assume, which is a very bad thing to do, I'm going to assume that for a Super Bowl party, they would be large pizzas. 
12.5 million pizzas. Shoot. My daughter and, and her husband, they left this afternoon to go to West Virginia. Uh-huh. To a, mm-hmm. to a Super Bowl party. I says, oh, boy, I can watch a good movie today. <laughs> he went to West Virginia for a Super Bowl party? Now that is dedication. It's not far. It took him about 20 minutes to get there. Oh. Oh, gee, what? I had him driving up halfway, halfway to New York on I-95. <laughs> oh, okay, 20 minutes, that's fine. Yeah, they go up there once in a while to, to visit. Mm-hmm. Long. Uh, it, you know, cool. It's gotten to be a point when people do throw parties, it's more of a social event rather than really the diehard football fans watching it, so it's really gotten to be mm-hmm. such a big gathering for people. No, I don't, I don't, uh, my wife, my wife doesn't watch football at all, so it wouldn't do her any good. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really care that much for it anymore. It's how many teams are in the, in the United States. I mean, three quarters of the people in the United States doesn't have a football team. That's true. So you know it's That's true. It's but, but here's an interesting uh, stat I heard this evening. Um, by the, the news media, they cut the, the number one. What's the number one thing they cover in the United States? In terms the of number in, one. Number one thing. Yeah, the number one institution in America that they cover. Institution. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. An institution. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's the White House. The White House is number one. And I'll tell you what. I don't think the White House is an institution, but I think a lot of people belong in one. <laughs> <laughs> what a crazy month this has been! Holy cats! I'm sorry for interrupting. And and football number two. And football is number two. Yeah, okay. I would have expected politics, especially you know what's from... Go ahead. You know what's number three? The commercial. What? The commercials, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure the news tracks the commercials, but maybe. You never know, you know? <laughs> I, whiz. I almost wore out that mute button. Well, and, and let's face it, think it. I don't know how much they spent on the commercial. Some years, I think it's been up to $3 million spent on a commercial. Well, maybe that's the time that they buy. That's, uh, who knows how much it cost them to actually produce it? You know, so look, I'm making one to get the bang for the buck. Yeah, well. You know? They can, they can have it. Uh, <laughs> I think I find better things to do. So you're gonna watch a movie tomorrow? What, what what's the plan for you and your wife? I'll I'll check Turner Classic Movies out. Okay. I'll watch that. So I'm hoping they have a good movie on. There you go. There you go. But as far as way to go. All this. All right. About his money, so I I don't care about that. There you go. Now I would probably watch a college game. A man after my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any college games going off tomorrow? Nope, no. The, the college game is the college season's done. 
It is? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, this is the end of the... Yeah, it's the end of the line for the maid for the for the pros. Right, right. Now, now okay. the final four. The final four is coming up now. That's right, in March. That's basketball, Patricia. March Madness. Mm. That's not too bad. Oh my! Now, do you? you have, oh my! Have you ever been to a basketball game, Patricia? Yes. You have. Not not pro- not professional, but yes, I have. High school, college. High school. Wait a minute. Did you did you did you go high school play basketball? They did, but I didn't because I had to travel by bus, right. and our bus left right after school. So, would and you, would, if you didn't have that, what do you think would you have played? <laughs> Clapping on the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> I am not particularly athletically inclined. I could sprint pretty well, mm-hmm. but um, that was about it. Um, you know, talking about girls basketball. Mm-hmm. My wife is five foot tall, and in high school she played basketball. But in them days, the girls could only take two dribble and take two steps and dribble, and then they had to pass the ball. Right, that was really, That's right. That was really that was also a big rule back in those days. Yeah. And how many steps did guys get before they were called for traveling? They <laughs> don't. Really, that was the term. I don't I know. I think they only got one step. They got one. And after that, they were fouled. I remember. They were penalized. I'm sorry, go ahead. I remember back in the old days, I, I didn't mind watching basketball in them days. So, John, did you play any sports in high school? Did I know? No. I was was I was always singing. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, no, mm. I never played. Just it's when we had physical education in them days, and that's that's what I did. I participated in that. But as far as anything else, no, I never, I never played sports. I participated in a game one time. And. And. The nurses played the doctors. And? I don't know what we were raising money for. Uh-huh. was something that the nurses wanted. Okay. And a group of doctors agreed to, to play on the field. And what was really considerate was that the doctor, who was six foot seven and played professional basketball while he worked his way through <laughs> medical school, <laughs> did not play. He was our coach. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm, I'm not going to play. <laughs> and I thought that was really very special of him to do that. But I wasn't on the court. I was on the sidelines as the mascot head cheerleader. I got dressed up like like um, Florence Nightingale, uh-huh. my little cap and apron and all that kind of stuff, and carried a sign that said, we've come a long way, baby. <laughs> Did you did you make a, did you make a cheer? Did you make up a cheer? A cheer? No, no. no. <laughs> we got creamed. <laughs> the guys were really good, but uh, it, you know it was really nice that that we had that kind of an atmosphere and ambiance in the hospital that um, some of the doctors would actually do that with us, and some of them were really good. They had like faculty play. 
Well, you know, mm. you, you you guys should have set um, a handicap. You should have had the doctor play blindfolded and see how that would have worked out. Or on one leg, they had to hop for it. <laughs> I don't know. But they may have given us a handicap. Whatever it was, it wasn't enough. <laughs> but, um, you know, the tickets were really inexpensive. They were like a dollar a piece, something like that. And a whole bunch of the staff and a bunch of the doctors came and watched. And it was just really one of those fun times that we should have done more often. And it just never came off more often. That was the one and only. You said the money went to charity? Uh-huh, it went to charity. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember what it was. We wanted something special that wasn't in the budget, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, boy. And I helped, I had, I had the uh, staff budget, I had the employee budget, and a couple of other things, but we couldn't take away from that. But it was, it was the capital budget, the, uh, the capital expenses that we would have borrowed from, but it was kind of illegal to do that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so we had to figure out a way to earn our own money, and that's the way we did it. But it was really a fun time. It sounded like it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I really thought that that was really nice of Fletcher Johnson to do that. <laughs> he actually may have been taller than 6'7". He was a big man. Mm. And um, he was a, a vascular surgeon with, I mean, you know what basketball players have for hands. Oh, yeah. They're, you know, they're like frying pans. Yeah. And he did the most delicate surgery. And we had a kid with a gunshot wound to the chest one time. Uh-huh. And they opened his chest, and Fletcher's hands were so big that he, with each finger, plugged five holes in the heart and the arteries with his fingers while the doctors worked at them one at a time to close up the wounds. It, it was just extraordinary. Oh, my goodness. The biggest, hands were that big. The biggest person I mm -hmm. met with the biggest hand, remember the old baseball player, Frank Howard, in the early 60s? Yeah. For the yeah. I met, uh -huh. I met him in the 70s. His hands, he was 6'8". His hands were just gigantic, you know, I mean. Mm-hmm. Did he play yeah. for Washington? I think he did. I think he did play for the Washington Senators. Senators. Yeah. Washington Senators. Because when I met him, he was a coach for Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Brewers when I, when I met him. But You know, my, my cousin, he's uh, six foot seven, and... Big man. Yeah, he got a scholarship to go to, to Gettysburg College. It's up in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And, but he got it for lacrosse. <laughs> and anyway, oh, my uncle went up to see and his wife, my aunt. Mm -hmm. He went up to see his first game. Mm -hmm. he, he got hurt. They carried him off in a stretcher, and that was the last time he played any kind of sports. Oh my oh, goodness. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Okay, John, I'm going to ask you one trivia question. I know you know the answer. Well, he has to guess and what's, in, he, he gotta guess what's hmm? in your refrigerator, too. I know, but he's got to have a Order. trivia question first. Okay. okay. Where did the Great Gildersleeve live? Somerville. Close. Uh, try it. You're, You're close. close. You're close. Summer, Somerville, Summer... Summer... Oh, my goodness. How could I forget that? Summer. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. That summer. You are so close. I'm going to give it to you. 
So close. So, All right. Well, then tell him. Summer, what? Summerfield. Summerfield, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you got the summer, and that was the hard part. Okay, you got that. Now, I'll tell you everything that has been guessed so far, okay? I, I know about I know about what's been guessed. Okay. But I'm saying butter. Butter. No butter. No butter. Well, I was wrong. Wow. No butter. No butter. Is that something that we get? Yeah, that's something we get on our trays. Yeah, so when, I, I, when I was up, when I was up in, in the hospital this time last year, mm-hmm. we did. I didn't have to have a refresher because everything they I needed, they had. You know. Mm-hmm. Except good well, food. And I'll bet it was edible. <laughs> Not necessarily the case here. <laughs> Once in a while. <laughs> well, that's why Patricia um, family, they, they hmm. want her to starve to death. That's why they got her a, care, a, a refrigerator, a caravan refrigerator to feed her, make sure she's fed, you know. Mm-hmm. Is that one of those small refrigerators? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, and it, it's just perfect. It really is great. Thank you, Kim Bragg, for doing that for Patricia. That was such oh, gosh, yes. Bill and Kim... Made arrangements to have the, well, I guess it was Kim who made the arrangements, to have this sent to me as a Christmas gift. And I I am just using the dickens out of it. It's it's so wonderful. That's a wonderful Christmas present. Oh, gosh, I was so surprised. Were you really? I was. You know, the our my favorite maintenance man came up and he said, oh, you've got a surprise box downstairs. And I'll bring it up. And I said, no, it's okay. I'll go down and get it because I need to get out and walk. He said, no, 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 I'll bring it up. It's okay. I have to go down there anyway. He was just playing, being so cool, you know. And up he comes with a hand truck with this refrigerator. <laughs> he said, here it is. I thought I was going to go down and put a little thing on my walker, you know. <laughs> and here was that refrigerator. Wow. I mean, I was just so happy with it. And it's so quiet that... In the beginning, on the first day, I kept sticking my head in there to make sure it was cold because it didn't sound like it was running. Wow. And indeed it is. Oh, boy. Well, it, it's, uh, it's really nice. Very special. So, okay, we have to cross butter off the list, John. It's such a nice thing for them to do. Yes. Oh, it was a wonderful thing for them to do, and I'm so grateful. It really was a super choice. Oh, Just super. That way, Patricia can eat. <laughs> yeah, I can eat. That's right. That's right. And, yeah, and we, we, Every time I go to the hospital, I always get the room at the end of the hall. And when my food gets there, it's cold. Oh, oh dear. And Oh, dear. And the nurse says, well, why don't you put it in a microwave for us? I said, yeah, but by the time I get it back, it takes them so long. So. Oh my! So oh what, what my. we need? What we need? Well, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Do we have an idea for a business venture, room service in hospital? You think it, you think there's money to be made? What do you think? Well, I, I, I don't I, think so. <laughs> <laughs> Not unless you have a separate budget. Taint no way. <laughs> Taint no well. People come in there with pizzas at pizza delivery. I know. I don't know if that was for the people there or for the help. I don't know. But I've seen a pizza truck out front. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Okay. Well, John, we will get to talk to you next week, maybe, eh? And you can guess 
again, you get another guess. You get a guess every week until every item is taken off the list. <laughs> and next week she's going shopping again, right? Aren't you going to add some more items? Oh, I, I, yeah, I did the, this past Saturday, and I added one item. I just added one. Okay. Well, aren't you going to go next Saturday? Yeah. You think you add another item to the refrigerator? I might. Ah. I didn't think of one yet. Okay. But everybody's suggestions are so good. I mean, Paul said lettuce one time. Yeah. I said, no, but thank you. I'll get it. And I did. That's what I had tonight. <laughs> I had a lettuce salad tonight. Mm. Someone's shopping. No. My, my daughter, my, my granddaughter took my wife and I shopping today. And I, uh-huh. I had my electric cart going around there. Uh-huh. But it was so crowded. I really? Wow. All the snacks. John, you went you went shopping on Super Bowl weekend. Yeah, we. My daughter, my granddaughter went to get some uh, French bread, and they had four places for them. They were all empty. So she asked the girl, mm-hmm. "Do you have any more French bread?" So she she went in the back and she brought some out. Oh, good. Oh, good. That's good. It was gone. <laughs> it's amazing. Yep. It's amazing what they see. My brother who works at a grocery store for 29 years, he said, always ask to have it in the back. Because they do. Sometimes they just mm-hmm. don't bring it out. So he said, anybody you're going to go, make sure you always ask them to check the back. Because that's, mm-hmm. they just haven't always brought them out. So. And if they don't have it, get a rain check if it's a sale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have it. Put on stuff like that. Yeah. Like, on, like on Tuesdays, the butcher puts you there. It says on Tuesday, they put a lot mm-hmm. of things up on sale. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Good. So. Okay, John. Well, maybe we'll get to talk to you next week. I hope so. Did you tell Harwood not to talk so long? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll do that. <laughs> All right, John. I really tried to get through last week, but I just couldn't get through. So. Well, I'm glad you got in this oh. week. Yeah. I took the previous caller's advice. I did that down right away. There you go. Now everybody can you. Oh, you're funny. Everybody can follow your trend. Yeah, okay. Okay. We're right, saying John. good night to John. Start dialing. Thank you, John. <laughs> Thank okay. you, John. Good Bye. night. Good night. Good night. And there's our friend John. You think he's in his pajamas? You know, it's almost pajamas. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Patricia here will be about another 45 minutes or so. And then she got to get ready for Super Bowl. You know, she's throwing a big party tomorrow in her room. That's right. That's right. You know? I have, I have to tell you that the month of February has 40,000 for 20 minutes. Use them wisely. Mm-hmm. How's that? Do you like that one? Very good, Patricia. Yeah, it's pretty good. Who's there? Who's there? Who's there? Who's there? I heard someone has a rabbit food for supper. Well, I, I think she Rabbit did. food? Oh, yes. Bunny food. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Bunny food. Not rabbit food. Bunny food. Yes. Lettuce. Mm-hmm. I did. Are you, planning to go, are you planning on going to the hop or what? To the hop? Oh, the bunny hop. No. <laughs> I'm a little slow. I'm sorry. That was very good, and I messed it up. <laughs> very good. No, I'm not going to the bunny hop. Uh, this is Dan in Indiana, and he's going to tell us. Because I asked last week, 
what kind of weather predictions do cows help us with? Uh, did you get my email? I did, but this is, you did. this is your stage. You go ahead and tell us. Well, um, I wish I'd saved my email. <laughs> <laughs> when cows lie down, it's going to rain. And they have finally conceded that to my grandmother and other people whose old wives' tales really weren't old wives' tales. They were true. When cows lie down, especially under a tree, it's going to rain. Where else would a cow go? Where else would you want a cow to go? Well, beats me. I don't know. You had cattle on your farm, and I picked the right person. You went out and found some information for me. Okay, so let me ask this, because, you know, I've never lived on a farm. Yes. When cows take a nap, when they go to bed, when they sleep. Uh-huh, yes. How do they do it? Do they just lie on their side? Do they just, you know, buckle down and sleep on their belly? I mean, how, how do cows sleep? Well, I would say most of the time I would see cows that would get down on the ground and sleep. Mm -hmm. In the report it said, you know, sometimes in warm and hot weather they would sleep standing up because that would help them disperse the heat off their bodies. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And you know, I, I never have but, You know, the old the old tale is, you know, you can tip a cow when it's sleeping and it's standing up. Oh, the old cow tipping contest. There hasn't been a single cow tip in, <laughs> that anybody has ever been able to record. Not a single yeah. one. That's right. I think that's cruel. Why would you want to tip a cow? <laughs> well, the only time uh, kids, um, older kids, like older teenagers, went out cow tipping. It's because they wanted to go out and have a good time. <laughs> they say, yeah. oh, we're just going out cow tipping in the field. Taint no such do, thing. Taint no such thing. Do they, do, still, they, do they still have milking contests and things like that at the fair in Indiana? Dan, do you know? Uh, not so much. It's more showing the, the cow. Okay. You know, in, in a ring, you know, and, and having bids, you know, uh, put on your, the cow. You know, you're selling your mm-hmm. cow at the 4-H fair. But, um... Are you no, going no. to pick... Go ahead. No, go ahead. I think we're on a delay oh, here. I was, I was going to ask if you wanted to take a shot at some of my Super Bowl questions. Well, I was wondering if you, if you were... Uh, Doing anything Super Bowl related, knowing you and your great. For heaven's sake, we've been doing it all night. <laughs> we have been doing it all night. Okay, do you do you want do you want me to give you some uh, prices of food for the concessions at Super Bowl, or would you like to guess how many pounds of guacamole is going to go down into tummies this year? I don't like well, the, I don't like guacamole, so I, you can you can. You don't like guacamole? No. Okay. With tickets being like $4,300, I would hate to think what a, 
uh, hamburger combo would be. <laughs> well, think of that cheap ticket. Think how much it's expensive ticket going to the game, Dan. Oh gosh, it just it boggles the mind. Um, okay, Take sure. Yeah, I, I, yeah. What, whatever you know. I'm, whatever you want to do, I'll, I'll, I'll play along. Well, let's put it this way. I think, I think the most expensive ticket is more what Patricia Walden Dan makes in five years. To be honest with you. Probably, I would not be surprised. You make that much money? <laughs> <laughs> Woo! How much? Okay. How much? How much? The most expensive ticket to, for the mall game, Patricia. The most expensive ticket as of Wednesday. They have inevitably gone up as they do the closer you get to the game, and then you've got scalpers out on the streets. But this is this is not the street stuff. That's illegal. Most expensive ticket as of Wednesday was one hundred and seventy-five thousand seven hundred and ninety dollars. The fellow says, "Hey, man, are you are you still there? Did you fall over?" <laughs> <laughs> What do you get for $175,000, Patricia? I hope a seat in a very warm place with a table and pretzels and free drinks. Free drinks for $175,000. You should get an entire bar. I think you probably you probably get a meal as well. They ought to come to the front door and carry you up to your seat. <laughs> she was. Okay, now this is concession stuff that the fans in the stands are going to buy. How much do you think a hot chocolate is? Okay, uh, how large is a hot chocolate? We're talking about 12 ounce? That would, that would sound a, right. Huh? 12 Ten ounces? Maybe. 10 ounces. Um, how about, how about $8? Oh, boy, they would love you. It's $5 for hot chocolate. Wow, I'm surprised. How, how about, this is this is new, I think, for this year, a crab sandwich. A crab sandwich. I'm assuming that's crab salad. You just don't <laughs> chuck crab on a piece of bread. It's probably crab salad. <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't even know what a, I, I don't, I, I don't. I haven't had a crab sandwich lately. Uh, <laughs> I haven't even seen on the menu of any places I've gone. Uh, you know, crab, crab is not inexpensive. Crab, you can you can dump a, a fair penny for crab, but if it's going to be salad, you're going to have stuff like onions and celery, and you know, so volume. Pennies. Much of much of the volume is going to be cheapy stuff. Yeah, ten dollars. Yeah. $20 for a crab sandwich. Yuck. <laughs> isn't it? Okay, this this one, a bottle of water. We're down into real people stuff now. That's right, five bucks. Seven dollars for a bottle of water. Uh, I'm not off too okay. much. Okay, hot dog. No, you aren't too far off. Hot dog, how much is a hot dog? Mm. Regular size hot dog. Regular size hot dog. I'll I'll say seven fifty. Pretty good, eight dollars. Very good. How about a okay. jumbo hot dog? A, a double? Do you mean a <laughs> long hot dog? <laughs> a, yeah, jumbo hot dog fits the role. How much is a jumbo hot dog? 
Well, logic would seem to think it would be eight dollars, but or uh, sixteen dollars, but. <laughs> twelve. Walden. Yeah. You say twelve. Yeah. Uh, okay, Walden. Yeah, I would say. I would say eleven dollars. Very good. Right on the money. Eleven dollars wow. for a jumbo hot dog. Okay, one more, and then we'll go to um, a whatchamacallit question, a trivia question. Whatchamacallit? That's what we're going. A save what? Okay, we will ask how much a cup of coffee is. I'll say seven fifty. Well then, you know, I just thought about we Dan will be paying no price because he doesn't like hot drinks, you know. Um, <laughs> coffee, probably, probably Starbucks fifteen dollars would be my guess. Ooh, ouch! Ooh, cup of coffee five dollars, cheapy. Five dollars. Wow. Cheapy. Five dollars, right? I mean, you can buy a. a, a can of coffee for yeah, but, for four dollars. But, but you know, he goes, uh, he you goes, know, coffee grounds. You go to the place like Starbucks. I think they're charging seven dollars for a cup of coffee. Oh sure, oh sure. But this stadium stuff, you don't you don't get the hotshot stuff. Starbucks for seven dollars. Yeah. You've got a that's a bargain. Really. That that is a bargain. Some of the coffees are going for fifteen dollars a pop at Starbucks. Holy cats. Do you, re- do you remember me telling you about seeing the Dalai Lama in Louisville? At the, yeah, I remember that. Uh-huh. Yeah. A hamburger combo, with, uh, a hamburger, small fry, small drink, $15. Okay, well, let's see what a cheeseburger might be at the stadium tomorrow. <laughs> this will be your last one, and Walden, jump in on this one. Cheeseburger. 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 Okay. Cheeseburger. Um, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. Eight dollars. Mm-hmm. Eight dollars. Eight dollars. How much? Eight. Eight. Eight doing eight dollars. Eight dollars. Okay, Walden, well, I cheeseburger. Just, I bet it's a bargain. A dollar and a half, right? <laughs> for cheeseburger? <laughs> <laughs> you can't get the wrapper for a dollar fifty. <laughs> okay, one more guess. <laughs> Ten dollars. How much? Ten. Ten dollars. Ten dollars. It's fifteen dollars for a cheeseburger. Uh, isn't that scary? Well, you know. And that's in, that's in addition to one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars for sitting down. No, those people. Those people surely get. Um, uh, you know, I. Just, they get they get cheeseburgers on request. You know, I'm pretty sure. Don't you think if somebody spent one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars for a game ticket? Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to worry about what food. food, food no, and I, I think if they wanted a cheeseburger, they're probably going to get it without much fuss or cost. They've already paid a premium price for being there. <laughs> I think it's probably in, in a box. It's a box seat, and you get stuff. You get stuff. I hope they bring it. Well, that's, that's really interesting. I don't know how much if they would have to pay for liquor, for example. Oh, you know, like in a hotel, you get a bar, you open it up, and, and they charge you for the little bottles of liquor. I wonder if that's the way they fly in the big box. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I, I think a lot of them, 
I think I understand. It's almost like so they, if it's like a corporate setup, like a box, like a suite, like a suite. Mm -hmm. It's almost like exactly. That's it, the word I, I should have used. It's yeah. almost like probably like a buffet style setup. I, I would yeah. think. You know. And I believe it's I believe it's eight people to a suite. A, so yeah. eight times $175,000, holy gas. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my Patricia, goodness. Patricia, do, so. do, you, do, you, do you carry a purse? I do, yeah. I don't think well, let's fill it up. Let's fill it up when you leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Carry a very big one and make sure you take home the rest of the buffet. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Right. Okay. So, so, Dan, is there going to be anybody at the, at the library tomorrow, or are they going to be all watching the game? We were having that discussion uh, today when we were uh, getting ready to leave, if there'd be anybody there on Super Bowl. Probably till about mm, 5 o'clock, and then it will get... We'll have fewer people. So, will the library... What time does the game start, Eastern Time, Walden? I think it's like 6.30. Like yeah. 630, 630, okay. something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. But, uh, oh, wow. Okay, I'm going to stick you with the trivia question. Hmm? We were busy today. We had people in there studying. We had a good number of people. Really? One of our busier days, yeah. yeah. They were taking care of everything before Super Bowl. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. So. That's really interesting. They're predicting that fewer people are going to be watching the game this year. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's right. I think people have uh, they're very unhappy. Uh, very unhappy, and they're signing off on in a, NFL football. I think you're right. Hey Dan, have there ever been a day hmm. when you when you got and nobody ever shows up? Just no, bad. we we there's been. Uh, I mean, sometimes we won't have anyone for you know like. Two hours uh, on, on a Saturday when we open. Sometimes it might be twenty till ten before we uh, uh -huh. get people in there. Nine twenty, nine forty, somewhere in there. So, is it, so more people who we book sleep in, right? Well, it it I think it depends on what's going on in their uh, lives. You know, sometimes there'll be a cruise on one of the local boats. Uh, they'll have a ball on one of the boats, and um, you know, if it goes late into the night, you won't have too many people who are there very early. Um, we we normally have at least one class in the library building, and when those classes meet, they um, start at eight thirty. But they don't. Night or in the morning? Uh, in the morning. In the morning, okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. We'll have classes that will meet at 8.30, and then they'll break for lunch at noon, then come back at 1 and meet till about 4.30. What the latest do you think you guys can only stay open for? I mean, there are some classes, when I was going to school, I think all of us, the nighttime classes that went to 10 o'clock at night. Uh-huh, yeah, that seems to be a pretty normal. Mm-hmm. Ten o'clock, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I think is horrible. <laughs> I think late night classes are horrible. <laughs> oh gosh! Well, uh -oh. the the eight o'clock classes are eight thirty classes are 
off my chart. <laughs> we don't we don't do them, do we? Some of us don't do them. I don't know. I, right. Okay, what, I what do you guess is in my refrigerator that I purchased? Not Can you run down what's been milk. guessed? No? What's what's already been guessed? Oh, yeah. gosh, hold on. I've got to turn the page here. Tomatoes, peanut butter, butter, Cracker Jack. That was, <laughs> I couldn't believe. Uh, uh, Ray in Chicago guessed Cracker Jack. Okay, no juice. No peanut butter and jelly, no bread, no cookies. Milk is in there because I save my containers sometimes. So you can't, I get milk three times a day, and I save the containers to make to um, sometimes have a evening snack. Okay, so so milk is is in there, but I didn't buy it. Ham and cheese, I didn't. Walden guessed cheese, and that is in there. Um, Paul started with an ice cube tray. I did not buy one. Walden somehow figured that maybe I bought paper towels to put in the refrigerator. I don't know. You have to take that up with Walden. <laughs> uh, no margarine, no jello, and you guessed creamer. There's no coffee creamer in there. And the ones that have been guessed are cheese, lettuce, and salad dressing. I did buy that, and that's in the refrigerator. And the peanut butter jar is outside, so not, she, that doesn't, is correct. she doesn't keep it inside. Okay. That is correct. Okay, it's what's your guess this lettuce, one? Cheese, lettuce, and salad dressing. Yep. We're going the salad route here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how about tomato? Well, those, those are the good. No tomato, no. They were already guessed yes. tonight, so you get another guess. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Well, um, I, I'm trying to think what you put, what is it? there's so much in there already. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so much that you've marked off the list there. I, I know. I only still, three, I, only three items are marked off the list. Cheese, lettuce, and salad dressing. Oh, you mean things that, that are not right. in there. And, yeah, that was a big list. And, and, and she still got seven items that we haven't figured out. That's amazing. That is amazing. That's quite a, quite a haul there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how about how about soda? Yes. Oh, yes. Right, yeah. That is correct. There you go. Okay. Very good. So, are you a Pepsi or a Coke drinker? I'm a Pepsi drinker. You're part of the Pepsi Diet generation, Pepsi. huh? Yeah. Diet Pepsi, yes. Okay. Well, that's and good. I, yes. And I, I have club soda in there as well. Oh, boy. So you did well. You're, you did well. You mix you mix your drinks then, huh? I mix my drinks, yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. Well, that was a great guess. Yes, I do have soda in there. How, how do yeah. you do your soda? You and put, now... Do you keep so many cold cans in there and keep a passage on the side, or how how do you load up? Yeah, uh, there there's a a rack for cans of soda on the door, uh-huh. and I have three in there right now. I think it probably will take seven cans. Wow, it's pretty good size. So I've, uh, yeah, I've got three cans of of soda, mm-hmm. 
and I've got a one liter bottle of club soda in there. Good deal. No, you drink club soda by itself? Oh, I'm not going to tell. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't drink club soda by myself or by it <laughs> by itself. <laughs> I use it for something else. Well, we don't know if she's a social drinker now, do we? <laughs> oh no, we don't have any of that in there. <laughs> no, we we do not have any of the hard stuff in there. Just the soft well, she's stuff. She's got club so. soda. Then I was wondering. Well, I've already made my guess, so I have to wait. I guess a week to, to to guess what would go with her club soda. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if she puts orange juice or not. Uh, juice has already been guessed, and that's not in there. No, no, I, I didn't know if you put uh, soda you, with your orange juice or your cranberry juice or whatever. Well, I'm just not even going to tell you. <laughs> but I do use it for something else, and it's not orange juice. So, okay, you get a an old-time radio question. Oh, boy. Are you ready? Oh, boy. Uh, yes. In, yeah, in Box 13. Who was the main character in Box 13? You know, I've not listened to many of those programs before. So, um... Um... Are we... Who was the main character in Box 13? You remember who the, you remember who the star was of Box 13? Mm, no, not really. Okay. I, I'd say uh, oh. Box 13 is the main character of Box 13. <laughs> <laughs> character, not thing. Character. Char main character. Character. Yes. In character, yes. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I, 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 it would just be a guess. Okay. Okay. Um, are you okay with Fibber McGee and Molly? Uh, Summerfield, yes. Uh, Whistle, Whistler. <laughs> 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 well, you, well, what was the name? Say that again, Walton, please. You sent us the note this week about Bonton closing. Yes, I did, didn't I? Yeah. Now, what, 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 bon, the Bonton, what show was that in? That was Thurber McGee and Molly. Very good. Right. Who shopped in the Bonton? Did the Great Gildersleeve or Thurber McGee and Molly shop in the Bonton? That would be Thurber McGee and Molly. Very good. All right. We will give you credit for that. That's right. That was sad that the Bontons are closing, or a few of them, at least. Yes. I did not know that there was a national chain of Bonton department stores. Well, that said it was in Pennsylvania, so I don't know if it... I, I would think at one point that the Bontons had to have been in Illinois, because that's, that's where the Jordans were from. Yeah, but I, mentioned, I always saw wanted Bonton was just a, a name. Uh, a, 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 you know, a superficial name uh, rather than, mm -hmm. I did not even think there was a chain, a Bonton chain. I yeah. never knew about that. 
until you mm-hmm. I did not out. know that. But there there were f- I read some of the information that you sent and there were 40 Bonton stores in the chain that have been closed. So I don't know how many more are left, but there were 40 that were closing or had been closed. Now, switching to grocery stores, Dan, uh, uh-huh. do you have any Piggly Wigglies in Indiana? Uh, there hasn't really been Piggly Wigglies in this area, to my knowledge, to my knowledge since at least the 60s. Wow, okay. And, and you know, we lost... There used to be several Winn-Dixies here, and they closed, I'd say, in the 90s. In fact, there was a great big uh, uh, Winn-Dixie uh, distributing uh, center here, but I think mm-hmm. they're all uh, pretty much in the south. Do you, do you have Winn-Dixies in Florida? We do, and many of them closed, but we still have Winn-Dixies open. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, uh-huh. So, but uh, we had A&Ps up here through the 1970s, and, you know, uh, Kroger dominates okay. the market here now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A&P. We're going to stick with A&P. What did A&P stand for? The Atlantic and Pacific, I believe. Now, I asked you the question, and the answer went right out of my head. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, I'll give you credit for that. <laughs> it okay. probably was Atlantic and Pacific, but I'm not positive now. Can you imagine uh, the, the answer went right out of my head? Well, you were so excited. Oh, good grief. You were so excited about it, hmm? that's why. I know, I know. <laughs> when I get excited, I forget things. You were so excited about the Bonton. That's true. Yeah, I was. I was. That was really sure. nice to know that there really was a Bonton. And you know, in Naples... In, which is in southwest Florida, just south of, of Fort Myers, we have a Fibber McGee's Closet storage business. Oh, wow. And I tried to get somebody there to come on the air with us, but nobody answered me. I'll have to try that again. That's too Nobody replied. Isn't nobody, that terrible? Nobody's home. Okay. That is it, Dan. We're going to have to talk with you next week. Well, that's fine. Good to hear from you again. Thank you, Dan. It is good All to right. hear from you. Stay warm. Okay. Stay warm. Call if you get work. Stay warm. And, <laughs> yeah, stay warm and... Whatever. And watch. And? Watch. I, this, this is so exciting. I give you one day a year to just go crazy with sports and this is it yes that's right i know you'll be and you did a very your you did a very fine job <laughs> all right well you take care <laughs> you I'll, I'll talk to you later take care dan okay, okay dan thank you good night sure good night have you noticed all the hot football talk so far in the, in the show everybody it's really been a oh patricia this is this is hot stuff. Patricia, okay. Off, Patricia offered mm-hmm. this opportunity to talk X and O's, and we got the breakdown of defense and offense for the Super Bowl tomorrow. Uh huh. Uh huh. Hello there, your aunt Patricia. Hello again. Hello there. This is, this is just the show you callers who not seem to be able to get in that it can in fact be done. <laughs> Second time. 
Thank you, Paul. Start dialing right now. Appreciate it. Bye. Thank you. Okay. See, that, that helps. That helps. All right. 714-545-2071. Okay. Call. You can do it. If and Paul can do it, you can do it. If Dan can I do it. I want to know how much a slice of cheese pizza is costing at Super Bowl tomorrow. And if Dan can do it, you can do it. If John from Maryland mm-hmm. can do it, you can do it. If Patricia can do it, I can do it. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> and I want to know how many pounds of potato chips will be consumed for Super Bowl. You know, they have and this is they have in pot- general, not, a, not a, at the... Uh, this is interesting. I don't know if they consider what is sold in the stadium. This is supposed to be home parties. How many pounds of potato chips will be consumed, Walden? Well, uh, can I confess about the potato chip thing for sure. the week? My mom asked us to go get potato chip because she made sloppy shows this week. Uh-huh. And so when Dad and I went there, they had a special on potato chips. Oh, really? Yeah. What was the special? If you bought three bags, you get a dollar off each bag. So naturally, we oh, figured. Oh, cool. Uh, and how big was the bag? Really small. You know, I mean, not not like the you know one that uh, one serving, but you know. Oh, I, I. The little ones. So you're talking a couple of ounces. Well, it, it, enough for a family to eat, but it's not. You know, I think potato chip bags okay. have gotten smaller. Okay. You know. So. All right. So I want to know how many pounds of potato chips are going to be consumed tomorrow. How can you figure that out? I have a friend next to me here. Yeah. Mark, how many pounds of potato chips? He's shaking his head. 3,500 tons. I don't think so. (laughs) You're not too far off, though. (laughs) You know. Okay. How do you you figure that out? I mean, you put potato chips. How do you weigh potato chips? Well, they, they come... In bags, and the bags are in pounds or ounces or, you know, so how many pounds? How many pound bags of potato chips? We'll do it that way. How many one-pound bags of potato chips are going to be consumed that's tomorrow? Lot, that's a lot of chips to make up a pound because they don't weigh very much. No, they don't. Holy cash. I think you're, I think you're not... Your friend next door is probably right. 500 tons are probably about right. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You want to talk about Groundhog Day instead? Sure. Sure. Okay. Yesterday was Groundhog Day, Mm -hmm. and if Punxsutawney Pete sees his shadow, we're supposed to have six more weeks of winter. He's yeah. only been right 39% of the time. Since 1887, Punk's Tony Phil has been right exactly 39% so of the it's time. So it's a big bunch of propaganda. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But yes. we also now, since 1981, have Staten Island Chuck, Staten Island, New York, the Staten Island Zoo mm-hmm. in New York, and a, a woodchuck and a groundhog are the same thing. Okay. So they have Staten Island Chuck, and he has been right 82% of the time since 1981. Now, that's a good batting average, you know, for Chuck. 
I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think Chucky Punch will. Tony Phil goes down the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Phil. <laughs> and yesterday was Groundhog Day. Did I say that? Uh, that's pretty good. So, yeah, do, do, they, do they show tickets to this event? I mean, it's, you know, do, is it a... I don't think so. I don't think so, because it's a zoo. So if you get oh. in the zoo, you're not going to have to pay extra to see Staten Island. <laughs> Chuck, this is so much fun. Well, there has been, obviously, more than one groundhog since 1887. I don't know how many. <clears throat> and there have been... There's been more than one Staten Island, Chuck. Unfortunately, Mayor de Blasio was invited to one of the openings. <laughs> and he picked, up, he picked up Staten Island, Chuck, and dropped him. Did you see the story about the whale this week? No. Oh, is, uh, the, the orcas that are speaking? Yes. Those. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Tell about it. Go ahead. My understanding, they're trying to train uh, some of these whales to, to speak English words. And so mm-hmm. they think they're doing pretty well. Bye-bye, I think, is one of the words they got. Bye-bye is one, and I can't remember what the other one right. was that was mentioned. Right. One or two others that they, they're working on. Yeah. But indeed, they say bye-bye. <laughs> I, I think bye I, bye. I think one of them actually supposed to speak the name of the trainer. I think that's another word okay. that got down. Okay. You know. So, All right. So you know, if we know Patricia loves to talk to the animals, so if if one of the, uh-huh. the whales said uh, Patricia, then I I know we we're, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> talk to the animals. <laughs> yes, Doctor Doolittle talk to the animals. Okay, this week we had something really interesting happen. We had a blue moon, a super moon, and a blood moon at the same time. Oh well, actually, I heard you mention a blue moon, but I didn't. I didn't know. Is it three moons? Actually, it's yeah. Um, three moons yeah, going at the it, same time or something? I, I'm trying to figure out how they. It define. was yes, a blue moon. I can't recall what the supermoon is. What is the supermoon? I don't know. Maybe it's the blue moon. I don't know. Anyway, blue moon. Mm-hmm. A blue moon is when um, a month has two full moons. Okay. So that's once in a blue moon. That's it. So supermoon. Really, uh-huh. Does it show, does it, is I, there a blue coloring to it, or is that just a expression? No, it's the it's the expression. Okay. Once in a blue moon. Okay. Yeah, blue moon is when a month has more than one full moon, and a blood moon. What happens with a blood moon? Oh, oh, good grief! I can tell you. I have no idea. Well, this this week mm-hmm. we had a blue moon, a super moon, a blood moon, and an eclipse. All in one week? All in one week. I think a blue moon and a super moon are the same thing. Okay. Okay. A blood moon happens during an eclipse of a full moon. When the eclipse starts to wane 
or when it is almost complete, the sliver around the eclipse is red. And that's the blood moon. Okay, that's what I thought. There was a little red tin somewhere involved mm-hmm. with the blood moon. Yep. Okay, okay. That is true. And these three events, the supermoon, blood moon, and the eclipse, these three events came at the same time. And it is the first time since 1866. And that happened this week. Isn't that exciting? So I, I, think, exciting. My dad, I think my dad <laughs> got up at like 4.51 in the morning or something. I, I, think I, was still, uh-huh. I think I was still in bed when it happened. <laughs> I stayed in bed, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, my goodness. Did he really get up to see that? Well, you know, my Is dad's up so, the moon? My dad's so up. My dad's up so early. I think he did see it. Hmm. So. I think. Funny now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's here's a question for you, and I do have some trivia questions for you. Good. Radio trivia questions. All right. Yes. In all, American workers receive how much in tips each year? What is the grand total? Now, this would be your doorman and okay. your wait staff in a restaurant and three, stuff like that there. Three billion dollars. Higher. Wow. Ten billion dollars. Higher. Wow. Twenty billion dollars. Higher. I didn't know there was that much money in the economy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> A hundred billion dollars. Thirty-six billion dollars in one year when in did, tips. Then that's that's probably something for us to research next week. How did the tradition of tipping come about? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> I I will have the history next week okay. because there is a book on tipping, oh. and I read the preliminary. Okay. You know they get, they give you in. Yeah at Amazon and at Barnes and Noble. If you're thinking about buying a book, you can read sometimes up to 36 pages. Wow. So I read about the history of tipping. So that's what we can learn next week is how. But I don't remember. (laughs) I didn't write it down. I wanted the book and I, I was going to actually buy it at Barnes and Noble for my nook. Uh And they weren't selling it. <laughs> the special was off, and I wasn't about to spend $28 million on a book about tipping. You know, books are really expensive, and I get notifications of when the sales are on, and it was a two ninety nine book on sale, and it wasn't available at Barnes & Noble. They lied. Boo they hiss. apologized. But <laughs> it wasn't available. Boo so hiss. I'll come back with the history because yeah. I went to Amazon, and I read the history. Mm. How do you like that? I like that. You're a very smart cookie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. We are five minutes away from Patricia leaving. Yep. So I am going to ask that you so what, don't have so, the phone so, on the hook. So what Take the you, phone off the hook. Yeah, so what are you planning to uh, – who are you rooting for tomorrow, Patricia? We might as well get your prediction, Sam Hill. Oh. Oh, the Patriots are going to win. Okay. You're probably right. I think so. So my question for you, because I do have to go get something to eat. Um, What 
Sergeant Preston's first name? I don't know. <gasps> really? I really don't know. Oh, my goodness. William. Sergeant oh. Preston's first name was William. I never knew that. You're not going... You're not going to forget that, right? No. Okay. Well, why don't you... I go... asked you this... No. Mm-hmm. You want to go eat now? I asked you... Okay. Yeah, but okay. I'm going to ask you one more question. All right. Because I've asked this to you of you... Actually, I've got two questions that I've asked before, and I'm going to see if you remember them. What was the name of the street the great Gildersleeve and his little family lived on in Summerfield? Mm. Do not remember. They lived on Lakeside Avenue. Uh, I, I have no idea know. where the name came from, but that's that's the street yeah, they lived I, on. I don't know. I did not recall that one at all. Okay. Okay. I'm going to save the next one for next week. All right, my dear. Have fun. Okay. Have a great Super Bowl okay. party. Okay. Have a great Super Bowl party tomorrow. You, you all have a wonderful <laughs> Super Bowl day. Are you going to watch Super Bowl? I probably will. I probably I'll probably take a little nap and I wake up and I'll probably watch the Super Bowl. Yeah, but it's well, not a high priority. It. Not a high priority. But you're not going to have a hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. No, 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 no. All right, my dear. I will, talk, I will talk. I will talk. I will talk to you soon. Okay. Good night, everybody. Thanks for being with us. Good night, Good night Walden. Take care. All right, there's Patricia, and let's say our prayer. thank you for the opportunity of being here. Boy, bless this wonderful country we live in. Keep everybody safe tomorrow. Help us do you well. Look after the needy, the poor, and the hungry. Help the homeless, Lord. Help those who are in harm's way. Help those who just have surgery, Lord. The ones who are still standing in the hospital. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's get to some laboring here on Yesterday USA. Stand by. Jaws profession. Items view, items view, multi-select list box. One Ray Bream, eight, five, enter. KABC Los Angeles. Talk Radio, AM 79. From ABC News, I'm Joe Vaughn. The Ohio legislature has moved a step closer this morning to resolving the threat to more than 70 state-chartered savings and loan institutions in the Buckeye State. A Senate committee has now completed action on a House-approved bill in Columbus, which would provide for reopening of the SNLs once they obtain federal insurance on their deposits. Here's ABC's Chris Beery. Ohio Governor Celeste is now saying that he hopes the savings and loans will be open in a matter of days, not weeks. If the legislature approves this bill, Celeste believes it will bring confidence to consumers who've been worried about the savings and loans as soon as they realize that they're going to have to qualify for federal protection before they can reopen. 
The debate is now underway on the Senate floor. Approval of the legislation in the Ohio Senate in its late-night session would clear the way for ending a bank holiday ordered last Friday by Governor Celeste in the biggest such action since the years of the Great Depression. I'll have more after this. Each year, drunk drivers cause half of all highway fatalities. The mother of an innocent victim whose life was snuffed out by a drunk driver talks about her feelings. I think at first you're angry at everybody that you think ever hurt your kid, but your anger really centers around the person that caused the death. You go into court, people are afraid of the drunk's constitutional rights. It angers you to see the people on the jury, and they, they, I know they sit back a lot of times and they think, boy, I've gone to a going away party, or I've stopped for a couple beers, and boy, this poor fool got caught. How can I prove him guilty and say, yes, he's guilty when I've done the same thing myself? But they don't realize maybe the next year it could be one of their kids. What can you do to prevent tragedies like these? Well, if you have friends who've had too much to drink, be a true friend. Don't let them drive. A public service from the Motor Vehicle Manufacturers Association. ABC board chairman Leonard Goldenson calls it a perfect fit. The proposed merger of ABC with Capital Cities Communications. Though ABC is by far the larger of the merger partners, the deal calls for Capital Cities to assume control. But Goldenson and the other principals involved say the $3.5 billion transaction will have little effect on the network's news and entertainment programming. Louisville's newest mechanical heart recipient has suffered a setback in his recovery, though apparently not a serious one. Reporter Mary Jeffries has the details from information affiliate WHAS in Louisville. 58-year-old Murray Hayden is back in the coronary care unit at Humana Hospital Audubon. Humana says Hayden was transferred after he experienced an increasing amount of shortness of breath. Dr. William DeVries blames the problem on the multiple transfusions Hayden received earlier this month when he was taken back to surgery to correct bleeding in his chest. Hayden is on a respirator and will stay in the coronary care unit for several days until his breathing returns to normal. DeVries does not consider Hayden's shortness of breath to be life-threatening, but Humana officials say the complication is a setback. Mary Jeffries for ABC News, Louisville. Federal authorities in San Diego claim they've broken a major cocaine smuggling ring responsible for bringing more than 15 tons of the drug into the United States every year. Federal agents say the case has been under, under investigation for the past 18 months. There have been 72 arrests and a number of others are still being sought. In the federal grand jury indictment unsealed during the day, a drug distributing cartel with its roots in South America is accused of peddling cocaine with a street value of more than $12 billion. Prosecutors in Los Angeles say they intend to file charges of rape, sexual battery, and assault against football great Jim Brown. The district attorney's office says Brown had until yesterday to provide witness testimony to refute charges he attacked a 33-year-old school teacher in his home. Since he failed to come in with the two witnesses, the prosecutors say they're ready to proceed with the case. Brown repeatedly has denied the charges since his arrest last month. The government crisis appears to be worsening in Lebanon. Reports from Beirut this morning say talks between Muslim and Christian political leaders aimed at defusing a Christian rebellion have broken down. And the Muslim leaders are warning Christian hardliners to back down. This is ABC News. The Writers Guild is meeting again in Los Angeles at this hour to consider a proposed settlement of the dispute with TV and film producers. It's been a week since Guild officials tried to win ratification of settlement terms. That first meeting in Los Angeles broke up when opponents accused union bargainers of a sellout. 
Though New York writers have approved the pact overwhelmingly, guild officials in Los Angeles say opposition on the West Coast could force a long strike. The Writers Guild has been out now for the past two weeks. For the ABC Information Network, I'm Joe Vaughn. It's almost time to squeeze yourself back into your swimsuit, and that means everyone wants to diet. This is Joe Colomb of Trader Joe's. The most delicious diet foods that I know are the diet fish entrees from Certifresh. Each entree has less than 300 calories, yet it makes a very satisfying meal. There's cod florentine, which comes with spinach, as you would expect something to be called florentine to come with. And there's cod in shrimp sauce, which is so rich that it seems impossible that its nine ounces contain only 290 calories. What's more, these frozen entrees are microwavable. And best of all, Trader Joe is selling these two entrees from Certifresh for only $1.49 each. There are 23 Trader Joe's in Southern California. In East Pasadena, we're on Rosemead Boulevard, about four blocks south of Colorado. Thanks for listening. KABC Los Angeles, Talk Radio, AM 79. Celebration 25, our year for celebrating. So keep communicating with KABC Talk Radio 79. We're celebrating a love affair that's been going on for 25 years. Los Angeles and KABC. Let's keep on caring. Let's keep on sharing with Ray Bream. And good morning, everyone. This morning, we turn back the clock to the halcyon days of radio. And when you think of radio, dramatic radio, you think of a couple of shows. And they were written, created, directed, and produced by my guest, Carlton E. Morse. Now, if I said Paul and Hazel and Claudia and Cliff and, oh yes, let's not forget Jack, the baby, you would know what family I'm talking about. It would be one man's family. One man's family brought to you by the makers of royal desserts and tender leaf tea. One Man's Family is dedicated to the mothers and fathers of the younger generation and to their bewildering offspring. Tonight we present Chapter 9, Book 54, entitled, Lieutenant Jack Barber Leaves for the Pacific. There comes a time in every show when the best way to tell a story is to let the audience behind the scenes, and uh, I think this is one of those times. As those of you who've listened to One Man's Family throughout the years know, the character of Jack Barber is played by Paige Gilman, now Lieutenant Paige Gilman of the United States Army Field Artillery. That is why the character of Jack has been on the show so infrequently the last two years, because Lieutenant Gilman has been stationed at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, just as Jack Barber has been at Fort Sill all these months. And now, suddenly, everything has changed. Lieutenant Gilman is being shipped out to the Pacific. He's home on leave this week, and that makes it possible for us to have the character of Jack home with the family one more time before he takes up his military duties on the other side of the world. 
Lieutenant Gilman was 13 years old when he first came into one man's family. That was 13 years ago. And believe me when I say that to us on the show, his going away is the same as sending out our own son and brother. That is the story behind the story of tonight's broadcast. When Lieutenant Jack Barber suddenly dropped in on his family night before last and said he was headed for active duty in the Pacific and that he had just 48 hours leave, his family closed in about him like the arms of a mother about a small child. The desire to do something for him, to be something to him, to help sustain him in preparation for this new adventure was overwhelming. But as the hours went by and they found him relaxed, cheerful and confident, then everyone else began to relax and the household was back to normal again. And now it's time for him to go, almost time. An army jeep is to pick him up in front of the house at 4.30. It's 4.10 now. In the last 20 minutes at home, he's trying to have a little private conversation with each member of his family. Just at the moment, he's up in his mother's sewing room with her. Oh, it's too bad Cliff and Irene couldn't get down from the Sky Ranch today. Skippy's got the influenza. Oh, sure. Well, I said goodbye to him last night when they were here. It's okay. Where's Betty? She's in the nursery prettying up the three daughters. She says she wants the last glimpse of my family to be something extra special. Betty's a good wife, Jack. Yeah. A devoted wife and a good daughter-in-law. It's working out all right having her and the children here with you and Dad? It'd be a very lonesome house without her. All right, that was a bit of one man's family from the year 1943. That happened to be Book 54... Chapter 9, entitled Lieutenant Jack Barber Leaves for the Pacific. Altogether, there were 134 books. And the last one on the air was Chapter 30 of Book 134. Altogether, 3,256 episodes in all of One Man's Family with my guest, Carlton E. Morse. But then there was another show, show that when I was a young man... Uh, just uh, captured the imagination. And that show was this one. The makers of Fleischmann's Fresh Yeast present I Love a Mystery. adventures of the three comrades, Jack Packard, Doc Long, and Reggie York, now in the seaport of Santa Margarita in the state of San Moreno on the east coast of South America, just under the equator. Don't Call It Murder, a new Carlton Morse adventure thriller.
Eight o'clock in the evening in the Blue Circle, one of Santa Margarita's innumerable waterfront gin mills. Remember the Blue Circle. We're coming back to it in just a moment. But first, you should know that Santa Margarita is the one and only seaport of the state of San Moreno. You should also know that while San Moreno is not much of a country, hiding itself on the east coast of South America just under the equator, San Moreno raises coffee. But in the very near future, she may also raise rubber. Well, I don't want to interfere here, Dresser. I hope you'll forgive me. But uh, we have a little bit of uh, Mercedes McCambridge as she was doing her role in I Love a Mystery. And now, just at dusk... Ooh, listen to that. Well, if you ask me, it's going to be dark on the inside of a coal miner's esophagus in a couple of shakes, and then what? And then we'll have one heck of a time getting back aboard the yacht. We are not going back aboard the yacht. Well, by morning, it'll be too late. Even after dark, it may be out of the question of Holy Joe's got natives on guard to prevent us. Why couldn't he prevent us just as well in this half-dusk as he could later in the dark? Because as long as we can see to use our rifles, the natives can't get within striking distance of us. Yeah, but once it's dark, look out. One of them greasy skull toters could slip up and slice a double rib steak out of you before you could yell King's ass. So long as we have the parchment map to the pirate treasure, Holy Joe is going to do nothing drastic. He wants it too much. I think you're taking a lot on yourself trying to riddle out what Holy Joe will do or won't do. I know a money-lusting fortune hunter when I see one. Mm. Holy Joe's much more than a fortune hunter. He's a native priest, and on this island, he probably's got the power of life and death over the whole population. You darn tootin', Miss Sedgwick, and a guy that's used to having folks he don't like strangled or hacked to death ain't got much patience. He'll dicker with you for a little bit, maybe, and then all of a sudden, wham, and you got yourself four or five foot of native spears taken out of your metal. Ah, oh, you people are sitting there that are giving yourselves the willies. Looks to me like you're just dead set on committing suicide, Miss Sedgwick. I am dead set on doing what I started out to do, that's certain. See here, Miss Sedgwick, suppose we take a vote. Vote? Certainly. Majority rules, or should, even on an expedition of this kind. No. I beg your pardon, Miss Sedgwick, may I say a word? You keep out of this, Stuart. Hmm. What is it? Why, I know I'm speaking out of turn, ma'am, but why don't you go ahead and take the vote? What's that? Yes, ma'am. Sweet here, and I'll vote any way you do, won't we, Sweet? Yeah, that's true, I reckon, but the more fools we are for doing it. Hey, you guys want to spend the night here on the beach with a place crawling with natives? No, but if that's what Miss Sedgwick wants. And that is the way I vote, too. The way Miss Sedgwick votes. Uh, I'll be doggone. Well, there we are. Four vote to stay against three to go back to the ship. Yes. Are you satisfied? Or are you still going to insist? Oh, no. Majority rules, just as I said. Insane as it is, we're here for the night. Okay, Doc? Sure. What can we lose except our lives? All right. There you had Jack Packard, uh, Doc Long, and Reggie York, and, of course, the voice of Mercedes McCambridge. When we come back, we'll meet the creator of these two shows, the writer and director, and the star, one of the stars, Mercedes McCambridge. Stay with us. I'm Ray Bream. This is Talk Radio 79 KABC. You know, one of the most often asked questions about the Auric XL Upright Vacuum is, does it have attachments? The Auric XL Vacuum is designed to do just one thing, and that's to clean your carpet, and it cleans carpets better than any other vacuum cleaner anywhere. Auric does have an attachment package, and it's called Buster B. Auric. It even has its own self-contained unit for carrying that powerful Auric motor, and it weighs only four pounds. 
The Buster B. Oric has all the attachments you'll need for your above-the-floor cleaning. An upholstery tool, a floor and wall tool. It even comes with a shoulder strap so you can use both hands for cleaning. You can save $110 when you buy the Auric XL Upright Vacuum and the Buster B Attachment Package together. For your nearest Auric dealer, call Marvin's Vacuum Center in Canoga Park. Area code 818-340-1181. 818-340-1181. If you're in the Torrance area, call All Makes Vacuum and Sew, 213-378-0251. If you or someone you love is afraid of living alone due to age or serious medical problems, get your pencils ready because Vital Link is the life-saving system that instantly summons emergency medical aid when you need it most. When you're alone and helpless and unable to reach the phone for help, the heart of the Vital Link life-saving system is a tiny jewelry-sized pendant that you wear around your neck. Now, when you're in trouble, within 300 feet of your home, you simply squeeze the buttons on the pendant. In seconds, the Vitalink Central Station knows of your emergency. Instantly, the ambulance is notified and help is on the way. Having the Vitalink in your home is like having a 24-hour live-in nurse and bodyguard. Never be alone again. Give you and your family peace of mind. Call Vitalink after 9 this morning at 1-800-482-2020. That's 1-800-482-2020. The number again, 1-800-482-2020. Opinion, usually sincere, often diametrically opposed, controversial. And I'm Ken Minyard reminding you that we have just that all this week between 9 and 10 in the morning. Join us for this totally different view of the world. Bruce Hershenson, the conservative view. Murray Frompson, the liberal view. It's a matter of opinion, voiced by two respected and informed spokesmen and you. A matter of opinion. What's right, what's left, and what's wrong with what's going on. All this week on Talk Radio 79. Carlton E. Morse, a man who has uh, really been a part of one of the great eras in broadcasting. And I can only say it's a great pleasure to have you with us, Mr. Morris. Thank you so very much. You know, uh, it's uh, to our great benefit that you decided to leave uh, the copy desk of the Seattle Times and the San Francisco Chronicle and go into broadcasting. Well, it was great for me. 1929 was a wonderful year for me, at the transfer over. Uh, and two weeks after I started with NBC was the time of the crash, uh, 1929 crash. And it was just great for me because I had a audience that didn't have any money anymore or couldn't go out in the evenings and they had to stay home and listen to their radios. And that's how one man's family was born. Well, you not only wrote uh, such great uh, scripts and had such great concepts, but you stock the shows with such great talent. <laughs> and we have one of those uh, great talents with us here on the phone right now. An intense leading lady and character player of the American stage, screen, and broadcasting. She began performing on radio while still a college student. And before long became one of the busiest and most respected radio actresses in the country. In fact, Orson Welles, who co-starred with her in the Ford Theater series, once called her the world's greatest living radio actress, Mercedes McCambridge. Mercedes, are you there? Of course I am. Good morning to you. Good morning. Hello, darling. Hello, uh, my dear Carlson. <laughs> what a wonderful experience this is. 
I, I did hope uh, very much that on one of your trips north that you would get in touch uh, with me. I've been wanting to hear from you for so long. Well, goodness, every time I've been anywhere near San Francisco, people say that, well, he's moved, he doesn't live there any longer. I never could get anybody to get me close enough to him. <laughs> I wanted to. I was there playing last year in Agnes of God, and I wanted to see you. I want to see you all the time. What a wonderful thing this is. Uh, Mercy, do, do you remember... Um my Beloved is a Vampire, when you played the... Indeed I do. And uh, uh, the uh, Widow with the Amputation. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that? Of course. Uh, well, I have a, uh, I have a uh, stage uh, presentation of that which uh, I think you could do very well. And oh, really? I may send you a copy if I may. By all means, I would love that, Carlton, and I would also like to stay in touch, closer touch with you than we have been for this long time. But do you know that uh, I even wrote about this in, in a book that I wrote two years ago for the New York Times, that I can be in places like Atlanta and uh, someone will recognize me on the street and will not talk about the films or the theater or television, but they want to talk about the giant bats in a cave in South America. <laughs> I even wrote about it in the book. This one man, and it was in Atlanta, on Peachtree Street, put his arms up and made gestures like wild bats. <laughs> this man... That's just wonderful. Canvas ...that the sound man was flapping close to the microphone. But the point of, of the, the, the story is that every place I go... People talk about I Love a Mystery and One Man's Family, but particularly the mystery. They they remember so vividly this wonderful imagination they have had to conjure up with your words and the actors who uh, were speaking. Do you have any idea how many characters you played? No. Uh, uh, there must have been scores and scores of... Uh, uh, of different personalities that you put over there. I never knew anyone with such uh, grasp of characterization. Oh, good heavens. That was because you would trust me to do it. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'd look up from the script and uh, to see you in the control room, and I'd try to read on your face whether you thought it was good or bad. And sometimes it was pretty hard to tell. <laughs> Which is always good. Would you hold on a second, Mercedes? We'll be right back yes. uh, on the phone, Mercedes McCambridge, and in the studio, Carlton E. Morse. I'm Ray Bream. This is Talk Radio 79, KEBC, Los Angeles. Thanks to Books on Tape, the familiar question, read any good books lately, can be answered, no, but I've listened to some. Books on Tape offers the world's largest rental library of bestsellers on cassette. The selection includes the brand new One More Sunday by John McDonald, the classic Walden by Henry David Thoreau, and Tolstoy's War and Peace. Books on Tape offers you over a thousand full-length recorded books. These are quality readings by talented professionals, readings you'll enjoy so much more on your daily commute, on trips, and on your Walkman cassette player. On the way to work, I'm listening right now to The Gathering Storm, the beginning of World War II with Winston Churchill. Now, to find out more about books on tape, 
Call toll-free 1-800-626-3333. Call right now for your free brochure. That's Books on Tape, Newport Beach, California, 1-800-626-3333. Be sure to mention my name, Ray Brame, and KBC. The last subject in the world that most of us want to think about is death, but death is inevitable. I needn't tell you how expensive funerals are. This is Ray Bream, and I want to tell you about an organization right here in Southern California that offers an alternative to the unnecessary expensive funeral. It's the Alpha Society, providing dignified, low-cost cremation services for the price of $295. There are no membership fees, no surcharges, just $295, period. You know, cremation services have been endorsed by clergymen of all major religious denominations. So, think about it. Your death could cause a tremendous financial hardship on your family. Why not get the facts about cremation by calling the Alpha Society right now? They have counselors standing by to answer your telephone calls. Call the Alpha Society, direct or collect, area code 213-276-5569. Area code 213-276-5569. If you're interested in nutrition and worried about calories, salt, and sugar and you'd like great taste, then measured meals is what you've been looking for. Now, each measured meal contains less than 250 calories, yet none of them contain a single additive or preservative, and they're so easy to prepare. Now, just take your meal out of the freezer, place it in boiling water or a microwave, and in minutes, your delicious, nutritional, measured meal is ready. Choose from 13 exciting entrees. Thousands of people across the country have obtained measured meals, for years from their doctors. But now, measured meals can be purchased at all Christian Brothers Farmers Markets, Dale's Junior Stores, Phil's Markets, and all four Westward Hole Markets, as well as other fine supermarkets throughout the Southland. Now, if you can't find measured meals, ask the manager to order them for you. Or you can call Measured Meals for information, direct or collect. Area code 818-845-8520. That's 818-845-8520. Measured Meals. Talk Radio AM 79, KABC, Los Angeles. In the studio, we have the great radio director, writer, producer, Carlton E. Morse, creator of I Love a Mystery and One Man's Family. On the phone, one of the great leading ladies and character players of all time on the American stage, uh, on screen, and certainly in broadcasting, Mercedes McCambridge. And I, I would like to mention here, Mercedes, that you won an Academy Award back uh, for your portrayal of... Um, you, well, it was the, the, your first screen role in All the King's Men in 1949 as a supporting actress. Mm -hmm. And uh, you had many other movies, of course, Giant, Farewell to Arms, Suddenly, Last Summer, just to mention a few. But one thing that I do want to get out, if anyone saw The Exorcist, you were there, but you didn't get any credit. You were the voice. Yes. Well, no, I got credit after the first 26 prints because I raised heck about it. And Good. And Brothers was marvelous, so I got credit. Good. <laughs> Mercedes, uh, do you remember um, Quarter de Dugu? Yeah, I remember it so well. Because, <laughs> Louis, yeah. it was so wonderful. At the end of the program, 
Forrest Lewis was this African chieftain or something, and he had kidnapped me or taken me. He said, I've come to take you, madam. And I said, take me where? And he says, I'm going to take you to Quadigadugu. <laughs> and I was supposed to say, Quadigadugu? Like, oh, not that. And he was supposed to say, yes, ma'am, Quadigadugu, with dire foreboding in his voice. And then Paul would play the organ, and then what would happen tomorrow when he takes her to Quadigadugu? Well, we did it on the first show at 4 o'clock. Fine. Then we came back for the repeat show for the West Coast at, at 8 o'clock. And <laughs> Forrest said, I've come to take you. And I said, take me where? And he said, quite a gadoo, 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 gadoo. <laughs> and then I had to repeat it. So I had to say, quite a gadoo, 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 gadoo. Quite a gadoo, 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 gadoo. The music came in. And we looked in the control room and you were on the floor laughing. <laughs> Uh, Those were the days of live radio. Oh, it was so fantastic. But the great thing about Carlton was his dialogue and his situations and the characters he built. It really was the simplest thing in the world for an actor to come in and pick up a Carlton E. Moore script. And we were, don't you forget it. <laughs> we were lucky enough to be on his shows where the snobs of radio hardly spoke to the peasants who had to work on other things because we were so special and so privileged to be on one of Carlton's shows. That's really true. Mercedes. Net. Tell our listeners what it was like to do dramatic radio. Certainly we on the listening end will never, ever forget it. What was it like doing it? Well, I, I think it was highly special. But I think that uh, a part of it comes uh, with the territory, the word radio. Because before uh, your program called tonight, just before you went on the air, I was watching um, Nightline. Bishop Tutu was on from South Africa, and I admire him very much. Mm -hmm. But I was relaxed and sitting here watching the television show. Then the radio show came on, and I listened to the narration of one man's family, and I found myself paying attention in a way that I was not paying attention to Bishop Tutu. I think the very idea that your ear is the receptor makes you pay attention in a particular way that is significant to radio and to nothing else. Then on top of that, if you put a script in the hand of anybody who has any knowledge of his or her craft and is making a good living doing it, and God knows we were, and then to work with the director and in Carlton's place also the producer and writer who trusts you, the trust we had in each other in radio, you don't find it in television, surely. Nobody trusts anybody in television. You're not on long enough to trust anybody. <laughs> That's true. And in films, it's a rare thing to find anything that is that cohesive. In the theater, yes, sometimes, not often enough. But with, with radio, I think... And I think somehow we knew it. Sometimes people say, did you realize how, how well you had it, how good you had it, they say, in those days. I think we did. I think we appreciated how lucky we were. Don't you, Carlton? Yes, indeed. Uh, Mercy, uh, uh, Mercy uh, do you, uh, did you ever realize when uh, we were going to... I'll tell you what, let's, let's take a break here, and we'll be right back. Uh, my guest is Carlton E. Morrison on the phone, Mercedes McCambridge. 
I'm Ray Bream. This is Talk Radio 79, KABC. If there's one name in recreational vehicles that stands out above all the others, it's the name Coachman. Coachman Industries is the world's largest full-line manufacturer of RVs. And Valley Trailer Center in the San Fernando Valley is proud to announce that they've become the only full-line Coachman dealer in Southern California. And they're doing everything they can to make it easy for you to own a Coachman RV. In fact, right now, Valley Center is selling Coachman RVs at an APR of only 11.75%, with a full 12-year term on approved credit. Now compare that with any other dealer in Southern California. If you have a trade-in, and Valley will pay you top dollar for your trade-in because they need them, then your monthly payment will be even less. And after you buy your RV from Valley, if you mention my name, Ray Bream, and KABC, they'll give you a free awning worth well over $500. And if you purchase an RV by this Sunday, Valley will give you 100 gallons of gasoline free. But you must make your deal no later than this Sunday at Valley Trader Center in the San Fernando Valley. We all live with pain, and like me, you've probably tried many products for relief. But now, there's a totally new dimension in pain relief, therapeutic mineral ice. A world-famous health authority said, mineral ice is the most effective local application for pain he ever encountered. Over 5,000 chiropractors, MDs, and pain clinics now use and recommend this amazing new formula. Ice therapy is recommended by pain specialists as a better way to fight the minor aches and pains of muscles and joints associated with arthritis, simple backache, strains, bruises, sprains, and related sports injuries. Mineral ice conquers pain like nothing ever has before. You can sleep better, work and play in greater comfort, and there's no grease, no stain, no unpleasant odor. Just pure relief in a cool blue gel that ices pain away. Therapeutic Mineral Ice at Horton and Converse, The Gill, Great Earth, Quinn's, Abbey Medical, and all general nutrition centers. You know, death is a subject that few of us want to think about, and being without life insurance for our loved ones makes it even more difficult. But now there's a new life insurance plan available from State Mutual Life Insurance Company that provides maximum coverage for those you leave behind. A great investment for people of all ages, and it's designed to be as easy as possible to pay for. Now, here's how it works. The owner of the policy pays premiums for a period of only five years. He's then insured for the rest of his life. Should he at any time need cash, he can borrow from the policy at a guaranteed interest rate of 8%. And even though he's borrowed the money and has the use of the money, State Mutual Life Assurance Company will continue to pay him interest. And unlike a savings account, the interest you receive on this policy is tax-deferred. On the other hand, should you wish to drop the insurance, you get back all of your payments plus interest. It's an insurance plan in which you choose the amount of coverage you want. You choose how much to pay, how often, and for how long. Remember, this is not merely term insurance. It's permanent insurance, and State Mutual is currently paying 10.5% tax-deferred interest on the cash value. It's a good, solid investment, as well as maximum life insurance protection for your loved ones at an affordable price. Now, this program is certainly worth looking into. Call State Mutual Representative David Salat at 276-5200. 276-5200. Call David Salat, 213-276-5200. KABC Los Angeles. Talk Radio, AM 79. If you're calling KABC from Los Angeles, dial 520 followed by the word talk, T-A-L-K. 
It follows all of our numbers. For the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. The San Gabriel Valley, 448. In Burbank, 244. And in Compton, dial 639. And then talk. In the studio, we have Carlton E. Morse, the creator, producer, director, writer of, of uh, One Man's Family and I Love a Mystery. And on the phone, Mercedes McCambridge, who works so closely with Carlton E. Morse on I Love a Mystery. What was your favorite I Love a Mystery episode, Mercedes? Can you remember it? Oh, I don't, I don't like the word favorite, Ray. I think it is a limiting word. I think okay. that if I were to choose favorite, that would mean that everything else would pale or suffer. By well, was there one show you liked better than others? No, I just liked going there and doing it. And there was always something exciting about being in that studio. I remember it so well on the first floor of CBS and <clears throat> Gower and Sunset. Do you remember uh, uh, after we had uh, been working together for several years, mm -hmm. you used to come into the studio and uh, the next show was going to come up and uh, I was looking for what character would we, would we use this time? And uh, very often right out of the empty air would come the whole story of what we were going to do next. Yes, yes. You, you did Carlton, that very often. like that as a child? Were, were you as fanciful and as imaginative as a child? Me? Yeah. Well, I think so. I, uh, I used to write poetry on the back of all the calendars while I was milking the... after... I'd milk the cows and was waiting, to, <laughs> <laughs> waiting to get the milk uh, strained out. I, I could not sit still and and I had to put something on paper. And even in that day, and you know, at that time, uh, I would look at books like uh, such as uh, school books, and I think how how could anyone possibly write that many words down they were so damn dull <laughs> and uh, and uh, then suddenly i was doing the same thing myself well, but not dull <laughs> mercedes i have a question i want to ask both of you because i'm sure that there are many listeners out there saying the same thing so we'll take one of their questions away from them is there any chance you think in today's world that dramatic radio will have a comeback Personally, uh, uh, I would hope so. We had the CBS Mystery Theater for quite some time. That's right. That's right. And uh, I don't know how... I didn't follow it, so I don't know how popular the, the, it was. The flagship CBS station in Los Angeles has now got an hour of shows... Oh, wonderful. ...from, from the, uh, you know, the transcriptions of, yeah. of older years. Well, I want to tell you that... Uh, if you want to create imaginative youngsters and and give them the uh, the privilege of of letting their own imaginations uh, take over, you've got to have radio because uh, television kills the imagination well, completely. Uh, there's nothing on it for me except the information shows. Mercedes, <laughs> what do you think? No, I, I agree with Carlton. I think that for children, I have two little granddaughters, and uh, the reason that I ask Carlton the question about his childhood imagination is because the older of my two granddaughters, Amy, who just had her 11th birthday, called me some months ago. I was out on the road in a show, and uh, 
she called and said, oh, Nana, I am so in love. Now, this is a 10-year-old girl. I am so in love, and you'll never guess who it is, and you know the person. So I just have to tell you that I am so very much in love. And I said, well, who is it, Amy? And she said, it's Edgar Allan Poe. (laughs) 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 Oh, it's good. Whenever I see anything like that in either one of them, I, I yearn for them to have radio to listen to. It would be just so wonderful for them to listen. And they'd like to hear me talk about radio. And they like to hear me tell the stories of some of the mystery programs that we did on I Love a Mystery. And I just am so sorry that they don't have that fertility available to them in their minds, in their formative years. Because really, if people are remembering on city streets across this country and coming backstage to my dressing room and talking about radio. It's been a quarter of a century, to say the least. It's been that long. And that's what they are remembering. They're not going to remember what happened on Bonanza. Yes. Can you imagine? uh, One man's family has been off the air for 25 years now. And... uh, I cannot go in and leave my name at a store. Let, or, let me let me tell you something. Yeah. The guard in the building was going down the hall. And he says, uh, "Who you got on tonight?" I said, uh, "Carlton E. Morris." And I was in a hurry. He said, uh, "Carlton Morris," or "Carlton Morris." He said. Uh-huh. And I, I, I said, "No, Carlton E. Morris." Uh-huh. And I thought the guy wouldn't know. He says, you mean the Carlton E. Moores? <laughs> the Carlton E. Moores? <laughs> you know that E I put in at the beginning, and uh, it became absolutely a fixture in my mind. I had to have the E in my name. <laughs> I think <it> was. <laughs> Mercedes, do you think there's a chance the dramatic radio will come back? I would hope so. I don't know. I did a lot of the CBS Mystery Playhouse because High Brown is a very dear friend of mine in New York, and I did a lot of those whenever I was in New York and available to him. I heard a lot of them. Yeah, but I I wonder uh, if what Orson says is true. Orson says that uh, if radio were available to us now, we used to complain uh, among ourselves, Carlton, when a commercial would interrupt every seven or eight or nine minutes. Yeah. Now commercials interrupt, what is it, every three, four minutes? How could you get <laughs> That's right. the continuity of a show right. going over a, a period of time? You know, the first ten years of uh, one man's family uh, in my contract was the fact that there wouldn't be any middle commercials. Opening and closing only. For 10 years we had Really? Uh Uh-huh. Well, there, that proves my point then, because once the audience is engrossed, it would be marvelous if they could stay that way for as long as possible. Oh, boy. That's difficult now in in the whole tempo of our time. Hey, Carlton. Hey, Carlton. Tell Ray the story about Family Skeleton and what you did. I cannot tell you how many people want to know what happened to my husband, Garth. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I think uh, uh, commercially uh, we were canceled. <laughs> canceled, but Ray... What happened? Well, my my husband was traveling behind the Iron Curtain. I know. And he was in terrible peril. I know. Instead of winding it up, Carlton just let it hang there. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
That was the end of the show, huh? Yeah, I never did find out what happened to my husband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mercedes, I want to thank you very much for being a part of the show here this morning. So great for me. And Carlton Ray knows my telephone number. Please, you have somebody in your office. Call me, and I'll give them uh, the address. And please, let's stay in touch. Okay. I think probably I've got the number. In oh, you've got professional the... life, Carlton. Okay. Uh, I understand we have the number right here now. Yes, please. Uh, okay, well. Well, I will certainly do that. I love you so much. Well, bless your heart. Thanking, thank you so much for enriching my life. Well, thank you, Mercedes. Thank you, Ray. All right, goodbye. Good night. The great Mercedes McCambridge. You loved her, didn't you? You huh? you loved Mercedes. Oh, she's a dog. But well, what a great actress. She really was. So intense. There was no one that would create this imagination. And there was a thousand characters oh, that yes. she could do. Yeah. It was just, it was just amazing. She was All just right. one. We're going to go to the phones here in a minute with Carlton E. Morse as my guest. I'm Ray Bream. This is Talk Radio 79, KABC, Los Angeles. You know, there's an institution of higher education right here in Southern California, which educators across the nation have taken notice. It's called National University, with seven campuses throughout the state. National University has been a pioneer in the field of fitting college education to the needs of working adults. Now, classes begin every month, and they're taught primarily at night, some during the day and on Saturdays. Each professor is recognized for his expertise in his own area of study fully accredited by the Western Association of Schools and Colleges. National University offers courses leading to bachelor's and master's degrees in business administration, accounting, health care administration, telecommunications, counseling, law, education, nursing, international business, computer science, aviation management, and occupational health and safety, and many others. Call 298-4100. 298-4100. Classes start April 8th. So call now. Please get a pencil and paper right now for a very important name and telephone number. I want you to write it down. It may help you, a family member, or someone you know who is disabled to get Social Security benefits. The important name is the law firm of Devermont and Devermont. Their number, area code 213-393-0308. 393-0308. The law firm of Devermont and Devermont handles Social Security disability cases, SSI, and other payment problems. So if you're having a problem with Social Security or your benefits are being cut off, call Devermont and Devermont, 393-0308. That's 393-0308. The first consultation is free, and there's no charge unless they recover benefits for you. So for all your Social Security disability problems, overpayments, SSI, or any other legal problems, call Devermont and Devermont, 393-0308. Debermont and Debermont, 393-0308. Celebration 25. Celebration 25. KABC Talk Radio is alive. 25 years of entertaining conversation, stimulating information. 25 years of new horizons, new ideas, and new people. 25 years of staying ahead of the news. Celebration 25. We're loving what we do. And we owe it all to you. Happy Celebration 25! One Man's Family, brought to you by the makers of Royal Desserts and Tenderleaf Tea.
One man's family is dedicated to the mothers and fathers of the younger generation and to their bewildering offspring. Tonight, we present Chapter 9, Book 54, entitled... Lieutenant Jack Barber leaves for the Pacific. Well, that was Ken Carpenter and uh, an episode from One Man's Family. That was 1943, to be exact. We just lost Ken Carpenter a few months ago, and we want to talk about that here in a minute. Then there was this. The makers of Fleischmann's Fresh Yeast present... I love a mystery. Carlton, my hair just rose. Again, it puts a shiver down my back. I've got to tell you something. I've told my listeners this many times. That's when I first learned about classical music. I went to the record store way back when. I was a year, very young boy, and I started humming this. I got to have, you know, the theme of I Love a Mystery, and they hunted around, and they couldn't quite, and I started humming it again, and I brought out the 12-inch Red Seal record of Sibelius's mm -hmm. Waltz Triest, and I was hooked on classical music. Yeah. You got me hooked <laughs> at a very early age. But, but I, I still get that shiver. You know, who was at the organ? Mm -hmm. Who was it? You know? Paul Carson. Paul Carson. Oh, yes. He, uh, it was him. He that helped me develop this opening. We worked on that for days. Uh, and uh, he would just. He also wrote the uh, theme for uh, One Man's Family. Is that right? Patricia. He, oh. it was his. I was going to ask you the name of that song. Now, the man that you heard announcing Isle of a Mystery is in the studio with us here this morning. In fact, he brought you down. He's a charter member of the Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters in charge of the, uh, well, he heads the nominating committee. His name is Dresser Dahlstead. Dresser, glad to have you with us. Very nice to be here, Ray, and I tell you what a thrill to listen to Mercedes and Carlton. Wow, does it ever bring back memories. <laughs> how, how does it feel to hear yourself? Well, <laughs> I'm always utterly amazed, <laughs> and I'm fascinated with that opening. It just, as you say, I get goose pimples every time I hear it, and, of course, in the studio, it was just as effective as it is on the air. How long did you announce I Love a Mystery? I started when it began in 1941, and I guess... I was on until I went in service in 1943. Yeah. yeah. And you, then Frank Martin did it after that. You later became an executive of the American Broadcasting Yes, Company. I did. Yes, I was program director for KABC and the West Coast Network. That's right. I remember well. I, you don't remember this, but uh, about that time I hit you up for a job. I was just going to say about everybody did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, of course, uh, you are now with Ralph Edwards Productions. That's right, yeah. I did uh, Truth or Consequences for him for all the years it was on with Bob Barker when we were on NBC and then uh, Metro Media Syndication. Yes, we've got things. People's Court on now and very, very effective, very good show. Well, you remember those halcyon days of radio so well. You were a part of it. Uh, how did you like doing I Love a Mystery? Oh, I just utterly loved it. Like Mercedes said, it's just going into that studio was a delight every day. You look forward to it. And the interesting thing about it nowadays, that opening would have all been taped, you know, and all sure. put on, so you just put a record on or a tape and away you went. 
But that thing, every time we did it on uh, the opening of every show, twice a day, that was all live. Now, that sounds like a pipe organ, not a Hammond organ, but oh, a pipe that, organ. Yes, yeah, it was a huge big organ, which was brought down from San Francisco. Paul Carson was the organist up there, and uh, they shipped, when they built the NBC studio on the corner of Sunset and Vine, they shipped that organ down, and they installed it in Studio G of uh, the NBC building. And it took a lot of doing to get that thing working, but it finally did. And it, oh, it just sounds so good now. Just great. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to, to find a pipe organ nowadays is, uh, is, a, is a job. You can't find them. Collectors I have them. don't know what happened to that when they tore that building down. I, did that organ go up into Paul's house? So you lived up there in Beechwood. I'm not sure. Oh, I seem to remember that he said that he was getting that. I think he I, did. I'm a pipe uh, organ nut, but that's beside the points. Let's uh, go to the phone. Hello, Bob. You're on talk radio with Carlton E. Morse and announcer Dresser Dahlstead. Oh, Ray, this is a fantastic show, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm thrilled to hear Mercedes' voice. Yeah, isn't she Carlton, great? I was, may I talk to Carlton E. Morse? Sure. Carlton, I was just looking at a photo of you in an old radio personalities book that I had. Oh, uh -huh. for goodness sake, yeah. where'd you get that? <laughs> Are you collect them? Oh, beautiful, uh, Carlton. I, I grew up with one man's family, and I love a mystery. I think the, the episode you were talking about was Temple of the Vampires to uh, Mercedes, weren't you? I, That's right. Yeah. That's and, right. Uh, yeah. I wanted to ask you about a couple of personalities. Ray was mentioning to me a few weeks ago about Marvin Miller. He passed away, Ray, as you know. He played three roles on One Man's Family. Am I correct, Carl? Yes, that's well, right. He, he played, he played uh, so many parts in One Man's Family. Do you realize that when it comes to uh, Marvin Miller, he played probably more roles than any other uh, uh, actor in the series. He played 20 different parts at different times. Yeah. Sometimes two or more of them in the same broadcast. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, a couple of actors that I really wanted to ask you about. Yeah. I believe he passed away. Jay Novello played uh, Jack Packard for a while, and I love the mystery. Am I correct? Uh, yes, there was a short time yeah. when he did. Is Jay living now, do you know? I don't know. I don't know. I don't live in uh, uh, Southern California anymore, so I've kind of lost, lost track of many of the people that I used to know. Yes, he passed away, Carlton. He did. Yeah. You mentioned Temple of the Vampires. We have the opening of uh, Temple of the Vampires. We'll play it next hour. How's that? Ray, before you go, it's so thrilling to hear Mercedes and, and Carlton. Uh, Carlton, also one other, I believe, uh, uh, didn't the French Six Bushman play? Oh, the great silent screen star. On he played uh, Father Barber in the television uh, version. Did you write the television version? Oh yes. With yeah. uh, Bert Lytell and. Uh, That's right. Right. Uh huh. Yes. Yes, it was a great to do when I cast Bert Lytell as Father Barber but, in New York. Some here. some yeah. of the some of the. Uh, uh, actors and actresses that we we know about: Elliot Lewis, Hal oh. Perry, oh, yeah. uh, Hans Conried, Dick Crenna, yeah. Rosemary DeCamp, Les Tremaine, yeah. Gil Stratton Jr., Loreen Tuttle. Oh. Not they to all, mention they all Marvin worked, Miller. Uh, uh, they all worked. Uh, uh, hundreds of people worked. In, uh, you see, I was. Uh, 27, almost 30 years in uh, the uh, radio, 
Uh, One man's family had a 27-year run. Yeah. And uh, do you know that 15 years we were sponsored by the same... Fleischmann cheese? Fleisch no, well, that was, was I Love a Mystery. Uh, the uh, Standard Brands. Standard Brands. Standard Brands. But yeah. that was... Uh, Fleischmann's... Uh, was on it. And we uh, built tender leaf tea... From one bag to a million bags of... <laughs> really? <laughs> Ray, also, Carlton, do you remember that the Sydney Barnes, you know, as you know, wrote your theme, Destiny Walls? Oh, what was that? I Barnes wrote the theme, Destiny Walls. Yeah. One Man's Family. Uh, yeah. Yes. But uh, we only used Destiny Waltz uh, in the beginning. Uh, the <clears> one <throat> that we heard was Patricia. It was Patricia, which was written by Paul Carson. Yes. Uh, you see... Uh, just super. And uh, so many great actors were on I Love a Mystery. And uh, How about Russell Torson? Is he still around? He, he's gone. Oh, he died. He passed away? Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. Fantastic actor. Yeah. Carlton, I'm just thrilled and enjoying this very much. And God bless you for... Helping to keep the theater of the mind alive, huh? Well, let's ha let's hope we get some of it back again. Ray, and keep up the good work. Dynamite okay. show. Yes, All right, th thanks for the call. Okay. Yeah, uh, two of the great shows of, of broadcasting on, on radio. There was, you know, the, if I listed my two favorites, I'd be very honest. It was I Love a Mystery uh -huh. and One Man's Family. I had others, but my two favorites, and I've said this many times. When I was a kid, I Love a Mystery was it. Yeah. And One Man's Family I listened to later on in life. Yeah. My guest, Carlton E. Morse, and his announcer on I Love a Mystery, Dresser Dahlstedt. I'm Ray Breen. This is Talk Radio 79, KABC. If you're a grown-up baby boomer like me, you've been bombarded since birth with messages on cereals. When I was a kid, they were shot from guns. Then they made those sugar-coated cereals. Right! Now cereals are still sugared and colored and shaped like little letters or funny animals. Hey, Grandpa, pass the sugar! <clears throat> well, I consider myself part of a pretty aware generation. We're careful about what we eat. Now there's a new cereal for us. It's called Outrageous Fruit and Grains. It's not puffed, shredded, flaked, or frosted. Instead, Outrageous is loaded with freshly prepared fruit, nuts, grains, bran, raisins, honey, sunflower seeds, and wheat germ. And Outrageous has no added salt or refined sugar, nothing artificial. It comes in a round canister that you can reseal and refrigerate for freshness. Outrageous Fruit and Grain Cereal. The only thing outrageous about it is how good it tastes. Look for the outrageous brown and yellow canisters in the cereal section of Lucky's. And now, less than 60 seconds with Andy Money, brought to you by the GNA Annuity. It's tax time again, so I thought I'd stroll around the local savings and loans and banks to compare the GNA tax-deferred annuity with other financial opportunities. Boy, I came home with a pile of literature. Why do they call it literature? Nobody ever reads the stuff. Oh, I tried. All I got out of it was a luggage offer. I don't need any more luggage. I found one with fine print on its fine print. Guy would need a business degree from Harvard to figure it out. I didn't go to Harvard. GNA is still the best opportunity around. Simple, straightforward. I put my money in now, and I don't pay taxes on it until I withdraw it. I like that. No luggage, no Harvard degree, just the GNA annuity. Safe and competitive. A relief for an overtaxed guy like me. 
The GNA tax-deferred annuity, currently at 10.25% annually. Ask for a free brochure at Home Federal, Fidelity Federal, and Gibraltar Savings. Great Northern Insured Annuity Corporation, Seattle, Washington. Celebrity impersonation. There is still one subject that almost no one talks about. The subject is impotence. Millions of American men suffer from it, but the saddest part is most suffer needlessly. If you are a man with this problem, listen carefully. In most cases, there is a medical reason and a medical solution for impotence. The Potential Center, in association with Humana Hospital West Hills, specializes in finding the cause and treatment in each individual case. Potential is totally confidential. It is staffed by a team of outstanding physicians. And diagnosing your disorder is as simple as visiting the doctor. Don't let impotence rob you of a fuller, more satisfying lifestyle. Rediscover your potential at the Potential Center. Conveniently located in the West San Fernando Valley across from Humana Hospital, West Hills. For more information, call the Potential Center at 818-992-1640. Rediscover your potential. Call 818-992-1640. KABC Los Angeles. Talk Radio, AM 79. Harder and harder until finally you can't breathe at all, much less sing or dance. Smoking isn't chic or sophisticated or smart. As a matter of fact, smoking is just plain dumb. So don't smoke. Take care of your lungs. They're only human. The American Lung Association. The Christmas Seal People. The effort to resolve the threat to state-chartered savings and loan institutions in Ohio has hit a snag in the state legislature in Columbus. A dispute on the Senate floor over language on the bill has delayed approval, and the senators now have recessed their emergency session until this afternoon. The deadlock developed this morning when Governor Richard Celeste and the Democrats in the legislature insisted that it be mandatory for the state SNLs to obtain federal deposit insurance before reopening. The majority Republicans are insisting the lending institutions be given some choice in the matter. In the meantime, Ohio's state chartered SNLs will stay closed. ABC's Nightline has provided the first direct public forum for an exchange of views by South Africa's Foreign Minister, R.F. Pick Botha, and the government's leading critic, South African Anglican Bishop Desmond Tutu. This Christian country destroys black family life deliberately. This Christian country has destroyed stable black communities, uprooted three and a half million blacks. And we are saying we seek to change the system. Speaking from Johannesburg, Bishop Tutu likened the current South African regime to the Nazis, which prompted an angry response from Foreign Minister Bota in Cape Town, calling the bishop's charges unjustified and unfair. We feel that we are the targets of selective morality and selective indignation. We do not say that uh, what has happened here uh, is adequate. We realize the need for change and reform, but we believe we are right now being singled out for special punitive action as a result of selective morality. Bothar says his government started negotiations with South Africa's blacks to bring them into the decision-making process, and he said it can be done, quote, if only the outside world would stay out of it for a bit, end quote. In the latest incident of black unrest reported from South Africa, a mob protesting white government policies set fire to a house in a black neighborhood in economically depressed Port Elizabeth. The fire killed a three-year-old black child, and at least 11 other blacks have been killed in other incidents. This is ABC News. 
Hall of Famers Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle are back in the good graces of organized baseball, treated as outcasts after they were signed to promotional contracts by casino owners in Atlantic City. The two baseball greats have been unable for the past several years to hold jobs or even associate their names with Major League Baseball teams. Now, though, the new commissioner, Peter Uberoth, has reversed the order issued by his predecessor, Bowie Kuhn, and the names Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle are again considered proper to drop again around baseball's hallowed halls. For the ABC Information Network, I'm Joe Vaughn. There is still one subject that almost no one talks about. The subject is impotence. Millions of American men suffer from it, but the saddest part is most suffer needlessly. If you are a man with this problem, listen carefully. In most cases, there is a medical reason and a medical solution for impotence. The Potential Center, in association with Humana Hospital West Hills, specializes in finding the cause and treatment in each individual case. Potential is totally confidential. It is staffed by a team of outstanding physicians. And diagnosing your disorder is as simple as visiting the doctor. Don't let impotence rob you of a fuller, more satisfying lifestyle. Rediscover your potential at the Potential Center. Conveniently located in the West San Fernando Valley across from Humana Hospital, West Hills. For more information, call the Potential Center at 818-992-1640. Rediscover your potential. Call 818-992-1640. KABC Los Angeles. Talk Radio, AM 79. Talk Radio, I'm Ray Brain, and if you remember uh, old characters like, oh, there was Doc, and Jack, and Reggie, among so many others, then you remember I Love a Mystery. Makers of Fleischmann's High Vitamin Yeast present I Love a Mystery. A new Carlton Morse adventure thriller. Six o'clock in the evening at the crippled airplane somewhere in the jungles near a tropical lake. After a second night of mystery and terror, the three comrades, Jack, Doc, and Reggie, are together again with the girl, Sonny, and the youngster, Hermie. During the night, an earthquake shook the Temple of Vampires so that a portion of the great roof tumbled in. Reggie freed the two captives, Manuel and Angelina, and rushed Sonny and Hermie from the temple, fearing all would be crushed in the debris. Then at four o'clock this morning, just after the three had been rejoined by Jack and Doc on the steps of the temple, a second earthquake set the earth to rocking and the temple to shaking. And as the five fled down the jungle path to the lake, the great cathedral crumbled and tumbled in on itself, burying everything which remained inside beneath millions of tons of stone and debris. And now at six o'clock in the evening of the same day, the three comrades, the girl and the little boy, are resting on the ground near the airplane. I would say this was a day for celebration. Well, you ain't kidding there, Red. Why do you say that? 
Manual? Manual itself. You fellas got your guns? You bet you. Well, keep them handy. Looks like we're going to have to shoot ourselves a high priest yet before we get done with this thing. Further startling developments in I Love a Mystery will come to you at this same time tomorrow. I Love a Mystery, written by Carlton E. Morse, comes to you Monday through Friday through the courtesy of the makers of Fleischmann's High Vitamin Yeast. Makers of Fleischmann's Fresh Yeast present I Love a Mystery. Oh, that organ, that <laughs> organ. That, that did it. Uh, the, the arpeggio or whatever you did there. You worked on that for a long time, Carlton? Did I work on it? I mean, uh, the, the Paul, yeah, you, you oh, worked with him? Yes, we had to practice on the... Uh, 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 it not only had to do this, but it had to uh, uh, jive in with the uh, bells, uh, the whistles and so forth. And <laughs> and that took a uh, heck of a long time for Paul could get exactly the... If you've the just bells, joined us, uh, my guest is Carlton E. Morse the great uh, creator of I Love a Mystery and One Man's Family, writer, producer, and uh, a man whose creativity is still unparalleled. And uh, his announcer on I Love a Mystery, uh, I Love a Mystery, Dresser Dahlstedt. Dresser, uh, from an announcer's point of view, what was it like doing I Love a Mystery? Well, as you could tell from those uh, opening uh, sentences that I read, uh, it was so well written, it just was a joy to read the episodes uh, every every afternoon. Uh, you knew, of course, that you had a hit on your hands. Well, yes, we certainly did. It uh, it was on at 7.15 to 7.30 in New York and also on the West Coast, and it followed Fred Waring, who had a 15-minute show at the time. And uh, you could go anywhere, and you'd always hear, I Love a Mystery at 7.15. And I can remember, Ray, I can remember... Paul Carson sitting at that console and talk about somebody who gave it everything he had. He would sit there and when he hit that thing, he would... You could just see it all coming out of him. <laughs> Marvelous. Fantastic. Let's take a call. Put the headphones on, Carlton, and we'll take another phone call here. Hello, Arlene. You're on Talk Radio with Carlton E. Morse and Dresser Dahlstead. Hi, Mr. Morse. Hello. I have to tell you, I was born just at the right time to listen to your show. I am 42 years. I was born in 1942. You just got it in time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, we were, uh, we started way back in 19, we started back in 19, uh, uh, 32 with the family, and we started in 1939 with I Love a Mystery, I believe it was. Uh, I remember the I Love a Mystery because uh, I had just started the show, and uh, I have a home up out of San Francisco, and for the summer I was up there, and we got in the car to return uh, south, 
I turned on the radio and uh, the Second World War was just being announced beginning. Oh, boy. Can I tell you something else? Yes. I live in Jacksonville. Uh-huh. And we get the old radio shows now. Oh. We get um, Burns and Allen, the Phil Harris show. Yeah. Did you do The Shadow? No, I had I didn't do that. I used to listen to The Shadow. We used to listen to The Gangbusters. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, coming up in uh, a few days, I have uh, Charles Michelson, who is the syndicator of many of those shows. Yeah. Good. So we'll be talking about him again here very shortly. And I'm sorry I missed Mercedes, because I I I also used to hear Humphrey Bogart in uh, Maltese Falcon and um, what's her name. I don't know. Mary Lauren Bacall? Mary Astor. Mm. Oh, Mary Astor. Mary Astor. Uh-huh. Uh, I have to ask you one more thing. Uh, you said Ken Carpenter passed away. Yes, just a few months ago. What did he do? He was the announcer on... Uh, one Man's Bing, Family. Uh, and also on Bing Crosby's show. Yeah, he, oh, for Craft okay. Music Hall. Oh, yes, I heard Bing Crosby's show also. Mm -hmm. And also Orson Welles. And yeah. I remember I Love a Mystery because you had it solved the whole thing. I hear it on repeat. Okay, Arlene, well, thank you very much for the call. My guests in the studio, the one and only Carlton E. Morse and his announcer on I Love a Mystery, Dresser Dahlstead. I'm Ray Bream. This is Talk Radio 79, KABC, Los Angeles. Four of the most popular books on business ever written are now available on cassettes from Books on Tape, Newport Beach, California. All make ideal executive gifts. The first is the current bestseller, In Search of Excellence, Lessons from America's Best-Run Companies by Thomas J. Peters and Robert H. Waterman, Jr. It's $39.95. The Classic Business Guide by Peter Drucker, The Effective Executive, is $29.95. Managing to Succeed, Success Stories from the Wall Street Journal, edited by Lawrence A. Armour, also $29.95. Success. Michael Corda's Guide for Reaching the Top and Staying There is likewise $29.95. To order using your Visa or MasterCard, call Books on Tape toll-free, 1-800-626-3333. Give your card number and expiration date. All prices plus tax and shipping. That's Books on Tape, Newport Beach, California, 1-800-626-3333. Mention my name in KBC. Please get a pencil and paper right now for a very important name and telephone number. I want you to write it down. It may help you, a family member, or someone you know who is disabled to get Social Security benefits. The important name is the law firm of Devermont and Devermont. Their number, area code 213-393-0308. 3930308 The law firm of Devermont and Devermont handles social security disability cases, SSI and other payment problems. So if you're having a problem with social security or your benefits are being cut off, call Devermont and Devermont 3930308. That's 3930308. The first consultation is free and there's no charge unless they recover benefits for you. So for all your social security disability problems, overpayments, SSI, or any other legal problems, call Devermont and Devermont, 3930308. Devermont and Devermont, 3930308. 
This week only, special merchandise values exclusively for KABC Talk Radio card holders. Be sure to catch the Lasers live March 20th, free admission. Just bring a guest and show your KABC Talk Radio card. The Lasers at the Forum, Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Two-for-one discounts at the Los Angeles Zoo. 25% discounts on tickets to La Caja Fold, Tuesday through Friday. Universal Studio Tour, two-for-one admission with your card. Listen all day long for more terrific discounts on KABC for Talk Radio card holders. Friends Family brought to you by the makers of Royal Desserts and Tenderleaf Tea. What an institution that was every Sunday. is dedicated to the mothers and fathers. And, of course, uh, a lot of people don't know this, Carlton, but... Um, the actors in I Love a Mystery, uh, Paul, Cliff, and Nikki in uh, One Man's Family were really one of the same. Michael Raffetto, Barton Yarborough, and Walter Patterson. They played Jack, Doc, and Reggie. That's right. That's right. That's making use of your talent, right? <clears throat> it's making use of the people that uh, I could depend upon. It's just wonderful how... All right, how would you cast the show? I mean, you've got such great stars. You must have auditioned millions of people. <clears throat> no, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, practically all of the uh, younger members of One Man's Family uh, uh, were uh, uh, at the University of California and uh, were in the dramatic uh, work over there. And uh, they were drifting across to San Francisco one at a time uh, and taking a uh, uh, job. They paid them, NBC in those days paid them uh, $10 for a performance and took $1 because they were representing him. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> so uh, uh, this is... Uh, one by one, I was using, at all the time, I was uh, writing other dramatic shows and using these various characters. So uh, uh, when I wrote the first three episodes of uh, One Man's Family uh, and got permission to put them on, they, mm -hmm. they said, would you make the shows so that you could end it in six episodes if the show, if the show doesn't take hold. <laughs> So uh, uh, I said, yes, we could do that. So uh, we, uh, well, the show never went back uh, off the air after the time we started it for 27 years. And uh, these people, I had, the cast I had picked out of uh, uh, a group that I had used over and over for the year before. Uh -huh. And that's how I, I got the cast. All right, let's take another call. Hello, Lou. You're on Talk Radio with Carlton E. Morse. Yes. I wanted to thank you, Mr. Brady, for a great show. Bream is the name. Bream. Thank you very much, Ray. Uh, Mr. Morris. Yes. Uh, I'd like to know one thing. First of all, you don't know how beloved you are and how what a wonderful creator you are. I didn't know how many hours it took you to write those shows till tonight. May I ask you one thing? Uh, since when did Wire recording come in? Why, why couldn't they have played the... The second half in the, on the West Coast uh, on wire later on that day, since since some have survived, and, you know, the wire recording? No. Uh, uh, there wasn't any uh, recording that was uh, good enough for 
radio. Yeah, they had acetate record, recording that was really uh, superior to wire in the early days. Uh, but uh, they they didn't want recorded uh, shows. Uh, they didn't have the sound that what that they needed to to uh, send out to all the stations on the network. It didn't meet their standards, so therefore they had to do them live. I wondered I, I wondered why they had to repeat when I heard Mercedes say that. By the way, she's one of my favorite actresses. She's great. See, I came in the '50s and I heard a lot of the old recordings of it, and I started collecting them. I thought they were great. Well, that was pretty late. 1950 was pretty late. We were talking about 1930. Right, right. <laughs> I got a lot of the tapes from the 1930s from the I Love a Mystery, you know, and I started collecting them, and I thought they were so terrific and great. No, what you got was the uh, repeat uh, I Love a Mystery show, which we did in New York in 1949 and 50. You don't have the original... Uh, one my, or I love a mystery shows at all because they were not uh, they were not taped at all. That's why. Uh huh. Ah, I don't know what you know, but we really appreciate you, and this has been great, really great. Well, all right, thanks for the call, Lou. Thank you very much. You know, he was talking about the uh, uh, repeat show for the West Coast uh, that uh, took place three or four hours later, and um, I understand that uh, <laughs> in between, uh, quite often the actors would go to the nearest. The watering hole. That's right. And uh, sometimes the uh, the second shows were uh, were priceless. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, do you know we uh, there was a time with one man's family when we were putting the show on three times in one day. We'd put it on for the uh, for the East Coast, then for Chicago and the Mountain States, and then later in the evening, eight o'clock for uh, for heaven. the coast. Three shows. Three shows in one day. And uh, the actor was getting the same money whether he did one show or oh, three shows. Oh, is that right? <laughs> oh. Right. That's terrible. <laughs> that is terrible. We'll be back in a moment with the dresser Dahlstead, the announcer on I Love a Mystery, and the one and only Carlton E. Morse. I'm Ray Bream. This is Talk Radio 79, KABC. Let's see if you know the answer to this little quiz. What company is the world's largest manufacturer of recreational vehicles? Tioga, Establishment, Pinnacle? Nope. The world's largest full-line manufacturer of RVs is Coachman. And there's only one full-line Coachman dealer in Southern California. It's Valley Trailer Center in the San Fernando Valley. And they're doing everything they can to get you into a Coachman RV. In fact, right now, Valley Trailer Center is offering a full 12-year term with just 11.75% APR on approved credit. Now, if you don't think this is great financing, then check around and compare. At Valley Trailer Center, you'll be able to own a luxurious Coachman motorhome for less than $300 a month or a beautiful Coachman travel trailer for less than $125 a month on approved credit. And your trade-in is welcome. In fact, Valley Trailer Center needs your trade-in, and they'll offer top market value for your present RV. And if you purchase an RV by this Sunday, 100 gallons of gasoline is yours free. Valley Trailer Center in the San Fernando Valley. If you're creative, if you knit, crochet, do stitchery, needlepoint, or rug making, you should know that the Super Yarn Marts are America's only 
Art Needlework Center, selling factory direct to you. Since 1949, three generations of knowledgeable art needleworkers have enjoyed Super Yarn Mart's friendly service, quality yarns, and factory direct prices. Super Yarn Mart's loyal customers have consistently saved the middleman's profit. Although Super Yarn Mart carries over a thousand colors of quality yarns in each of their 36 giant art needlework centers, one of the colors most in demand year after year is basic black. While present stocks last, Super Yarn Mart is offering basic black, four-ply, 100% acrylic yarn in mill bulk skeins for a mere 10 cents an ounce. That's the equivalent of a four-ounce skein for only 40 cents. Now, you've seen this yarn selling elsewhere for two to three times Super Yarn Mart's price. Basic black four-ply acrylic yarn. Never out of fashion. Stock up now. Ten cents an ounce at your nearest Super Yarn Mart. If you're interested in nutrition, worried about calories, salt, and sugar, and would like great taste, then measured meals is what you've been looking for. You see, each measured meal contains less than 250 calories, yet none of them contain a single additive or preservative. And they're so easy to prepare, too. Just take your meal out of the freezer, place it in boiling water or a microwave, and in minutes, your delicious, nutritional, measured meal is ready. Choose from 13 exciting entrees. Thousands of people across the country have obtained measured meals for years from their doctors. But now, measured meals can be purchased at all Irvine Ranch Farmers Markets, at Lewis Foods in San Marino, at all five slender sweet shops, as well as other fine supermarkets throughout the Southland. Now, if your supermarket doesn't have measured meals, ask the manager to order them for you, or call direct or collect, area code 818-845-8520. That's 818-845-8520 for measured meals, the better way of nutritional eating. KABC Los Angeles, Talk Radio, AM 79. My guest is Carlton E. Morse and his announcer on I Love a Mystery, Dresser Dahlstead. Dresser, you uh, create or helped create uh, one of the founders of uh, this organization called Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters. You brought me into the organization last year on the board of directors. W would you tell our listeners what the Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters is, what it's all about? Yes, it's a group of uh, old-time actors, actresses, and people associated in the business, the advertising business, and writers, and sound effects people, anybody that was associated with early radio and uh, television as we've gone along. And we started, uh, as a matter of fact, this January, we will celebrate our 20th anniversary of and the Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters. Several times during the year on the West Dur Coast, you have meetings. Yes, every about, we have about five luncheons a year at the Sportsman's Lodge. And uh, over a thousand people we show up. We get around 800 to a thousand people, uh -huh. and we honor somebody very big in the business. This uh, last trip around, uh, just a week ago, was Mr. Neil Reagan. That's right. Uh -huh. The Neil's president's brother. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize he was very big in the broadcast business. He <laughs> certainly was. He started as a radio announcer, sports announcer. And then in Hollywood, he was a director of radio shows and a producer. And then he did Dr. Christian. Dr. Christian for years. That's yeah. right. Uh huh. And he hired his younger brother. Yes. In Death Valley Days. That's right. He did when he was at the agency that was producing Death Valley Days. And Art Gilmore, who is was the announcer of the show, as also was our 
founding president. And so you uh, make presentations of the Golden Ike and the Golden Mike and so forth mm -hmm. to these, right. these people who have done so, so much. And we have a tremendous list of the people that oh, we have yeah. honored over these 20 years. Just sensational. It really is. In fact, uh, I hope I have them as a guest uh, one of these days. Uh, last fall, you had um, Peter Lind Hayes and Mary Healy. Delightful. Weren't Just, they great? Oh, so good. I should say yeah. so. And Ralph Edwards was given our first uh, Carbon right. Mike Award. That's right. That's right. He's now uh, vice chairman. That's right. Uh-huh. All right. Let's take another call. Hello, Conrad. You're on talk radio with Carlton E. Morse and Dresser Dahlstead. Hi, Ray. How are you? Fine. Hey, Mr. Morris? Uh, yes, yes. This is Conrad. Oh, yes. Hello. Thanks. It's so good to hear your voice. You know, when, when I heard that Ray uh, tell us last week that you were going to be on the show, I just wanted to take this opportunity oh. to, uh, you know, tell, tell the entire nation, so to speak, the contribution that you made to, to me by, uh, you know, when I was about eight years old, if I can remember that far back. Yeah. Uh, when I auditioned for you, when you moved the show down yeah. to uh, to Los Angeles. That's right. And uh, at, at NBC, I remember uh, sitting out in the hall uh, with, uh, with the script, the little, the little uh, piece that you had the, uh, the auditionees read for you. Yeah. And I just, I just really want to really thank you so very much for introducing me to a, to a world, you know, the world of radio, because you were my first, my first job. Oh, yeah. well, you tell me, and uh, go ahead and tell them what's happened to you since then. <laughs> you went and go ahead, please. Well, I, 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 I was in radio starting starting on the on the family, yeah. And uh, I stayed in I stayed uh, on the show until I was about eighteen, nineteen, and then I then I went into the military. I went into the Air Force. Yeah. And I had a I had a career in the Air Force, and I spent twenty years in the Air Force and and retired. Now, what are you now? Oh, what am I now? Uh -huh. <laughs> you mean as, as a, a as an, uh, yes, as a flyer. Well, uh -huh. I came out. I came out as a, a major, and uh -huh. I flew uh, flew in the Air Force, uh -huh. jet aircraft all over the world. I understand. <laughs> well, yeah, in the various parts, not exactly all over, but I I had my share. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Well, that's just wonderful, Conrad. I'm just so happy that you called in tonight because. I meant to get in touch with you when you came down and forgot your letter, and I didn't know where to call. Okay. Uh, so this is great. <laughs> thank you for calling in. Well, I just, as I said, I wanted, I wanted to thank you and, and yeah. for the, as uh -huh. I said before, the contribution, and uh, I just remember those days with, with, it, with just such love. And, Good. And it, it was just, just uh -huh. great. I, especially around Christmas time. When when the family had their Christmas scene, yeah. I I just I always had two Christmases, one of my own and and one with the family, and it was just just marvelous. And I want to say hi to Dresser too, because uh, I used to watch him uh, occasionally when he would uh, fill in for uh, for Ken uh, yeah. on the family time there. That's great, Conrad. It's certainly nice to hear you again. My <laughs> talk about memories coming back. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right, Conrad. Thank you very much for the call. Right, Ray, and thank you for having uh, Mr. Morris on. Thank him for coming. Bye. Thank you. My guest, Carlton E. Morris. And earlier we heard from Mercedes McCambridge and in the studio also Dresser Dahlstead, the announcer on I Love a Mystery. I'm Ray Brame. This is Talk Radio 79, KABC, Los Angeles.
Convenience, quality, and real service. That's what Dale's Junior Stores have stood for since 1957. With convenient hours, most Dale's Juniors are open from 7 a.m. until long past midnight. Now, Dale's has complete grocery, frozen food, deli, produce, and extensive liquor and wine departments, which makes Dale's Jr. so much more than a convenience store. Now, just stop into any Dale's Jr. or Mini Stores of America location and enter to win a Pepsi Mini Jeep Go-Kart, retail valued at $1,200, or other great prizes. Contest ends April 14th with winners in every store. No purchase necessary. And Dale's has winning values on Pepsi-Cola including Diet Pepsi, Pepsi-Free, Sugar-Free Pepsi-Free, Pepsi-Light, Mountain Dew, and Slice. A six-pack of cans is just $1.79 now through March 30th. So hurry into Dale's Jr. or many stores of America. 13 locations in the San Fernando Valley, downtown L.A., and Playa del Rey. You know, there's an institution of higher education right here in Southern California, which educators across the nation have taken notice. It's called National University, with seven campuses throughout the state. National University has been a pioneer in the field of fitting college education to the needs of working adults. Now, classes begin every month, and they're taught primarily at night, some during the day and on Saturdays. Each professor is recognized for his expertise in his own area of study fully accredited by the Western Association of Schools and Colleges. National University offers courses leading to bachelor's and master's degrees in business administration, accounting, health care administration, telecommunications, counseling, law, education, nursing, international business, computer science, aviation management, and occupational health and safety, and many others. Call 298-4100. 298-4100. Classes start April 8th. So call now. You know, death is a subject that few of us want to think about, and being without life insurance for our loved ones makes it even more difficult. But now there's a new life insurance plan available from State Mutual Life Insurance Company that provides maximum coverage for those you leave behind. A great investment for people of all ages, and it's designed to be as easy as possible to pay for. Now, here's how it works. The owner of the policy pays premiums for a period of only five years. He's then insured for the rest of his life. Should he at any time need cash, he can borrow from the policy at a guaranteed interest rate of 8%. And even though he's borrowed the money and has the use of the money, State Mutual Life Assurance Company will continue to pay him interest. And unlike a savings account, the interest you receive on this policy is tax-deferred. On the other hand, should you wish to drop the insurance, you get back all of your payments plus interest. It's an insurance plan in which you choose the amount of coverage you want. You choose how much to pay, how often, and for how long. Remember, this is not merely term insurance. It's permanent insurance, and State Mutual is currently paying 10.5% tax-deferred interest on the cash value. It's a good, solid investment, as well as maximum life insurance protection for your loved ones at an affordable price. Now, this program is certainly worth looking into. Call State Mutual Representative David Salat at 276-5200. 276-5200. Call David Salat, 213-276-5200. Talk Radio AM 79, KABC, Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, dial 520, followed by Talk. All KABC Talk Radio 79 numbers are followed by the word talk. Orange County, 714 area, dial 750. The 213 area, it's 448. 
South Bay Area, 679, and the San Fernando Valley, dial 990, and then talk. Makers of Fleischmann's High Vitamin Yeast present I Love a Mystery. I want to tell you, it still does it. You had the secret formula there with that arpeggio or whatever you did that. Wow. Something. And, and it was live every time, right? Yeah. I, I mean, you didn't have a tape. They didn't have no, tape. No, no, Every time he had to play it. Did he ever hit a clunker? I, did, he, did he ever hit a, a, a bad note? I never heard it. I never heard <laughs> it. He was just wonderful. He was marvelous as we did, Ray. He could, uh, he could sure. work around it somehow, and you never even knew that he did. He was just great. <laughs> and that, that, uh, that studio, you cannot believe... The sound effects, the whole, the whole studio was just filled with the sound well, effects. you know, I want to do a show some night with uh, a few of the sound effects men that are around. There are very few left. That's right. Yeah. But uh, they're so great. Oh, they were marvelous. Huh? Oh. All right, let's say hello to Ruth. Hello, Ruth. You're on talk radio with the great Carlton E. Morse. He is the greatest. I remember so well. Back in 1942, our last show that was shown in Birmingham, it came on at 16, at 6.15 every evening, and everybody in the neighborhood was glued to their radios. And Mr. Morse's words and Dresser's voice really set the mood. Hey, you got a plug there, Dresser. <laughs> I like about that. that? Yeah. You know, we really used our imagination back in those days. And the last show was My Beloved is a Vampire. Oh, yes. You're quite right. That's the show. It was about a woman that had Hansen's disease, and she didn't want anybody to know it. That's right. Jack and Dr. Reggie went to this private island to find out why everyone was dying. But, you know, I don't remember. Was she the murderess? <laughs> Honey, I don't we, we know. Need, we need a chord now know. on the it organ. Too long ago. <laughs> My Tune in next week at the same time. <laughs> it seems to me like she was the murderer because she had a finger cut off, and Jack and Dr. Reggie finally figured out that she had Hansen's disease, and it was on that finger, and she had cut it off. You you think that they don't remember? How about that, Carlton? You're just wonderful. They, just wonderful, but I don't remember. All right, Ruth, thank you very much. We have another Ruth. Hello, Ruth. You're on Talk Radio with Carlton E. Morris in Dresser Dahlstead. Yes, Mr. Uh, Bream, how are you this morning? Fine. Appreciate beyond words you're having Mr. Morse on your program. Well, thank you for coming. Uh, Mr. Morse, how is your wife, Patricia? Oh, honey, I lost her last year. Oh, Mr. Morse, I didn't know that. Yes, uh-huh, in November. Oh, I, 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 I'm very sorry to hear that. Yes, well, thank you. Patricia and you both did so much for my father and mother and me. Oh, well, that's... Always appreciated your having us at your parties at Christmas time. Oh, yes, of course, I remember now. Yeah. All right, Ruth, thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Briggs. Right. 
Hello, Jeff. You're on talk radio with Carlton E. Morse. Hi, Mr. Morris. I have an awful lot of fond memories of radio. I'm sitting here looking at a radio that my parents bought in 1936 and gave to me, and it brings back a lot of good memories. Uh, what I wanted to ask you is, uh, this marvelous writing talent that you have, is that something that a person is born with, or can you develop it over the years? <clears throat> well, I didn't inherit, inherit it from any of my family. Nobody in there... I can barely read, let alone write. But uh, uh, I think I was born with it. You Be grew up in Louisiana, didn't you? Well, I was born in Louisiana. Born but in Louisiana. I, uh, we passed through the earthquake in San Francisco on our way to Southern Oregon the night before the uh, earthquake. I was five years old then. Ah. Uh-huh. All right, any other questions, Jeff? No, I don't believe so, but it's been a real pleasure listening to him. It brings like a, back a lot of good memories. Thank you. All right, thank, thank you. you. Hello, Hank. You're on Talk Radio with Carlton E. Morse. Uh, thank you. Uh, Mr. Morse? Yes. Uh, are you able to hear me all right? I, my only reason for asking is uh, I'm using a new phone, and I, I didn't want to uh, uh, speak to you where you couldn't or you'd have to strain to hear me. No, we hear you. Okay, fine. I just wanted to uh, point out that, gee, you know, uh, of course, you, you really have to be around the age of 55 or 60 to really appreciate the old-time movies, that, whereas, uh, as you said before, Mr. Morris, you had a captive audience. You mean radio, not movies. Uh, well, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. But you had well, you know, I would think that normally, and we remember when they were all live, but so many millions hear them now on tapes. It's a big thing. Yeah. True, yeah. but I think somehow or other the uh, the spirit is not quite as alive as it was when we were kids because we didn't have all the various things that the kids have to distract them. Uh, they uh, it, It's sort of like a fleeting... It, it might hold interest for them, but uh, it was repetitious with us, and we lived with it. And it was a wonderful thing that the... Uh, that the writers and the creators like Mr. Morse uh, helped instill the uh, creativity and the imagination of us growing up. And uh, there were no dirty words or anything like that. It was always, uh, it was always of the highest moral uh, uh, content. And that certainly helped uh, uh, formulate the uh, character of the American uh, listening public. Oh, yes. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you, the networks kept a pretty strict uh, censorship over uh, all scripts. Mm -hmm. Everything had to go through a very grueling test before it was allowed to go on the air in those days. Right. and I should, Very different than today. Right. I should imagine that even the uh, creative artists such as yourself are probably your own best uh, uh, judge or uh, critic. Yeah. Uh, in order, in order to have your scripts accepted with, with the least amount of comeback on it, after putting all that work into it, while you, you okay. made sure that you adhered to the best policies uh, of the times. Surely. So. All right. Thank you very much, right. Hank. Uh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure speaking uh, right. to all of you. Now, uh, when you created One Man's Family, you you certainly didn't have all of the characters that you had later on. No. They came along later as, as the family grew, right? That's right. 
Yeah. So, just, so just everybody grew up with one man's family, and okay. after a while there was some offspring, and you had Jack, and uh, and then uh, who were the Hank and Pinky, and that's right. Well, for instance, Jack uh, was 11 or 12 years old when the show started. Uh, then he grew up and uh, married and had uh, uh, triplets <laughs> and uh, and was at war. I mean, they, they just naturally grew and grew, uh, very often grew out of the picture because they... It all started with Henry and uh, Fanny Barber who had five uh, children, right? And they were Paul. Yes. He's the oldest, then Hazel. Yeah. And then Clifford and Claudia were twins. Mm -hmm. Jack the and baby. Jack was a baby. Yeah. 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 And uh, why did you call him Father Barber? Why did, why, why did you call him Father Barber? I mean, uh, it, it was, it, that was, you know, I, he was father, but he was just Father Barber. Yeah, well... Not uh, Barber, but Father Barber. Yes, that's right. Uh, he dominated the family. Uh... Uh, his, today, uh, today the uh, the feminists would call that male chauvinist pigs. You know that. Uh, I know. Uh, <laughs> but Fanny was smarter than he was, and she let him think that he was dominating the family, but he never did. And therefore, I won the hearts of the women because <laughs> they understood that you got to let a man get away with a lot of things just simply because... Uh, uh, that's the way the world was at that, in those days. But uh, So they, you were way ahead of uh, Gloria Steinem, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> My guest, the one and only Carlton E. Morse, along with the announcer for I Love a Mystery, Dresser Dahlstead. I Love a Mystery, one of the truly greats, and as far as one man's family, the longest-running serial drama in American radio. That's right. I'm Ray Bream. This is Talk Radio 79, KABC. You know the danger signals of cancer? A lump in the breast or under the arm? Any abrupt change in bowel habits or a water mole that begins to change rapidly? Many cancers can be cured if they're discovered in time. Now don't wait. Don't put it off. Call the Cancer Detection Center today at 483-3411. Fight back against cancer. The Cancer Detection Center is a screening center that does only diagnostic examinations. Now, you can give yourself priceless peace of mind by getting a yearly physical checkup for cancer. Remember, many cancers can be cured if they're discovered early enough. But don't put it off. See your doctor or call the Cancer Detection Center. That's at 303 South Loma Drive in Los Angeles. The Cancer Detection Center in Los Angeles. Make an appointment. The number is 483-3411. 484-3411. If you or someone you love is afraid of living alone due to age or serious medical problems, get your pencils ready because Vital Link is the life-saving system that instantly summons emergency medical aid when you need it most. When you're alone and helpless and unable to reach the phone for help, the heart of the Vital Link life-saving system is a tiny jewelry-sized pendant that you wear around your neck. Now, when you're in trouble, within 300 feet of your home, you simply squeeze the buttons on the pendant. In seconds, the Vitalink Central Station knows of your emergency. Instantly, the ambulance is notified and help is on the way. 
Having the vital link in your home is like having a 24-hour live-in nurse and bodyguard. Never be alone again. Give you and your family peace of mind. Call Vital Link after 9 this morning at 1-800-482-2020. That's 1-800-482-2020. The number again, 1-800-482-2020. Opinion, usually sincere, often diametrically opposed, controversial. And I'm Ken Menyard reminding you that we have just that all this week between 9 and 10 in the morning. Join us for this totally different view of the world. Bruce Hershenson, the conservative view. Murray Frompson, the liberal view. It's a matter of opinion, voiced by two respected and informed spokesmen and you. A matter of opinion. What's right, what's left, and what's wrong with what's going on. All this week on Talk Radio 79. The great Carlton E. Morse is with us, along with uh, the announcer for I Love a Mystery, Dresser Dahlstead. Carlton... Did you ever have any uh, flaps with the network brass? In other words, did they ever want to interfere in your program? I was very, very lucky. I, <clears throat> I, I got it in the early days before the networks uh, became so uh, powerful. Really uh, knew what they were doing. As a matter of fact, <laughs> when I began writing for uh, radio, there was no. Nobody had any idea about writing. Uh, they would uh, uh, send stuff out from New York, and and uh, uh, that's how I got into uh, into the NBC to start with. That was in San Francisco, uh, right? San Francisco. Uh, they said, "Well, c uh, could you?" They gave me a couple of scripts from New York, and they said. Well, could you fix these up so that they would work? And, uh, and We won't uh, tell New York about that. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, in those early days, that's uh, how it was. Everybody was uh, could do anything he wanted to do. And fortunately, I did the right thing. That was, <laughs> you certainly <laughs> did do the right thing. Yeah. What a run. Yeah. Uh, the last uh, broadcast was Chapter 30 of Book 134. Uh, you remember that? No, I you don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, I, do, I do remember one thing that was kind of funny, I thought. I heard the show had been on 27 years, and NBC asked me, uh, could I bring the thing to a, a conclusion so that everybody would be happy? Everybody. <laughs> so, so did you do that? I didn't even attempt it. I said, you're crazy. Forget <laughs> <laughs> <Did> it. <laughs> Hello, Lolly. You're on Talk Radio with Carlton E. Morris. Ray, I want to thank you for a most interesting program. Thank I'm you. I'm just enthralled. Carlton E. Morris, a household word in our home. I first heard you on a cat whisker radio my brother built on an oatmeal box. <laughs> we used to sit and look at our at water camp, and I never missed one one man's family. I knew Mother and Father Barbara personally and for sure, Betty and Jack and Clifford. I once heard that Tony Randall was Clifford. Is that true? Uh, no, he was not. Uh, Tony Randall played uh, in both I Love a Mystery uh, on the second uh, run-through, and uh, he played... Uh, Claudia's 
boyfriend in in the one man's family on television. Who played Paul? I fell so madly in love. Michael Raffetto. What a gorgeous voice. He certainly had. I sent for the book. I have it here. A little small book. One man's family with all their pictures. Yes. Hazel and all of them during the, I think that was in the 30s. Yes. Yes, it started. The show started in 32. 32. Well, that's uh, when I sent for the book on them, and I've got it, and I read it, and I, I dearly love it. This is a really a, just a treat for talking to such an institution. Thank well, you. Thank you, Lolly. And I'm anxious to hear the sound effect man you promised me. <laughs> we'll do it sometime. <laughs> All right. Hello there, Seymour. You're on talk radio with Carlton E. Morse and Dresser Dahlstedt. Yes, I'd like to ask you a question on programming that nobody seems to remember. It seems we've all listened to exactly the same programs, including, of course, I Love a Mystery. But what I don't remember is, were we switching channels, and, or rather stations, and what was on the competing station? It, it, it seems there was no competition in those days against the programs we all listened to. Well, they had their shows, but you just weren't listening. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> true. No, I have no idea what we were up against at all. Okay, thank you. Uh -huh. All right, thank you. And let's say hello to Patricia. Hello, Patricia. Hello there. You're on with Carlton E. Morse. Mr. Morse, I must tell you something. My whole life, I've, I just have... You know, wanted to say to you personally that I appreciate your show so much. I grew up with one man's family. I was born in 1926, and I grew up with one man's family. They were they were a second family to me. I just adored them. And Hazel was was an inspiration to me always. I thought she was such a dear. Yes. And I have your books. I have One Man's Family Looks at Life, and I have Teddy's Diary and Jack's Scrapbook. <laughs> You're just wonderful, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just adore them. I tell you, we well, I mean, Christmas was be Christmas without spending it with one man's family. And I, I say God bless you and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Mm -hmm. And let's say hello to Virginia. Hello, Virginia. You're on Talk Radio with Carlton E. Morse. Hello, Ray. Hi. Mr. Morse. Hello. Hello, honey. Hello. Isn't that what Clifford used to say? Yes. Hello. Yeah. Hello. hello. <laughs> Mr. Morse, I want to ask you, didn't you also write Point Sublime? No. I did not. Did. No, I don't know. I don't know uh, the show. And all the characters were, uh, their their last names were sort of uh, named places in Northern California. Uh huh. I don't and know. Kept played Charlie Weaver, and then there was an, another character called Evelyn Hanover, uh -huh. Pliny, and Howie. I'm sure you wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> I might have done it in my sleep. I don't remember. It, <laughs> it was uh, supposed to be like in Northern California. It was a country store. Uh -huh. And Chris Marquette was Charlie Weaver. No, I don't know it at all. Okay, Virginia. I, I was so sure that was yours. You know, it's been so long ago. It was back in the uh, late 30s or early 40s. Mm. Yeah. Well, you're forgiven. All right, Virginia. Thank you very much. Uh, you did your work at night, is that right? I did. You did your work at night, writing? At 4 o'clock in the morning. 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Why, why 4 o'clock, uh, Carlton? <clears throat> because then I was completely alone. I was, uh, no telephone calls. Everybody was asleep except me. And those beautiful hours uh, just produced uh, creative 
See, I was born on a ranch, and I milked cows at 4 o'clock in the morning when I was a small boy. <laughs> and you, it never got out I of your system. I never got out of the 4 o'clock habit. Uh-huh. Ray, we used to come to work at NBC, and uh, Carlton was stuck away up in a little cubby hole up on the second floor there. And we'd check in 9, 9.15 or so. By the time we got there, he was I all had through. Show all done. He'd had day's work all done, so we'd check in, and then the bunch of us was all take off and have coffee. But we had to go back to work all day long, and he was through. I was through till the <coughs> rehearsal time for the shows, yeah. When would you start rehearsal? Uh, we usually started uh, about three or four hours <coughs> We got, uh, the cast had been together so long uh, that all you had to do was give the scripts to them the night before. They would come almost letter perfect. It was just a matter of uh, timing. We cut out a few lines for time and uh, to rehearse with the uh, sound effects to make them work. But just one run through uh, and these people were, the characters were just, normal and uh, I guess one of the big things is getting the sound effects right yeah that yeah. was that yeah. was true and timing yeah right mm -hmm. that's one of the big things is timing you you had to know where to cut and uh, time the shows <laughs> you you couldn't run longer you would have no ending for that <laughs> I, I remember in the early days there was a uh, a director I can't think of his name but he never was able to time his script. Uh, so we'd get towards the end of a dramatic show, and he would run into the studio with a pencil and start marking people's <laughs> scripts. <laughs> really wonderful. Uh, the confusion was complete, not only for the, uh, for the cast, but for the listener. Well, I, I've got to say one thing, Carlton E. Morris. I... Uh, I was a kid, and I, I heard all of this long before I decided I wanted to be in the broadcast business, but I kept saying to myself, boy, that Carlton E. Morse, he must be some guy. And little did I know that one day I'd be right across the microphones looking and talking with the great Carlton E. Morse. It's uh, been quite an experience, I've got to tell you that. Thank you. I don't deserve all that. but Sure you, you do. One of the, uh, the, the greats of the broadcast business. There's no one greater as far as I'm concerned. The uh, man who came up with I Love a Mystery and One Man's Family, the longest-running serial drama in American radio, Carlton E. Morse. I'm Ray Bream. This is Talk Radio 79, KABC, Los Angeles. You know, people keep asking us, what makes the Oric XL such a fantastic vacuum cleaner? Well, its greatest feature by far is its lightweight. It weighs less than 8 pounds, so it's easy to carry up and down stairs. The Oric XL has been used for many years by major hotels because the maids needed a vacuum that would be easy to push and lift all day. And wait till you see the way they've designed the bag. You see, most upright vacuum cleaners have the bag on the back, making it hard to vacuum underneath the beds and other furniture. The Oric has the bag on the front, so you can lower the handle parallel to the floor without dragging the bag. Right now, the Oric lightweight vacuum is specially priced at $218, a savings of $67. Now, to find the dealer nearest you, call Valley Vacuum Center in Pasadena, area code 818-793-7839. That's 818-793-7839. Or if you're in the Costa Mesa area, call House of Vacuum, 714-624-5221. 
One of the most famous cheeses in the world is Gouda, made in Holland. Gouda takes its name from a little town in Holland where it's been made since the Middle Ages. This is Joe Colomb of Trader Joe's. The problem is that Gouda is expensive, usually more than $5 a pound. The reason why it's so expensive is that the American government limits the imports of Gouda just like it limits the imports of most cheeses. In other words, cheese has all the same protectionist issues and arguments as automobiles. Trader Joe, however, found an importer of Gouda who needed to sell his cheese quickly. We bought nine tons of Gouda at a cost so low that we can sell it for only $1.99 per pound. This is the lowest price we have ever seen, and we doubt that we will find a good deal like this again on Gouda. There are 23 Trader Joe's scattered around, including one in Sherman Oaks at Riverside Drive and Hazeltine. Thanks for listening. So, burning the old midnight oil, huh? Yeah, and I've just about run out of oil. Yeah, I'm kind of experiencing a fuel shortage myself. Hey, what would you say if I offered to take you to dinner? I'd say you're trying to pick me up. What? If, if you insist. <laughs> I see. Well, what are you in the mood for? Gee, it's awfully forward of you, isn't it? In a restaurant. Oh, yeah, in a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, well, someplace casual, but still nice. Like Sizzler? Uh -huh. On a weeknight? Why not? Oh, well, I guess I just never thought about Sizzler on a weeknight. Well, start thinking. Okay, I'm thinking. You're at Sizzler relaxing. Relaxing? It's You're just... enjoying a steak, mm -hmm. seafood, salad. Oh, that sounds great. Maybe sipping on a glass of wine. I can see it now. And then after we finish dinner, we walk yeah. out of Sizzler into the cool evening air. And, uh -huh. and you try to take advantage of me. What? Please. <laughs> Please. Come to Sizzler this week and enjoy a thick, juicy steak and all the fried shrimp you can eat for only $7.99 at all participating Sizzlers in the greater Los Angeles area. KABC Los Angeles. Talk Radio, AM 79. From ABC News, I'm Joe Vaughn. The sticky issue of the MX missile makes it to the floor of the Senate today. President Reagan has become personally involved in trying to sell MX to the senators as a bargaining chip in the Geneva arms control talks with the Soviets. He did some of the lobbying from the air yesterday on the flight back from Canada. ABC's Vic Ratner reports. The president worked the phone from Air Force One yesterday, and he'll be making his pitch in person before Republican members of the Senate at the Capitol this afternoon. And the results of his personal lobbying are beginning to show. Loyalist Barry Goldwater is voting yes, despite his doubts. Abner of South Dakota said he will vote for the MX. So did Zerinsky of Nebraska. The complicated parliamentary situation requires two votes in the Senate, two more in the House, to free up one and a half billion dollars for the production of 21 MX missiles. Vice President Bush will be on hand just in case his tie-breaking vote is needed, as it was last year. Vic Ratner, ABC News, Washington. I'll have more after this. Well, here we are. Gee, um, thanks, Steve. I, I had a wonderful time. Yeah, me too. Uh, can I come in for a minute? Well, uh, uh, you know, um, it's almost 11 o'clock. Oh, yeah, but... And uh, I've got to get up really early tomorrow, so uh, good night. Talk about a brush-off. You'd think I had bad breath or something. That something could be halitosis, bad breath odor, and it can keep coming back. Halitosis, a very real condition. Today you want Lavoris to fight even recurring bad breath not due to illness. Lavoris mouthwash. Lavoris with three cleansing stages. One, Lavoris freshens instantly.
Two, Lavoris contains zinc chloride to neutralize bad breath vapors. And three, to protect breath for hours. Lavoris mouthwash. Well, good night, Jan. Hey, uh, aren't you going to come in for a cup of coffee? Sure, thanks. And thanks, Lavoris. You don't need bad breath that keeps coming back. Lavoris mouthwash. It fights halitosis. Members of the Ohio Senate have put off until this afternoon any further consideration of proposed legislation which would get state chartered savings and loans back in business. The Republican-controlled Senate is resisting Governor Richard Celeste's moves to require the SNLs to obtain federal deposit insurance before reopening their doors. The Republicans are holding out for language that would give the lending institutions some choice in the matter. In what would be a $3.5 billion transaction, Capital Cities Communications has made a bid to take over ABC. Executives of both companies appeared together in New York yesterday to support what was called a friendly takeover bid. Both companies said there would be no attempt to change ABC's news or entertainment programming. To Ray Bremanter. Thoughts and ideas are always welcome right here on Talk Radio. It's the place where you'll hear one-of-a-kind two-way conversations filled with information and provocative ideas. Talk Radio is entertainment in its purest form. Talk Radio is... Ray Bream! That's me, and hi, everyone. Well, we're going to uh, forget about the downing of the Korean plane this hour. We're not going to talk about anything else except we're going to do some reminiscing. Talk about radio the halcyon days, that golden age of broadcasting. And my guest is a man who contributed so much to radio. In fact, radio and Del Sharbot grew up together. The two are synonymous. When you think of radio, you think of one of the great all-time announcers, Del Sharbot. Wish I had a voice like yours, Del. <laughs> Del, how are you feeling? Mm, good. That's what I thought you'd say. <laughs> of course, you were the voice of Campbell Soup's how many years? About 16 or 17 years, Ray. And uh, How did that come about? Well, I was uh, I was the new man on the staff there at CBS. You know, we had a great staff of uh, guys. Andre Baruch and Ken Roberts and David Ross. Oh, there was the guy with the Port's Gold voice. Paul Douglas, Harry Von Zell. Uh, just for starters, and, and here I was you know, practically the new kid on the block. Ralph Edwards was there, too. Ralph came along. Ralph took the job when I left. Really? Yeah. When I went freelance, uh, I told Ralph about it. We were doing a recording session. I said, you want a job? And he says, hell yes. And so he went over to CBS and went right to work for him. Uh, but I was I was doing lots of, not lots, many programs uh, for CBS. They were all of a sudden were being sponsored. You know, in those early days, he used to be sustaining a great deal. Uh, we, For instance, we had three bands. We had a morning band, and we had an afternoon band, and had a night band. And the morning band consisted of 12 very talented guys, with, all with different conductors. And so we'd go from 8 to 9, let's say, would be the instrumentalists. And uh, they would they, they were great uh, guys at improvisation. They'd read a stock arrangement, and they'd kick it off. These, these were studio musicians, yes, studio, studio, studio musicians. orchestras. This is all yeah. for, this is sustaining, uh -huh. no sponsors. Uh -huh. At the end of the time, <clears throat> we'd break for, uh, for a cue. 
This is uh, the CBS Columbia Broadcasting System. And then uh, the second hour from 9 to 10, they would be called the Southern Airs, same musicians. <laughs> and then from 10 to 11, they'd be called something else. And from 11 to 12, they were something else, you know. We're working. They're blowing all the time. They really earn their money. Okay, you went freelance, and <clears throat> when did you land the Campbell Soup account? Well, uh, I got a call one day from a fellow named Ward Wheelock, who was the president of uh, the advertising agency. It was sort of the house agency for Campbell Soup down in Philadelphia. And he said, we've been listening to you down here. We want you to be the exclusive announcer, spokesman for the Campbell Soup Company. And I said, well, that's very flattering. I can't be exclusive. However, I don't have any food accounts, but because I've got some sponsors that have taken have faith in me as a freshman in this business, I hope to be around for a while. I want to honor those countries. He says, well, that's what I meant. When those run out, then we can make an exclusive arrangement. But you don't have any food accounts? No. Well, why don't you meet with me for lunch and uh, at 21 and said, we'll sit down and, and uh, talk it out. And I said, fine. I met the man, and he was a big, imposing kind of a fella and uh, full of beans, you know. And he said, well, let's get drunk and talk money. <clears throat> I said, well, I can't do that. I got more work to do, I guess, to do today. But um, there's something I'd rather talk about first before we talk about money. And looking back on this, you know, I had to be absolutely insane besides being young. I said, it's about your copy. It's pedantic. It's sterile. Sounds like it's written by a retired Harvard English professor. Now, I have nothing against retired Harvard English professors, except it doesn't sound the way that people talk. And I got a stir out of him, all right. Here's the most successful soup company in the world. Who is this fresh guy coming in here? I said, <clears throat> i tell you. All I can tell you is the average... Uh, I came from a middle-class family in Texas. Average man comes home from work, throws his piano and his hat on the piano, the chair, follows his nose out to the kitchen, his wife's fixing supper. He lifts a pot lid or two and he smells and it smells good. He gives her a friendly pat on the backside and says, Mmm, -hmm, smells good. Now those two grunts were satisfaction, you see. Mm -hmm. And I said, just replace that second grunt with the word good. And you have, mmm, good. And I said, then you have uh, an attitude of something good to eat, which is what you make. And he literally fell off the chair. And he said, can you come down to Camden to um, tell Mr. Darnes and the rest of the board that? And I said, well, you tell him. He said, no, I want you to do it. And I had to go down there and do it in this very austere dining room down there. And I told him the same thing. And Mr. Darnes slapped me on the knee and says, bully. <laughs> <laughs> And that was the start of it. I had a wonderful relationship with him. Uh, you probably I'm... sold more more soup. I think Del Charbot sold more soup than any 15 announcers after that. I had more to, darn fun because they were a great company to work for. They allowed me to ad lib. Uh, they trusted me. In and the in the great days of radio, that was a, that was something. In those that days, was something. network radio, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yes, sure. sir. Yeah. But they 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 trusted me, and and we we had a ball. Uh, I was the first thing I did for them was uh, um, the uh, Lanny Ross show five nights well. week, and then they just Franco American Spaghetti, right? And then they uh, said, "Hey, uh, we want you to go out to the West Coast because we're going to we bought Amos and Andy." And I said, "Wait a minute, Bill Hay is their guy. That's the part of the act." Mm -hmm. 
Bill Hay is going to retire. I said, at whose request? Because <laughs> I said, I don't want to replace Bill Hay. He's to me, is a part of, you know, the Americana in broadcasting. If I could hear from him, uh, you know, that he's going to retire, then that's fine. And I did hear from him. I heard from, from the two guys, both uh, Freeman and uh, Charlie. And they said, we'd be delighted to have you. And I went out to the West Coast, and I did Amos and Andy. And I did some other shows for Campbell while I was out there. All right. You started in radio in what year? I started actually in 1929. I did some shows while I was still in college. But I settled down to, uh, after I'd done some, <clears throat> some uh, of my minor league work, and the, a couple of the managers said, you ought to take this business seriously. Said it's going to be a big business one day. And I went to New York in 1934. And I auditioned one day at CBS, and the next day I went to work for CBS. And I found out the next day there were 44 guys trying for that same job. And I said, you're crazy to be here. It just can't be happening. But it was happening, and I never looked back. I enjoyed my years in radio. You had an association with uh, the... Uh Lucky Strike people, you did uh, the uh, hit parade for several years. Uh, first, I think, it was Andre Baruch who did the hit parade, right? Uh, Warren Hull did the first one. Uh, well, I think a, a fellow named Johnny Murray from out on the West Coast was hired for the very first one. And then he was replaced by Warren Hull, and I think Andre Baruch then replaced Warren Hull. Uh -huh. And uh, somewhere along the line, I came into the picture when Sinatra was with them, and uh, a girl named Joan Edwards was uh, the girl singer, uh -huh. and Mark Warnell from his orchestra. And I had had quite a relationship uh, with Mr. George Washington Hill, who was the big man of American Tobacco. He's, he was a great character, probably one of the sharpest advertising men that ever came along the pike. I want to get back to that in a minute, but let's uh, turn on the magic <coughs> time machine. I'll tell you what, we'll try and recreate that sound a little bit here. Let's see if we can't tune it into, say... 1947. How does that sound? That was, a, that was a pretty good year. All right, let's see. Uh, it went something like this. Uh, LSMFT, lucky strike means fine tobacco. <laughs> so round, so firm, so fully packed, so easy on the draw. From Hollywood, Lucky Strike presents your hit parade with Mark Warnold, the Lucky Strike Orchestra, Lynn Murray, the Hit Paraders, and starring Andy Russell with Beryl Davis and our special guest stars, the Andrews Sisters. tonight is Andy Russell with Lucky 7. Number 7 on the survey, a gal in calico. Oh, well, that dates it does some memories, oh boy. <laughs> well, you know, that was one of the truly great shows of radio. There was it nothing sure quite was. like the hit parade. That was a part of the history of radio. It sure was. You know? When it left the air, uh, I was saddened because uh, there was a part of radio that left it. It, it, ra uh, it left rather early because of television. Right. Do you, did you ever hear some other shows that uh, George Hill sponsored? One was the best tunes of all go to Carnegie Hall. No. <laughs> no, I didn't hear that. Big orchestra? 
We had some, he got some old-time vaudeville singers, you know, to sing uh, uh, the real old-time songs. And so he liked old-time songs, and so we, he hired Carnegie Hall, and we put the broadcast on from Carnegie Hall. We're going to get back to um, <laughs> Mystery Hill here in just a moment. My guest, the one and only Del Charbet. Public television has great news. What? New tote bags? Be serious. Welcome to Bob Crosby's Club 15, transcribed. 15 minutes of the best in popular music. Starring each week, Joe Stafford, Giselle McKenzie, The Modern Airs, and Jerry Gray's Orchestra. Brought to you by Campbell Soups. And here's the head man of Club 15, Bob Crosby. Hello, everyone. Well, that's the way it went. That was another great show. That was on for how many years? Oh, golly, that was on for four or five years, and uh, what a mess of talent we had oh, on that yeah. show. We had, had Bob and Jerry Gray's band, they, they mentioned they had nine musicians, and they were all just the tops of musicians, played with all the big bands, and they could cut anything, you know. They were just terrific, and they all doubled on two or three instruments. And then we had not only the Modern Airs, but we had the Andrews Sisters, and we had uh, Margaret Whiting, sang with, and uh, Joe Stafford, and brought a girl down from Canada named Giselle McKenzie. Oh, what a raft of talent we had on that little 15-minute show, and it was a, just a delight to do. You know, we were talking about the hit parade a minute ago. Um, Andre Bruch and B. Wayne have uh, got the rights to redo the hit right. parade, and they're doing that in syndication all across the country. Great. And, uh, you know, they have the original records that they're doing, and it's sensational. Terrific talent, uh, both of them, and uh, B. Of course, there was nobody could sing... Uh, Deep Purple and, and some of the Larry Clinton. That's right. And just very talented people. And I'm delighted that somebody's keeping this alive because I think it's a, you know still is a, a great nostalgia bit. Well, it's part of Americana. It was yeah, how long was the hit parade on the air? Any idea? You know, I haven't any idea. All told, all together, including the the uh, uh, the television. I did one television series. <laughs> they decided to come out with a new cigarette called Hit Parade, oddly enough. <laughs> the worst cigarette that ever was made. <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> they, they spent a lot of money, and it went on, I think, for a full season, and uh, the cigarette flopped, and that, that was the end of that. If you're an old-time radio buff, you better get in now, because my guest is a man who is synonymous with uh, <clears throat> the golden age of broadcasting, Mr. Del Charbot. You've probably got the... The lowest voice in radio. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anybody has a lower voice. He, Tony Marvin, he can't touch it. Tony Marvin came along a little bit later, and David Ross, bless his heart, was uh, just a delightful man. He was already a veteran on the staff when I came there. And the, occasionally, the three of us would get on the elevator at the same time, and the, the operator would look around and say, which one is going to say what? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back, and we're going to talk about... Oh, guess I've got a special call coming up here. Stand by, because Andre Baruch is on the phone. Oh, How about no that? We're not asking for a handout, just a No one can do it alone. Give to the United Negro College Fund. A mine is a terrible thing to waste. A public service of this station and the Ant Council. 
My guest is veteran network radio announcer Del Char. I should say Del Charbid. I can't get down that. <laughs> can't do it. Um, but I was thinking of some of the uh, names that were really household names during the Halcyon days of radio. Everybody knew these names. They became part of the act. That's true, and and of course you had, didn't have pictures then, so you, yeah. everybody had to make up their minds what these people looked like. Anybody who tuned in Jack Benny certainly knew of Don Wilson. Right. Was a part of the act. Right. right. It, that's not the way it is in television today. I can think of only one who's part of the act, and that's Ed McMahon. Yes, and and, and I guess that that is the most striking example of the announcer uh, star relationship yeah. there. Uh, but everybody knew these uh, names. Let me go over a few, and I've left a lot out, but I just uh, scribbled down some. Ford Bond. Oh, my God, yes. I'm Marvin good. Miller. Uh, Bill Hay. David Ross, you mentioned. Rod O'Connor. Tony Marvin. Don Wilson. Ken Niles. Ben Grower. Pierre Andre, out of Chicago. Ah, uh, yes. Wendell Niles. Ken Carpenter. All those years with Bing Crosby and Kraft. Uh, Harry Von Zell, bless him. What a great guy he was. Uh, Derwood Kirby, Art Gilmore, Jimmy Wallington, the late Jimmy Wallington, and of course, the man who's on the phone right now, Andre Baruch. Andre, how are you? Just fine. Listen, I'd like to talk to that boy soprano. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, how are you? Just marvelous. <laughs> oh, you know what? I haven't seen you since we had the, the Pioneer Broadcasters thing out at uh, Sportsman's Lodge. And I got such a kick out of that, getting to see a lot of those people there together again, see you and B, well, and, and meet your kids. Listen, you know, one of the things I recall most when you talk about deep voices in the elevator, I was afraid to get in the elevator with you, Von Zell, and David Ross. Because the voices were so deep, I was sure the bottom of the elevator would suddenly drop out, and I would find myself in the pit of 485 Madison Avenue, which was then the, uh, the home of CBS. But we had a great staff, if you remember, Dale. Uh, you and Ken Roberts, Ralph Edwards, Mel Allen, Frank Gallup, Harry Von Zell, David Ross, Norman Brokenshire. Oh, using we Norman Brokenshire, right, right. But, Ray, you must know something about Dell and myself. We were great competitors. I don't know if you knew that. No, I, I didn't don't know mean that. at the microphone. Although, Dell has that all wrong, the LSMFT. It's not what he said it was. It's let's stand. My fanny's tired. <laughs> but actually, we were great competitors athletically. Right. I don't know if you knew that, Ray. No, I didn't. What, what are we talking about? Well, Golf? Dell is, Dell is a fine athlete, or certainly was, and I think he's still in very good condition. Well, we used to play golf, and we fought across golf courses all up and down the East Coast. And uh, the battles were fierce. But fiercer than that was in table tennis. There was a, a, a ping-pong table at CBS, and all the announcers in the announcers' lounge used to play. But I guess the biggest battles were between Dell and myself, which ended up in a championship match at the Roosevelt Grill, where Guy Lombardo held <laughs> sway, and they had this big tournament between Dell and myself. We were the finalists. And all the people who came there to dance had to watch this table <laughs> match between Dell and myself. Do you remember that, Dell? I sure do. I, I sure do, Andre. I remember, you remember the lights were bad because they had them on, you know, low for the, the dance music people to dance by. And we said, can you turn up the lights a little bit? Because we can't see the ball. And they turned them up just a little bit, but you and I paid no attention. We ran at it. 
uh, tooth and toenail. Uh, th those were wonderful days, uh, Andy. I also remember some wonderful times we used to have up there, little announcer's booth on the 23rd floor, 45 oh, yeah. Madison Avenue. We played poker up there, you know. And every now and then, that was a standby. Somebody had to be standby. So the other guys go, we'd all have a poker game up there. And say, hold it. Say, how many cards do you have? Say, shh. And WABC New York, that was what it was at that time. It was the CBS. But, uh, Andrew, uh, Andre, I think that uh, you would I know um, that I, I certainly feel that uh, we had a bunch of guys there. They were, they were compatible. They were competitive, but they had a hell of a lot of talent. But they were also individual. I think you were discussing that before. Right. There wasn't one announcer on the staff who sounded like somebody else. Nobody sounded like Del Charbon or Ken Roberts or Frank Gallup or, or whomever. Or Andre Baruch. Or Andre Baruch. Well, we all had different styles. The difference, of course, in those days was the fact that we announced our names several hundred times a week. <laughs> right. Every little sustaining show, every commercial show. I recall one of the first uh, network shows with David Ross, and I was introducing David. Ladies and gentlemen, from coast to coast, here in such and such a program, and here's your announcer, David Ross. And David said, thank you very much, Andre Baruch. Don't mention it, David Ross. I'm happy to have you here. Thank you, Andre. <laughs> because we were going coast to coast. Well, when you consider all the soap operas that all of us did, and all, you know, just plain Bill and, oh. and shows like that. I don't oh, know yeah. which ones you did, Bill, but... Uh, <laughs> Andre, hold on a second. Martin Marge. We've got Andre Baruch on the phone and my in-studio guest, Del Sharvitz. Yes, Andre. Dell? Yes, Andre. What were some of your big mistakes? Well, I remember one, speaking of uh, Guy Lombardo, I used to do one of Bond Bread. Remember a Sunday afternoon? We did it down one of the CBS theaters. Mm -hmm. And it was a very simple little show. And just uh, the, the Carmen used to get up in that quavery voice and sing his little songs, and, and the band would play. They were, I don't mean to down, they were great guys. And I was supposed to say, middle of the summertime, now your kids are out playing, then they come in, why don't you fix them, I was going to say, you know, a sandwich with bond bread and a tall, cool glass of milk, and it didn't come out that way, and I said, a sandwich made of this wonderful bond bread and a call tool uh, <laughs> and, a, and a grawl tool, uh, I said, oh, give them some milk. And, well, I and I thought I was fired right then and there. I must tell you, Dale, that I preceded you with bond bread with a show called Frank Crummett and Julius Sanderson. Oh, yes. And I once dashed from the golf course to that program, arriving just in time to do the show. And uh, I didn't do much timing. When we got to the end of the program, they were giving me the finger, you know, whirling it around, telling me to speed up, as they usually do, not leaving time for the announcer. Right. And I speeded up the final commercial and read, So, friends, don't forget, get the breast in bed, you... <laughs> <laughs> the classic, you... <laughs> I thought I was fired on that job. But I guess all of us, Dell, made mistakes because we were live. Oh, we yes. Um, tape everything. This is something people don't realize today. And also... When in the commercial shows, we had to do them twice, not just once. We had to do them once for the West Coast and once for the East Coast, you see. 
Uh, I must uh, ad admit that a lot of the shows, and Andre, I think you'll back me up on this, were a lot livelier than late repeat shows for the West Coast. <laughs> for obvious reasons, we were all so relaxed. <laughs> That's it. Yes. <laughs> Everybody uh, had a lot of soda in between. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Dale, how is uh, Mary Dale? Mary Bell is fine. That's good. And uh, you mentioned Mary Dell. That's my Mary, daughter, by the way. Mary she, Dell and your son, she's, Jay, who we're very proud of. Yes, well, thank you. Uh, Mary Dell uh, has been visiting us, and her husband is a captain of the Navy. They're from Norfolk, Virginia, and we've had a wonderful time. It, it doesn't seem possible, but, uh, Andre, I've got three grown grandchildren, 23, 20, and 18. Your grandchildren? My grandchildren. Well, you're obviously much older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got uh, my my older boy finally produced, Jay, you know, who's uh, he's the drama critic for the yeah. Associated Press in New York. He's got a darling little daughter uh, named Julie Christine, and that's my newest grandchild. She's only a year old. And my youngest son, Bill, also works in New York City down on Wall Street. But I can't, you know, I can't believe it. Uh, I, I, I know I'm uh, pushing 72, but I look at those kids, and I say, I, I say, it's not possible. But I love them all. <laughs> Andre, thanks for checking in. How's the show going? Oh, the hit parade's doing just great. It's all across the country, as you know, and as you mentioned, and I thank you. And B and I both send our very best, and perhaps we can get together soon. We're going to do it. Will That's you say best. hi to B for me? I sure will, and my best to Mary. Thank, thank you, Andre. Good night. There's one of the uh, classic uh, announcers. What sure is. Andre Baruch. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Brain. Uh, I was just thinking here, Adele, that um, uh, a lot of younger people don't remember network radio because they weren't around. That's right. And they missed. They missed so much, really. And, and you know, I think that's why there is uh, such a sort of a almost a cult uh, of, of uh, an underground with, with old radio shows that they collect. You know, they, they publish lists and they exchange them and things like that. Well, I tell you, those days, and I'll speak selfishly, really were so exciting because it was the big band era, and I was, uh, and by the way, did you know Andre played damn good piano? No, he, but he, I didn't know that, but I understood that uh, you also played. Well, uh, badly, but I, I played other instruments. Listen, I looked it up, and you're a member of ASCAP. <laughs> well, that's true, but I played saxophone, clarinet, and, and mm. uh, then later... Studied, and you wrote some music. Studied organ, and I wrote quite a lot of music. But uh, Andre and I and the rest of those guys we mentioned, we lived in a remarkable era because it was the start of the swing era. And we'd go out to the various hotels and, and announce the greatest bands in the history of, you know, right. of music. And uh, it just thrilled me. I hear some of these fine musicians, and a lot of them... Uh, we knew as sidemen before they had their own bands, like the Dorsey Brothers, and then they sure. split up into Tommy and Jimmy. Jerry Gray. And Jerry Gray, and uh, an interesting story about Ray Noble. I was working for Coca-Cola then. I was doing uh, several shows for them, and they wanted to bring over Ray Noble because his records were very popular in this country, and he was in the English band. Well, Mr. Petrillo, the uh, czar of the music union, said, nope, you can't come over here. You can bring his drummer, and a singer. And so here they're stuck. But the, uh, the Coca-Cola company wanted the Ray, uh, wanted uh, the Ray Noble sound. 
So they got a hold of a guy to assemble the musicians to write the arrangements that would sound exactly like the Ray Noble hits in this country. And lo and behold, we had Ray Noble and his orchestra in America on the air for Coca-Cola. And who do you think was the guy that assembled the musicians and wrote the arrangements? You did. And played in the band? No. Glenn Miller. Yes, that's right. Glenn Miller played in the band, wrote the arrangements, assembled the musicians, and then later started his own band. All right. Uh, you're most identified with the Campbell Soup people. You had a great uh, run with Campbell Soups. How many years? It's about uh, 16 or 17 years. I forget exactly. All right. Now, again, you, in many situations, worked yourself into the dialogue of uh, the show. Now, we, we have an excerpt from Club 15, and Joe Stafford was the star. Oh, bless uh, her among, heart. among so many others. Such a talent. Indeed. Boy. What a voice. Well, anyway, uh, she became part of the commercial, as uh, so did you, and we pick it up right here, and I want the people to hear how uh, Del Sharpe does. Mmm, good. I want to hear this. For real appetite magic, he knows there's nothing better than one hot dish with each cool summer meal. That's why nutrition experts recommend soup. It's quick, delicious, and nourishing, too. Doesn't your Texas moon help any? Well, sure does. You ever notice one? It looks like a gleaming bowl of Campbell's chicken noodle soup, full of homey egg noodles and tender pieces of chicken steeped in golden, glimmering chicken broth. Mmm, good. <laughs> Isn't that great? Uh, oh, it was fun. And, 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 and even uh, chuckles in the audience. You know? Oh, yes. Well, we had a very live audience, and the audience, uh, sure. they participated a great deal. Uh, All right. Let's, uh, let's take a call here. Hello, Lee. You're on Talk Radio with Del Charbot. Hi, Ray. Hi, Del. <clears throat> I got a little frog there in my throat there. Um, I don't know if you remember me or not, but uh, Bill Baldwin was my inspiration. You remember him? I sure do. Uh, he got me a job on the Great Gildersleeve. I played opposite Leroy. Right. I'm glad you mentioned Bill Baldwin. He just passed away. Uh, uh, he was, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, one of the founders of the Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters, right. former president, and uh, we didn't have him on the list here. Anyway, um, I did uh, a couple of these nasty little kid inserts on some of the great radio shows many, many years ago, more years than I want to remember. <laughs> And uh, I was just wondering, did you ever do uh, the announcing for shows, continuing shows like Inner Sanctum and shows like that uh, on the networks? Uh, no, I didn't do Inner Sanctum, uh, but I, I did uh, several nighttime shows. And, 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 and Andre Bruce talking a while ago, I did Merton Marge oh, yes. in, in the morning. And uh, occasionally, I, I, I think I did fill in when maybe it was Andre that was off on vacation on, on uh, Just Plain Bill and a couple of three others. And then I did a lot of nighttime shows. But I didn't do Inner Sanctum. I loved it. Uh, there, there was another one, Quiet Please. Remember that one? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Awesome gal. I remember her. My friend uh, Ernest Chappell, who just passed away here about a couple of months ago, uh, did that. And he was, he was great. Yeah, well, that brings back a lot of memories. And... Uh, I loved you every minute. Thank you, Thank Lee, for the call. Nice Thank you. My guest, Del Charbet. Some things speak for themselves.
Uzome is directed. Cuticura makes my skin look and feel terrific. Cuticura medicated soap for combination skin. Well, we have a real treat in store. Uh, my guest is Del Charbot, and on the phone is a man who is continuing his uh, network appearances. Uh, he just did a series for Sears. It was the Sears Mystery Theater on CBS. Art Gilmore. Art, are you there? Yes, I am, Ray. Nice to talk to you. Uh, you were, uh, that, that series was on for how long? Oh, it was on just a year, <laughs> 1979, uh, mm -hmm. about, the, about February or March, along there till the next year. All right, how are you? Fine. Hi, Dale. It's good to talk to you. Well, my golly, it's been a long time. I, I think we did touch bases at the PPB there, Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters. Right. It's been a long time. I was recalling to Ray when we were, when we were talking uh, uh, yesterday or so about the time when uh, Speed Riggs would raise uh, some steers for us out there on his ranch and recede the boulevard, which is now <laughs> nothing but apartments. Right. For those who don't know, Speed Riggs was the uh, auctioneer. Ah, uh, yeah, on the Lucky Strike. Right, right. right. Yeah, I don't know. I've lost track of him, Dell. Have you talked to him lately? Uh, I think he's somewhere in the, in the uh, area of Southern California, I know, because I, I've seen him and talked to him within the last uh, year or so. Oh, yeah, he was in Orange County, but I've lost track of him. Right. I wondered if he... Oh, he's one of the great ones. We, yeah. we, had, a lot of, we had a lot of fun together. He hand-fed those steers for us, didn't he? He sure did. <laughs> Give him all that corn. <laughs> of course, I don't know where he got the corn. <laughs> right. I I've got some ideas <laughs> right. about that. Well, you know, I, I went to that the, the Pioneer Broadcasters luncheon that we did, you know, about the yep. hit parade. Yeah. And I had such a feeling of nostalgia. I missed so many of the people on the coast. I'd been back in, in the east for a long time. Yeah. And to see some of them there and to be able to talk to them, uh, you and Alice Backus and, yeah. and Parley Bear and, oh, a whole raft of people. And then I ran into Ray Bream. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't I, let you go. <laughs> well, I, I, as I recall, I had a, quite a bladder problem at the time, and I said, I'll be right back, and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that gets a little long. That goes from about 11 till about 3.30. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, when we formed it, uh, as a matter of fact, I can remember Jack Hellman from Variety saying, oh, what's your purpose? <laughs> and I said, well, he said, well, you you, you know, the thing's going to fall right on its face if you don't have a purpose. Well, this is 17 years ago, and we now have over 800 members, so I guess it worked. But main purpose was just to get together. That's right. We, Art, never, we never saw them. Let's go back to the uh, great uh, network days of radio before television, BT. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, you did uh, your share of shows. What, what were some of the shows you did? Well, uh... I did, I did uh, commercially, I did Dr. Christian and Red Rider and Frank Lovejoy on that To Murder Mr. Malone, things like that. But uh, hearing Dell earlier uh, talk about the remotes, he did the remotes from the east, and we did a lot of them from out here. And I did, I would do as many as four a night, so uh, he and I were uh, brothers under the skin on that, on that deal because... We, we had so much fun, and there were such good bands. You know, Henry King and Harry Owens and Glenn Gray and Ted Fiorito and Louis Prima. I can remember Louis Prima in a little tiny place there on Vine Street. It's now Standard Brands, I think, has the, has mm -hmm. the building there. But it was, a, it was a real, I don't want to call it a dive, but it was real small. Art, and, yeah. we, we, got, we got to find out from you. One of your colossal goofs. 
<laughs> well, we all had a few, but I I don't remember too many. I, <laughs> You're trying to forget was, them. Well, I try to forget them. There was one there was one announcement that we always had there at KNX that I that I thought was kind of funny. And I don't know how you read it any other way, but uh, I remember having to read this public service announcement. Leopold Stokowski played the two sold-out houses at the Philharmonic. <laughs> there you go. How are you going to read that? Tighten your teeth after that one. <laughs> well, there were always... I'll tell you, the fact that we were always live, we always had a little, uh, a little more fun and uh, a little more... Oh, chance of a mistake. But I think people were pretty good about it. They didn't seem to ever bother. And I, one, one night I was doing Dr. Christian. I said, uh, it is, uh, what did I say it was? Yeah, I suppose I say it was supper time on a, you know, a, a cool summer evening or something. I said, it was summertime on a cool s- supper evening. I screwed it up. But, but nobody noticed it. If you go right on, they, they'll... The average person will never catch most of the things that happened to us. And then there was another time on Dr. Christian when dear Virginia Gregg was pregnant with one of her children, and uh, the the rubber band uh, (laughs) broke on her skirt. And uh, there we were with 400 people out there doing a broadcast coast to coast, and we're holding up her skirt while she's reading the thing. (laughs) A few of those things. Art, thanks for checking in, yeah. and uh, you're one of the greats. And, you know, all of you guys that are still living, and a lot of the uh, great ones have passed away, but what, it's, it's still fresh in your minds and you're still around. You've got to write a book. <laughs> You've got to have a history of network radio, and one of the biggest parts of network radio were the network radio announcers. You've got to do it. All of you have got to get together and, and, and do this thing. When do you want to do it, Dell? <laughs> well, I tell you, uh, next weekend. <laughs> oh, I tell you, I agree with Ray. I, I don't think the the full radio book has been written yet. No. But uh, I think what you've done over the Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters is terrific because you've got an awful lot of stuff on record over there, haven't you? Yes, we have the the and world's thank, largest collection now. I think. Thank heavens you have because yeah. that's history, man. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah. Well, it brings back a lot of memories, and I certainly enjoyed talking to you. Well, I enjoyed talking to you, Art. Uh, you're, you're still in town, aren't you, all the time? Occasionally. Yeah. I'm 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 a I'm a desert rat now more than anything else. He uh, lives Palm in Spring? Palm Desert. Oh, Palm Desert. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fine. All right, Art. Thanks for checking in. Okay, Ray. Right. Right. Bye, Bye Art. Great hearing from Art Gilmore. That's Andre Baruch, Art Gilmore. Uh, there'll be others, I'm sure. Dell. Your uh, your name is legendary. Uh, you you spent a lot of time with the Mutual Network in your latter years in broadcasting. I know because I used to tune in to hear Del Sharbet do the news. <laughs> yes, uh, last 16 years, as a matter of fact, of my career, uh, I was with Mutual both in New York and in Washington, and uh, I retired in 1976 to move out to Southern California. Everybody has news on on the hour, but I always would fish out wherever I was, the mutual station, so I could hear Del Sharbet doing the news. Well, I was busy as a bird dog, and all of us were. Sometimes we were doing, you know, six and seven newscasts a day, plus uh, all the running down of the news with uh, on Capitol Hill, the White House, the Pentagon, everywhere else, State Department. 
Uh, it was it was active, but I finally decided after Watergate was over with, listen, this is ridiculous. This is for the younger people, and I'm going to hang up my suit. Uh, incidentally, before we get away from the, from, uh, the hit parade talk, uh, I wanted to tell you that I had had the wonderful joy of having dinner tonight with Gogo Delise, who was the singer, on the one of the girl singers on the first hit parade. Kay Thompson was the other one. Is that right? And uh, Gogo... Uh, her wonderful husband, uh, Bob Red, a great writer and uh, humorist, uh, passed away just last month. And their wonderful daughter and my wonderful daughter are just about the same age, and I had a chance to visit with all of them tonight. And what a great cake that is. And, and uh, down in Palm Desert, wherever you are, if Mary Bell is listening, that's my wife of 47 years. She used to sing with Gus Arnheim's orchestra, at the same time, Gogo sang with uh, Jimmy Greer's orchestra. And so they knew each other long before we knew each other. They're All great right. people. Let's say hello to David. Hello, David. You're on Talk Radio with Del Sharbett. Good morning. Good One morning. of the great things about Mutual, Del, was that the main newscast was on the half hour, so you were able to listen to the other ones, too. That's right. Uh, I was wondering, uh, what do you think the biggest story that you ever reported on Mutual was, or did you get to report any of the really big bulletins back during the Golden Age days when the announcers read most of the newscasts? Oh, yeah, I'm I'm trying to re- remember because there there was some there was some well, of course during the war there were tremendous things, and then I guess the most traumatic uh, was happened in the last. Five years of my tenancy there with uh, in Washington, with <clears throat> with Mutual, and that was of course the the Watergate thing. Did you have any formal journalistic training, or no? Get into the news end. No, I was trained to be a lawyer, and I because of the Depression time, I had to drop out, and I went into the the broadcasting thing just to uh, pick up a few bob. Jobs are hard to get then, and I really wasn't taking broadcasting too seriously until I had come up to Chicago, and I was working on a station there, and the manager says, you ought to take this seriously, it's going to be a big business someday. And I said, really? And uh, I really had planned to go back to Texas and finish my, my law work and, and become a lawyer, probably a small-town politician or something. What Chicago station was that? WJJD. They're still there. Yeah, uh, Ralph Atlas owned it. He also owned WIND in... in uh, Mm, that's outside of Chicago. And I can't remember where it's, where it's located. Great to hear your voice again, Del. Well, it's good to hear yours and to talk with you. And uh, I'm having a nostalgia feast tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Del Charbot, um, you, uh, of course, have made so many friends throughout... Uh, all of your life in broadcasting, but uh, you have a very close relationship, or you did, with uh, Speed Riggs, right? I sure did. Well, guess think... what? We got Speed Riggs on the phone. Is oh, that you, Speed? Then... L.A. Speed Riggs? Yes, it is. How are you? Well, hello, Speedy. Hello, Del. How are you? I'm pretty good for an old man. Well, I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the pride good, of Steve? Goldsboro, North Carolina. I beg your pardon? You're the pride of Goldsboro, North Carolina. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> You're one of my dear friends, and I and it's just wonderful to talk to you again. Well, thank you. I've been listening to the conversation, particularly with you and Andre Bruce, and when you were talking about all those great announcers whom I had the good pleasure of meeting and knowing back there, 
And uh, having been in radio, as you know, I started in 1938 with Lucky Strike. Right. And uh, spent many years in radio and then on into television. But it brings back a lot of nostalgia, as you say, to me, because having known all of those people, it, uh, it was a, a, wonderful, a wonderful period in my life. Having, uh, you know, perfected my profession as a professional tobacco auctioneer, and then being yanked right out of the tobacco fields of North Carolina and becoming the voice of Lucky Strike in New York, that was quite a transition period for me. I think you ought to tell Ray and our, 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 our friends that are listening how that came about when Mr. Hill was looking for the fastest-talking auctioneer uh, uh, in the business. Right. We'll do that in a second, oh. but first, he's got to give us a quick uh, chant here. Go ahead, give us one. Understood every syllable. I love it. My guest, Del Sharvet. All right, Speed Riggs, uh, tell us how this all came about. Well, that, um, Ray, actually, I was uh, born during the Great Depression of the 30s and came up during that Great Depression. And uh, I had one burning desire because my father told me that auctioneers made good money. And this burning desire was that I wanted to be an auctioneer. But in the meantime, I didn't want to be just another auctioneer. I wanted to be the best. And um, so I lied about my age when I was 18 years old because I had been practicing this thing ever since I was about 14. And uh, they were having an audition in my hometown. There were five other professional auctioneers who were anywhere from 25 to 35 years of age. They came in there, and I went down, and I lied to the man. As I said, I told him I was 18, but I was only uh, 17 years and nine months old. And um, so... He said, well, I said, be here tomorrow morning then at 10 o'clock. So I was there the next morning. And um, I did ask him when I left. I said, could I ask you one favor? He said, what? I said, can I be lost? He said, sure. Because, you know, the old lasting impression was bad, good, indifferent, a lot of people will remember it. Mm -hmm. And um, now we're running out of time. We have about 30 seconds. Oh, well, anyway, I beat all of those guys, got the job, and became the world's youngest professional tobacco officer at the age of 18. And, of course, then at the age of 20, I won the world's record as the fastest, most capable tobacco auctioneer ever by selling a record 784 baskets of tobacco in just 42 minutes. <laughs> and that's what got me the job in Lucky Strike, where I was with them for 33 years under uh, two 20-year contracts. And, Speed, you are part of radio history now. I think so. Right. Oh, there's no doubt about it. As a parting shot, give us one more chance, Speed, then we have to go. Good to talk to you, Speed. Good Thank, to you. Talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. My guest, Del Sharbet. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Brain. think of radio, you think of the halcyon or golden days of radio, the network days, all those decades, and uh, one of the great voices of those golden days of radio was none other than our guest, Del Sharbett. Stick around. Del, you and radio grew up together. Well, I think that's pretty true, you know. I didn't really think about that until uh, as an afterthought, you know, later on when I retired, to realize 
you know, what a tremendous part of Americana it was. I remember when, when Amos and Andy, you know, they were the top-rated show of the whole nation, and I understand that even in the White House, that President Roosevelt would stop everything at 7 o'clock at night, so we got to listen to Amos and Andy. And you could go down streets, and you hear the radios on all the houses. Radio was a big, big force in those days. And in news, I remember Ed Murrow, you know, with his newscast from London. Uh, it, was, it was a powerful force. And, of course, on the local stations around the country, boy, they were the, the bread and butter of, uh, of our lives because they told you, you know, what the weather's going to be like, you know, what's the latest price of grain, the fogs, and everything else. But they also told you the local news, and then you got the network news, and you find out what's happening. Uh, it, was, it wasn't dead by a long shot, you know, when television came along, no. because locally it was really kind of the lifeblood of, uh, of the whole community. They checked on it in their drive time in the morning, in the afternoon, women at home. And uh, I must say, of course, that the Glamour Girl television came along and nighttime, they just took that away practically. But uh, I find that this, for instance, is very interesting to me, that uh, this kind of, of radio is almost like the old-time radio. It is. It is. Except we're using exotic things like satellites. Yes, today. I know all those things. We didn't have that, of course. Mm -hmm. And we didn't even have the ability to tape we had to do everything twice, once for the East Coast, once for the West Coast. And in between, uh, you had a few soda pops. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Speaking mm. of that, Adele, uh, you, you had a problem with alcohol. Oh, I sure did. And, uh, and how, how did that come about? Was it because right. of the watering hole in between the, the two shows? No, or? no, no, no. Uh, I think it started out looking back uh, when I got out of school. I was a Methodist preacher's son, you know, and we never, he wasn't a drinker. My mother wasn't either, nor did any of the parishioners that I knew anything. I didn't know anything about it. And I got out of college, and I didn't have, you know, I hadn't had money. I had to work my way through. And I looked around, and I think it was just this simple. This uh, immature young man looked around and says, the people who have things and have fun drink. Uh -huh. Now, I wanted that, you see, after all, that was sort of my constitutional right, pursuit of happiness, right? Of course. And so I wanted it. Somehow I thought with this little glass in my hand, it allowed me to enter the elite. Uh, it shows you how young and how immature I was. And so I came up the line, I handled it very carefully. And of course in broadcast, as you well know, you can't do this because it'll show in your speech immediately. So I didn't, I never touched it when I had to work. I always felt that I could have fun after I got through work, you see. And this went for many years with no problem at all. Then all of a sudden, I began to do it more than I intended to, on weekends, primarily. See. This is why, by the way, when Michelob came out with his campaign, says, weekends were made for Michelob. I said, mm-hmm. And the campaign was so successful, they said, well, let's make every day a weekend, you know. <laughs> that's the whole story. But anyhow, uh, I, I, I set out to have fun drinking. And then when I got to doing too much of it, it wasn't fun anymore because it was changing the personality. And the outgoing guy was becoming a very introverted guy. It was affecting my family. I knew that. It was going to affect my career because I did, I must confess now, uh, hundreds of shows with hangovers. Oh, it hurt. 
and I get through with it. Of course, what I do, I have to reward myself, obviously, for having done a show because I was a pro, you see. Suffer pain. You know, it's insane. And I kept, that's what I really thought it was happening to me, that I was, uh, I, I was losing my marbles, and I couldn't talk about this to anybody because if I admitted I was nuts, I'm out of business, uh -huh. you see. And so I just kept it to myself and said, I'll stop that, and never again will I do that, and I'm going to drink like a gentleman. And, of course, I didn't know anything about it being a disease. I didn't know anything about being a, an addiction. I knew nothing about this. I was so very naive. And finally got to the point where I knew I had to do something about this. And I went to my doctor, who was a, an internist and a good friend of mine 10 years before, and says, hey, you ought to cut that out. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's like an illness. It'll kill you. And I said, yeah, yeah, I appreciated it. And I, I didn't do it that frequently, I thought. The alcoholic really is the last to know that he has the disease because he has such a denial factor. He denies it. So when himself. did you decide you were going to do something about it? In 1955. And uh, I had one more session with the same doctor, and I said, you're right. And he said, yep. He says, you're an alcoholic. And I says, oh, not that. You know, a good friend of mine calling me that. He says, oh, you nuts. Says, you have the same feeling that most uninformed people have. But the alcoholics down on Skid Row. He said, wrong. Only 3% of them are so down there. He says, most of them are like you, the doers, and says, in the professions. And he said, priests, nuns, other people driving me crazy. You're very much involved in the Eisenhower Medical Center right. in uh, Palm Desert, California. Right. In Rancho right. Mirage is where we have. We, have uh, we started with a, a doctor down there who came out of the closet, and I was so delighted. Uh, he was a fairly new member of a doctor's organization of recovered alcoholics, and I was asked to look him up when I retired and came to California, and I did. Found a tremendous guy, and also I said, hey, wait a minute. This guy, his name is Dr. Joe Cruz, and he says, yeah, I can stand out front and be counted. But he was elected by his colleagues to be the president of the medical staff. And I said, that's pretty good. And so he said, I would like to get a hospital-based program of just awareness, information for the whole community. He said, primarily our, our targets will be doctors, and, and clergymen. But he said, we'll make it so that the whole community will think it's also aimed at them. He says, we've got to get some more understanding between doctors and ministers. And uh, What so, started out as a temporary program is now in He said, what? 13 weeks. Yeah. He asked me, he said, you're retired. You, where are you going to live? And I said, I don't know yet. He said, can you stay here 13 weeks? Well, we've now done seven years of these programs, about an average of 30 a year, and we're about to embark on our eighth year. Now, you go all around the country. Yes, we now have, uh, we have helped to start similar programs in San Diego and in Phoenix, Arizona, and in Minneapolis. A new one's going to start uh, shortly in Seattle. And could, could I take a second just to tell you what we do so that sure. people will understand? Well, all we're trying to do is to create more awareness so we can get rid of a stigma which should not be attached to All a right. disease. Why don't we do that? We're going to come back and we're going to hear exactly what goes on. Del Charbot, who's very much involved in uh, 
Uh, what do you call it? Alcohol rehabilitation? Yes, alcohol awareness, alcohol uh, treatment, alcohol rehabilitation, anything about it. We're going to find out more about it when we come back. The Campbell Soup Show, starring Jack Carson. Yes, listen to Jack Carson, Freddie Martin and his orchestra, Arthur Treacher, Jack's nephew Tugwell, paid by Dave Willock, Irene Ryan, and yours truly, Del Sharpen. I don't have a date for that, Del. Any idea when that was? My Lord, I don't. That has to be in the 40s sometime. Oh, yeah. Uh, gee, what a what a great thought. I, I hadn't even thought about the Jack Carson show for this time. Uh, Jack was, a, you know, he was he had fantastic timing. Because I think Jack Benny's was always uh -huh. the greatest timing uh -huh. of all, because anybody. But Jack Carson, uh, he, you know, he played the kind of guys he played in, in movies at Warner uh -huh. Brothers, always uh -huh. kind of a dumb oaf or whatnot. Uh -huh. But he wasn't at all. He was very sharp understanding on, on, on this timing thing. He was just great. And I used to watch Treacher working with him at the uh -huh. mic. And I listened to both of them pros on that timing. They were, <laughs> I learned a lot. All, I kept learning all the time I was in radio, watching these people and listening to them. Okay, you're going to tell us about alcoholism and what you're right. uh, doing around the country. I won't uh, dwell on this too long except to say that I found a totally new way of life, and, and, and I also want to make sure that everybody understands that I am not a prohibitionist. Uh, most people in America can drink without any problem, and that's great. And uh, there are a lot of people, however, who can't, and some who are suffering. As a matter of fact, uh, the latest Gallup poll um, of less than a year ago says that one-third of every American survey said alcoholism and excessive drinking affected their family adversely. That's a lot of people. I think there are probably between 15 and 20 million people that are affected by this thing. Now then, that's, that's a hell of a big market to work on, isn't it? And all we're trying to do is get understanding and awareness. And we're not pressing anybody. We don't really expect a live alcoholic to come to an alcohol awareness or We appeal to his friends, his family, uh, his neighbors, his employer, you know, to come. Uh -huh. And there we can give us some ideas of what this is all about. And take away the stigma. Let's talk about this thing openly as something that can be, it's a highly treatable disease. The recovery rate's over 80%. My, what a blessing, you know. You know that there's a recovery rate that's that high. All right, when you go to these uh, various cities, what do you do? Well, what we, we, we set up speakers that come in there, all doctors and, and experts in the field. And uh, many uh, celebrities uh -huh. who have recovered from this disease too will come and share. And we have lots of uh, lots of doctors, uh, some ministers, and they are they have really dealt so much with this problem that they can share with an audience who is brand new, don't understand what this is all about, coming there. And we're not all serious by the folks. We have, we believe in a lot of laughter. And we have a lot of laughter, and a lot of fun with this thing. 
But we get the point across, you see. And if we send them out of there with their tapes and their books and their pamphlets and everything else, if you have somebody in your family has a problem, hey, have hope. There's something you can do about it. You know, we try to give them some referrals as to where they can go. Here's what we read as, as a preamble of every one of ours. We say the purpose of this program is simply to inform people of the use of alcohol and other mind-altering chemicals in our society. Now, millions of Americans drink alcohol in moderation and never get drunk. But more than 15 million persons have developed the disease of alcoholism, and their numbers are increasing. And since at least four other concerned people are directly affected by each alcoholic's drinking, therefore 75 million Americans are suffering in some way from alcoholism. Alcoholism does not discriminate as to race, color, rank, sex, age, or social status. It affects physicians, clergymen, lawyers, businessmen, housewives, children, old broadcasters, and others. <laughs> it's not, affected, not acquired because of a lack of willpower or moral character. It is a physiological and emotional disease resulting from excessive drinking. For many, the disease may take many years to develop. For others, it can happen almost from the first drink. But alcoholism is highly treatable. Recovery rates run as high as 80%. Now, if you are a true social drinker, it is our hope that what you find and learn here will enable you to remain a social drinker who never has problems because of drinking. If you feel that you or your spouse or friends may be misusing alcohol on occasion, based on what you learn here, we hope you'll decide to be increasingly aware of how you drink from now on. If you or some member of your family or friends have already crossed over the boundary of social drinking into the disease phase of alcoholism, we hope to provide information which can lead to complete recovery and a comfortable lifestyle without alcohol. It is our hope that these alcohol awareness sessions will help to erase the sense of stigma attached to the disease of alcoholism. We no longer stigmatize persons with cancer, tuberculosis, or diabetes. We must urge our alcohol culture not to place a stigma on the disease of or the recovery from alcoholism. We ask you to help remove such a stigma, to become more aware of how you drink, and to discuss with your friends the subject matter of these alcohol awareness hours. Uh, That's not tough, is it? Red like a pro, too. <laughs> <laughs> Del Sharbet, and when we come back, guess what, Del? We've got another one of the all-time greats, Wendell Niles. Oh on boy, the phone. Stand, Wendell! Stand by. Another legendary radio announcer of the network radio days, Wendell Niles. Wendell, how are you? Oh, fine, Ray. Enjoying your show. We got to. Hello, Wendell. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, that's a pretty tough act to follow. I yeah. mean, never take another drink. <laughs> Tell me, how's your backswing these days? Pretty bad. Oh, mine too. Pretty bad. I still only get out there and hack around. You, uh, uh, let's see, you left Lakeside when, Del? Oh, about 1942, I guess, somewhere. And I went back east. Uh, a long time ago. Yeah. And, but I love that. I got to tell you, Wendell. What a great bunch of guys we had there. And gals. I yeah, shouldn't still are. them. Still are. Yeah, you're I down at the uh, desert now. You're down. Uh, right. I lived down, down in the Dennis James down there. Palm yeah. Desert. Uh, There's another one. Dennis close James. To, close to a little city called Palm Springs. <laughs> uh, when I went back to, uh, to to New York after after the Lakeside period, I I uh, joined a, a great golf club back there called Wingfoot. Oh yes, yeah. yes, that's uh, And they had two courses in. And uh, I, I was getting older all the time and losing little yardage off the tee. <laughs> I got my brains beaten out of there. They said, oh, we know all about you coast guys. But it was, it was, a, 
It was a great, uh, great golf course, but I really have so many warm, wonderful memories uh, of you guys, Harry Von Zell and, yeah, and Forrest Tucker and... Sure. Oh, God, we could go down the list, couldn't we? Uh, Forrest is still there. Most everybody's there. We've lost a few. Now Wendell, for those who don't remember, what were some of the shows that you used to announce? Uh, well, how much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> I guess most people remember me probably for the Hope Show. I, was, I spent um, seven or eight years with Bob, you know, all through the war. Right. Uh, we did radio and uh, television. I like to. Uh, I guess I did as much radio or television as ever done radio, but I feel like uh, Dell does it, uh, and like you do, uh, Ray. That's the that we used to call the theater of the mind. That's right. Mm. And television we called the theater of the mindless. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, that was a great. Uh, it was a wonderful medium. There's no question. It was a pure medium, and uh, the fun. The fun has sort of gone out of the business today. I don't know why that is. Maybe you know, Dell. No, I don't. I've often pondered that same question. But they were glamorous days. They were glamorous yeah, days. They were, yeah. Well, I did so many shows, you know, Burns and Allen, Milton Berle, Chasing Sanborn, and probably uh, thousands of them. I was playing house with my friend Irma. He would go on for a long, long time. And just to think, Wendell, a whole generation never heard those shows. Isn't that a shame? Yes, it is a shame. They were uh, some really great shows. Yeah, I did a lot of the more modern shows, too, and, uh, and uh, television, but the people don't remember television that well. Yeah. I had my own show, and uh, and I've been uh, sort of producing uh, lately. And Well, those were great days. They really were. It was fun. I... You know who I was remembering the other day? Bill Thompson on Fibber McGee and Molly. Yeah. You what were. a talent he was. Yes. He, he could really do any was. dialect in the whole business. He's up there. Yeah. Wendell, you've got to write a book. Well, I'm going to. I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm writing it, as a matter of fact. If I could just... Uh, I'm so impatient. Uh, even though I'm talking about my favorite subject, me, I still uh, <laughs> I get bored with it. I can't... Uh, well, you know, get, get together with uh, your other contemporaries and uh, put this thing together because, you know... Uh, we've lost some big ones. Uh, Harry Von Zell's not with us anymore. Well, oh, that's the truth. And, and uh, we, we've lost Pierre Andre, and we've lost Don Wilson. Yeah. We've lost Jimmy Wallington. I so you've got to do it now. And really, uh, it has to be now or never. Now, you've got to get these, these people together and do it. I was with Jimmy Wallington, by the way, in Washington just uh, a week before he died. Mm. Oh, and Jimmy, he was a good, uh, good friend. Wonderful. I, used to, I used to tune in the Voice of America just to hear Jimmy that's Wallington. Right. That's what he was doing. That's right. Yeah. Ah, those were, those were great days, great people. Yeah, and uh, fun listening to you guys tonight. I think we better have a little, little western most flavor ham here. I, you did get uh, Art Gilmore in there. Oh, I was tickled to talk to Art. New York. Wonderful to talk to you, Wendell. How's Ken? Oh, he's fine, fine. He's. Uh, uh, we're getting ready to go back to to Montana. We've got a ranch back there. And going oh. Back. Your ranch folks. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we came from Montana. Yeah. Oh, well, that's terrific. Well, tell him hi for me, will you? Sure will. And, uh, Great. Yeah, Kenny, he used to uh, do Hollywood Hotel, didn't he? Yeah, he sure right. did. Kenny was one of our first real uh, big announcers on this coast. He, right. he came down here uh, right after the turn of the... Uh, well, I guess he was here in 1930. Mm. That's a long time ago. I came down in 1935. 
Art Gilmore took my place up KOL in Seattle. It's kind of interesting to hear all, all art tonight. Very good. Wendell, thanks for the call. It's a real pleasure. Nice to see you, and good luck to you in your work. Uh, you too, Ray. <laughs> also, Dell. Thank you, Ken. Thank, thank you, Wendell. Thank you, Wendell. All right, Hello to your bride. All right. Hello, Arnold. You're on Talk Radio with Del Charbon. Hello, Ray, and hello, Del. Uh, Hi. I haven't seen you for the... Remember all the times you played the Lucky Strike show together? I played saxophone, Arnold Brillhart. Arnold Brillhart. Yeah. Oh, my God almighty. Yes, uh, Arnold. You know, all the things you're talking about, you know, with Andre. Yeah. And uh, about the shows, you know, I spent half my time with you and Harry Bonzel. That's and absolutely and, the fact. And Ben Grower and the whole... Bit, you know, we, I played about 30 shows a week, I think. I think you did about the same thing, you know, in the old radio days. Andre, if you're listening, this is the guy that had the, the scratch handicap swing. Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he was the greatest. Andre knows about We played golf many times, you yeah. know. But, see, that wasn't fair because I was on the tour. I had a plus one handicap for about 20 years. I know that. So it wasn't fair. But now, you know, I'm like you. You said you lost your distance. You know, I'm, I'll, my next birthday, I'll be 79. And, you know, those 250-yard drives are going down to about 180 or something. Well, yeah. now, the fact that you're even perambulating out there yeah. is something. Yeah, I know. It, it's, know just, it's, it's just great to talk to you. You know, I, I had a chance to talk with you on the phone yeah. uh, earlier on, and my heavens alive, we still got to get together. We haven't done it. But I want to because there's so many old times I want to talk over with you, you know, too. The tr trouble is, you know, that this is a nostalgic period, and the ones that are left are getting old enough so that uh, there aren't going to be too many left, you know, especially T the musicians, you know. I played right. with Glenn Miller and Artie Shaw and Benny Goodman. They were sidemen. Right. And I got Jimmy Dorsey's first job in New York uh, in 1924. I auditioned him for the California Rambler so that... Uh, uh, the old days, you know, are, they're not understood by the young people, but I think the music is. I think the music is coming along real great, you know. I hope you played a Brillhart mouthpiece when you played saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, Ray, you know, I've talked to you many times, and uh, 73 to you. I'm one of the original ham operators, you know, K6GF and so forth. K6GF. Yeah, K6GF. I got a two-letter call. I think I spoke to you once before about a year ago. When I came, I was W2DN back east, and then mm. they gave me a transfer out here, and they gave me 6GF, which is a, a two-letter call, as you know. So I, Not uh, bad. Nice to have pull. <laughs> yeah. Are you still doing much radio work now? Well, uh, I am, but i got to get that code up to 13 words. Oh, you know yeah, how that is. Yeah. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah. Yeah. i got to say 73. Yeah. Listen. Okay, Arnold. Thanks a lot. Uh, we've got uh, Dawes Butler on the phone. Hello, Dawes. Hi, how are you? Fine. You're on with Del Sherbet. Yeah, the reason I called, uh, Del, is uh, I never met you, but uh, I met your son, Jay. Oh, Jay? And he interviewed me one time, a tape interview, and then he subsequently wrote an article about all my work. Uh, right. You know, For those who don't know, you better explain uh, huh? what you do, Dawes. Well, <laughs> well, for years I've done... Uh, comedy and strange voices and of course your voice fascinated me because it was so beyond anything my range could ever approach but uh, i love dialects and different voices and i did huckleberry hound still do yogi bear and, and that's like such that. a great talent huh? man i wish i could do it it's such a great <laughs> talent but uh, i was very fond of your son and uh, we, we talked about you and so on and, very good uh, gotta go dodge thanks okay. for the call good to talk to you dawes my guest del sharbett this is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Brain.
Hello, Jack. You're on Talk Radio with Del Charbit. Ray, a magnificent show tonight. Del, you're a welcome voice. Thank you. I uh, want to tell you, I've been in our business, never in the majors like you gentlemen, but you impelled me to um, make up a quick list of some of the all-stars you've uh, missed, or at least I didn't hear you mention. Harlow Wilcox. Oh, oh yes. Harlow Wilcox. <laughs> oh, my, Westbrook yes. Westbrook Van Voorhees. Westbrook yeah. Van Voorhees, March of Time. Uh, and if I can mix uh, news and what I call commercial announcing, Frank Singizer. Right. Uh-huh. Aloys Avrilla. Prescott Robinson. We missed another one, Dan Dan Seymour. Dan Seymour. Oh, you betcha. Right. And I he went on to become list. a big agency bigwig. That's right. <laughs> Good. I'd, I'd throw on that list of Frank Blair. Yes. And uh, let's see, of course, Bob Trout, who's still in the business. That's H. right. Kelton Board, Raymond Graham Swing, Doug Edwards, still working, and Gabriel Heater. And I didn't want you to uh, miss some key names in that pantheon that I think you had. Bob Trout, one of the greatest ad lib guys I ever knew in my whole life. Just fantastic. I want you to know there are a lot of us out here that uh, in our younger salad days got as much of a kick out of uh, associating ourselves, relating ourselves to you gentlemen in that business as uh, ooh, some other kids did with Babe Ruth in baseball, let's say. I do have well, you know, you know that's, a, that's a very good point, Jack. I, I've got to yeah. tell you, I've been uh, broadcasting since I was a kid, 15, and I started in 1945. And I was just on the end of the great radio network days, the halcyon golden days of radio. But my, my, I haven't said this to Dell, but my idol was none other than mm, good, Dell Sharp. <laughs> well, if I could only time. sound like Dell Sharp, you know. So, so uh, as a kid 15, or I guess I was 16, uh, one year, I'd been working one year, I was still in high school. I came down to Hollywood, California, and uh, while others were trying to get uh, the autographs of Jimmy Durante, of Bob Hope, uh, of um, you know uh, Edgar Bergen, all the other Red Skelton, all those that were at NBC at Sunset and Vine, and all these huge crowds at the artist's entrance, they're getting the signatures of the stars, and I got a signature of guess who? <laughs> Del Charmin. No kidding. Yes, Ray. and I've got it at oh, home somewhere. My Lord Almighty! Oh, I got to tell you a quick story, and I'll get off. Um, oh, a couple of years ago, I can pinpoint the time. It was the day the Bob Hope's house burned. I was out to talk to some people at KMIR, and I met Don Wilson. We went out three nights in a row, and it was the greatest experience in my life. Uh, I hope one day I can uh, meet Del Sharbert. I do have a fast question for you. Can I get it in? Sure. Who was, who was the um, uh, announcer on the Firestone Hour? The Firestone Hour... Um... You know, I'm going to have to think about Used that. Used to a come bit. out of uh, Studio 8H. I know that. Yes, yes. And he's one Rock of the. Rockefeller Center. He was one of the old timers yeah. of our business. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm sort of in creeping senility stage now. <laughs> uh, I, I can't have instant recall. Uh, I got one I, last one for you. Uh, and then I've promised to get off, but you've entranced me as you have your listeners tonight. Who was it on a particular musical program used to say? The Amsterdam Choir and Chorus, Vivian Delicieza, etc., etc., and then he'd go into a routine of the lyrics, and then the music would come from under to up and over. Do you recall that? Wasn't that, was that Frank Knight? 
Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Right. That's been driving me batty. My God, I haven't <laughs> thought of his name in a long, long time. Right. Gentlemen, a great show tonight. Ray, thank you so much. Dell, thank you. Thank you for calling. Thank you, Jack. It's good to talk to you. When Take we come care. back, uh, I want to uh, go over some of the other things that we've missed when it comes to Dell Sharpett's great career in commercial broadcasting. One of the living legends of the halcyon days of radio, Dell Sharpett. Some things speak for themselves. Give it in me. From Hollywood, Lucky Strike presents your hit parade with Mark Warnell, the Lucky Strike Orchestra, Lynn Murray, the Hit Paraders, and starring Andy Russell with Beryl Davis and our special guest stars, the Andrews Sisters. You know, we often forget, Dell, that uh, everything was before a live audience. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's kind of interesting. You know, Mr. William Paley, who was the founder and, and, and the guy that really made CBS go, in the early days began to think beyond just the four walls in the studio. And it was still on the edge of the Depression time. Uh -huh. And he says, you know, a lot of Broadway theaters that are dark and they'd like to have some income coming in, so he made some deals with Broadway theater owners uh, to refurbish them, to put up uh, an engineering booth on one side, and the other side, another booth for the VIPs, the sponsors. That was the sponsors booth. And here, all of a sudden, a new element was added, an audience. And you come out there and you do everything from musical shows, you do comedy shows, right to that audience and get that kind of reaction. Well, now, for some of us who had broken into the business just being used to a microphone in a little tiny studio, this little mind-bending, especially when in radio you had to wear, on some of them, a tuxedo, and on others... So did you get a little stage fright? ...white tie fright? and tails. A little, little stage fright? A little stage fright. <laughs> mortified, you know. We had to go out also, before the show started, and spend about 15 minutes warming up the audience, they called it. Mm -hmm. And you sort of visit with him. And you might tell a little joke or two or something about your, your, your people and your cast or the sponsor or anything else, depending on how, how good your relationship was with them. Mostly just to get them at ease and say, this is not all that painful, you know, folks, once we give the downbeat and away we go. very good friend of mine who uh, works uh, very closely with us is... None other than Lou Cook, and that was one of the things he used to do a lot. Yeah, I know. I saw Lou, by the way, in the parking lot as I came in tonight. And we started talking about old times and our golfing days. Uh, we had a lot of fun. All right. Uh, so you, you did have uh, those feelings. I, I often thought, how can those guys get out there and sound so relaxed and not have any butterflies? <laughs> Well, but you did have butterflies. Oh yeah, sure we did. We had. I mean, we, we had lots of butterflies. For, for those who don't remember, yeah. television today is not like that at all. Everything is on tape. Mm -hmm. So when the time comes, the engineer somewhere at master control flips the switch, and the 
thing takes off and that's it. There's nothing live. But when you're doing a live radio show, you've got all these cues coming up. 30 seconds. And the, the, the lights come on, stand by. And then 15 seconds. Then the countdown, 10. And then it's 5, 4, 3, 2. And it's the hush. Everybody. And then it happens. And the the electrifying part of it. Everybody's hyper, you know. The juices are flowing. Right. And you're on the air, coast to coast. That's entirely right. Now, you just said the juices are flowing. That's That was... That was the thing that took away the nervousness within 30 seconds, you see, because now you're thoroughly concentrating. Plus the fact that you've got a sponsor's representative in that booth, and if you fall on <laughs> your face, you may be through. That may be your last broadcast for those people. So you really had to concentrate. Hello, Jerry. You're on talk radio with Del Charbet. Hey, good morning, Ray. Good morning, Del. Hi, Jerry. Sure, but I'm from Texas. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a <clears throat> long while I'm in the business as well, as Ray well knows. Long wait, long wait a minute. I recognize that voice. Yeah, you do, Ray. <laughs> uh, I, I had dinner with you not too long ago, about uh, two months ago. Yeah, delightful dinner, as a matter of fact. We knotted over a few of the old times. Well, this is Jerry Janes, who uh, worked uh, at uh, WNIS uh, up until recently. You're now with a Yorktown station, I believe. Yeah, right? we're uh, in transit back to New York, as a matter of fact. Oh, and on the road that? this morning, I heard Dell. I had to stop in and call. Well, well sure. Jerry Janes and I worked together during the Korean War at Armed Forces Radio in Tokyo. Is that The right? Far East Network. Well, go ahead. It's your show. Well, you tell, um... It's a funny thing. You were one of the main reasons I got in the business. Because my mom and your mom uh, knew each other pretty well. And uh, my mom said, gee, if Dell can, you can, Jerry. And I remember you very well from Northside and all that kind of stuff. And your mom used to have a picture of you, Dell, sort of a strange thing, of you in a nightclub, I think it was in Chicago, with a bunch of friends. They were all hoisting glasses of booze, and Dell had in his hand for his mom's picture a glass of milk. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> true, yes. Were you from Fort Worth? Yeah. Oh, did you go to Northside High? No, I went to Arlington Heights. Arlington Heights. But your mom and my mom were in the right. same church. Right. That's how that came about. And years and years later, you preceded me into the business, and then uh, just as I was coming around to the realization that maybe I had a bit of a problem, uh, I met you at the club in New York. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have nerve enough to walk up to you and say, Del, I got a picture of you, and I'd like to say thanks a lot for getting me into the business. Shame <laughs> on you. Why didn't you do that? Because I tell you... Well, I was Guys in our business, we we, uh, we belong to probably the most famous club in the world. Well, I was and a little we... bit shaky with myself in those days. Those right. have since passed. And it's just a pleasure to hear you and to know what kind of work you're involved in now. It's great to have a new way of life, isn't it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's been a real great talking to you. Thank you, you Jerry. And i got to get back on the road and start heading north again. Yeah, Thank do you. that. Thank you, Jerry. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye. All right, my uh, guest is none other than Del Sharbet, and uh, Del, you haven't done it this hour. You've got to give us an mm good. Oh, I'd be delighted. It's been so long since I had a chance to do that. Mmm, um, good. That's something good to eat. As a matter of fact, uh, I, you know, I can say it now because I don't work for Campbell's Soup anymore. 
but they uh, they moved the business over to another big New York agency, and they screwed up the mm, good concept totally. You know what they did? What did they do? They made it mm, mm, good. It sounds like a little old lady, you know, who's got some gastric distress. The way they said, when I came along with this idea, it was just purely an attitude. It was not an advertising gimmick, believe it or not. It was an attitude. Mmm, good. Something good to eat. I think we ought to go back to the way you did it uh, on the uh, Club 15 show when we had uh, Joe Stafford. And, uh, uh, you know, she was playing a part. You were playing a part. Right. And everybody, you know, did, 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 did their role. It was part of the program. Right. And the commercials were not just commercials in, in many of these shows. They were integrated. And uh, so uh, there was a lot of ad-libbing going on. And Joe Stafford, if you listen very carefully, has a part in it. And this is a part of the Campbell Soup commercial that you did. And watch, listen for the mmm good. For real appetite magic, he knows there's nothing better than one hot dish with each cool summer meal. That's why nutrition experts recommend soup. It's quick, delicious, and nourishing, too. Doesn't your Texas moon help any? Well, sure does. You ever notice one? It looks like a gleaming bowl of Campbell's chicken noodle soup, full of homey egg noodles and tender pieces of chicken steeped in golden glimmering chicken broth. Mmm, good. Uh, you're right, Del. That's it. That that line. It sold a lot of soup. I had a wonderful. Uh, have we got time for me to tell sure. you this? Sure. Sure. All right. Uh, Ward Wheelock. I told you about the man earlier who hired me, and uh, he was a very nice guy. And I had got this wonderful relationship with them back there, with the Darns and everybody else with the Campbell Soup Company, and they had made a soup called black bean soup. And I had learned to like black bean soup at a restaurant that Andre would know very well. It used to be in the, in the basement of CBS called, what the hell was the name of the restaurant? Anyhow, it was a, it was a Greek from Kentucky that made the black soup. He owned it. And it was delicious. But he taught us how to put a, a slice of lemon, about a oh, quarter of an inch slice of lemon in the bottom, and then you stir it around with your spoon, and it just gave it a great flavor. And I found out Campbell made one of those. I said, why don't we advertise that? Wheelock says, oh, it looks awful. What are you going to talk about? He says, you know, you talk about tomatoes. they got a beautiful color, red, and everything else. But this black bean soup, he said, we just make it for a few customers. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make you a little bet. Let me have it for two weeks on Amos and Andy. And I said, if it doesn't sell, you don't owe me any salary. But if it does sell, you owe me double my salary. <laughs> He says, you're crazy, but oh, hey, go ahead. Uh, I did this. I told them on the air. I told you before I could ad lib, those What I had this little conversation with my boss, and he said he didn't think black bean soup. And I said, now let me tell you the way, the way to try this, just as a little experiment. You heat this Campbell black bean soup up, and you take a, a, a slice, a big, thick slice of lemon, put it in the bottom of it, squeeze it around a little bit, and I think you'll find a new taste treat. Now, it's not going to replace the rest of the soups, for heaven's sakes, but try this. The Thursday, I started on Monday night, Thursday morning, 6 o'clock, our time on the coast, I got a telephone call from Philadelphia. The first words were, stop it. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, I'm just coming awake. Well, stop what? He said, 
that darn black bean soup advertising. We're sold out. We don't have any in the warehouses. Or anything. We're going to have to drop everything here and make black bean soup for a week. <laughs> I got my double my money. All right. Let's say hello to Bill. Hello, Bill. You're on Talk Radio with Del Charbon. Yeah, pleasure indeed listening to you people. I could listen for the next hundred nights. Hi, Bill. Uh, hi. Uh, my days in radio go back to the early 1920s, believe it or not. But uh, you mentioned a little while ago about the Firestone Hour. you recall the telephone hour and who the announcer was on that? The telephone hour. You remember the telephone hour? I remember the theme. I'm trying to remember. Yeah? I'm drawing a blank tonight on uh, both of those. How about Floyd Mack? You must have known him. He was uh, with Floyd, Floyd Mack? Yeah. Was he on the telephone hour? Yeah, he was the announcer on oh. the telephone hour. Do you remember who was on the voice of Firestone? No, that I don't remember. Well, anyway, to get back to some interesting thing. Back in the early and uh, middle 1920s, announcers did not use their names. Do you recall that? Even Milton J. Cross announced his name uh, as MJC. There was a guy in New York, Nils T. Granlund. He announced himself as NTG. Until a little later on, they were able to use their names. But in the early days, initials only. <laughs> I'd never heard that before. Yeah, I hadn't either. This is true. Well, anyway, you recall that they, you mentioned about the um, theaters and the uh, sponsors box, et cetera, et cetera. The New Amsterdam Theater in New York had a lot of these shows coming out. One of them was David Reisman and his Clico Club Eskimo. Right. Remember that? Yeah. And all the guys, all the musicians, 18 or 20 of them, were dressed as Eskimos. And I pitied the poor guy there splitting their heads off in that. <laughs> and, and the announcers, as you said, would come out dressed in formal clothes. Rudy Valley did his show from there. Yeah, yeah. Right. You, you, you understand. Well, let me get into something that takes us a bit longer, but I'm sure that most people don't know about it. All right, we have about a minute. Well, all right, do the best I can. In 1919, following post-World War I, uh, RCA was formed uh, by buying up the patents that the United States had seized during the World War One, from such communications companies as United Fruit, Marconi, Westinghouse, General Electric, and so on. And in 1919, David Sarnoff said to these various companies, okay, we'll buy up your patents, form a company called Radio Corporation of America, and give you shares equivalent to the value of your patents, which they did, and so RCA was born. Now we get back to, uh, go further to 1927, when NBC was formed as a subsidiary of RCA. There was a big discussion at that time among the network fellas, the new network, as to what they could use for an audible signal to distinguish the mm -hmm. NBC network. Many suggestions were made, bugle calls, bird right. calls, drumming. So we know what happened. What happened? One guy finally said, shout her out, he said, I've got it. And they said, what? He said, dong, dong, dong. And they looked and said, he's crazy. What does that mean? He said, well, on the tone scale, on the piano for the tone scale, that reads G E C. And that would stand for General Electric Company, which was a largest stockholder. <laughs> Isn't that something? <laughs> That's something. I'd never, never heard, heard that, that before. That is very, very interesting. Thank you very much. My guest is Del Sharbit. Hello, Gene. You're on Talk Radio with Del Sharbit. What a wonderful program, and how wonderful to hear Del again. Hiya, Gene. My late husband, Jack Lacey, was a trombone player in all the programs that Dell has mentioned. I'm sure he'll well, remember it. I certainly do. And uh, I, do you recall the program where the musicians got together with the men in the control booth and had the clock 
pushed ahead on the <laughs> on the Studebaker show. Dick Hember. That's oh, right. he nearly had a heart attack. And what that didn't do to <laughs> We're, we're going to have to go over Yes, that. I do remember that. They hit all the clams. They did everything. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, that, the, those were wonderful years. It sure were. <laughs> and I remember how the, the leaders, the, the conductors, I should say, all wore white ties and tails. Oh, and yes. the musicians had to wear the, uh, the tuxedos. And announcers. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the announcers. Right. right. And that restaurant you were trying to remember was Colby's. Colby's. That's right. That's right. But I know, I think we were members of the um, Hurley Club. Yes, that that was at 49th and uh, right, 6th RCA Avenue in the RCA building. building. Right. And they had the synagogue upstairs over the bar. <laughs> That was the little corner that the Irishman wouldn't sell to our, to uh, NBC when they wanted to buy, build that's their building. That's right, that's right. And uh, I'm so glad that uh, you mentioned the fact that you're still on the program and you're doing good works for all we alcoholics. Thank you very much, Thank you very Jane. much. I'm still with it. Good, good. My guest is Del Sharbet. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Brain. I believe that is it. So I hope you enjoyed what you just heard here on Yesterday USA. And stay tuned tomorrow night. Well, actually, what is today? And we'll feature an interview that Sean Larry and I did with Janet Gary, Eddie Cannon's youngest daughter, here on Yesterday USA. Good morning. Alt tab sound forge pro 11 point escape is enter enter menu file menu a leaving menus sound one star save as dialog file name sound one edit s a t u r d a y n i g h t two dash three dash one eight dub i t eight p a t r i c i a s e c o n d p c save as type save button enter edit JAWS Professional Apple Software Update Dialog List View Alt F4 Recording Error Dialog Please choose your speakers and microphone manually OK button Enter Welcome to Skype Press JAWS key plus H for Alt Tab MP3 Alt Tab Skype Trade Alt Tab Sound Forge Pro 11.0